And good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so welcome. I'm so happy to welcome you to Taran Rama's afternoon program, Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History History and True History History of Nasara. We have entered the month of September, and we thank you for joining us on this busy Labor Day weekend. We're going to open with our meditation, so please go into your heart center at this time. And going into the heart center, we call forth the full emergence with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our mighty I am presence, as well as all of our multidimensional beings, through to our God presence and goddess presence. Feel the shift that takes place as you focus on your divinity and see yourself in your mighty pillar of light, fully anchored to source, fully anchored to the heart of Mother Gaia. Allow yourself to expand your pillar to its fullest breath as we invite in all humanity to join us in this ascension work and to bring heaven to earth. We say it through the following prayer, so please repeat after me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Take a nice deep breath as we invite in for one and all, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward. <clears throat> our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome as well all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame our Ascension Council and Mission Council. And we welcome for one and all the assistance of all of the angels and kingdoms. Let's invite in the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom all of the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, all magical kingdoms, all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters 
all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. We welcome our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and all of their healing teams, especially those that we work so very closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, from Lyra, and beyond. We welcome all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service, asking for the assistance of the entire company of heaven, and asking our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it. 999 billion times, 999 billion times in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth everyone in our circle of support, including those that have recently transitioned, every man, woman, and child, each and every family member and loved one, our friends, our community members, our pets, our animals, all of our neighborhoods, each and every individual and group, each organization, each company, each business, each corporation, each institution, including each and every nation, each and every military, each and every government, as we call forth the Sapphire Blue Ray and the Violet Ray to work with the governments of this nation, of this nation and the governments of this world all across the planet, as we call forth for divine governance in each and every nation. And we call forth Lady Liberty and the Goddess of Justice to work with the executive aspect of each and every government, each president, each prime minister, each head of state, each cabinet post and cabinet member in each nation, everyone that makes decisions as we call forth the beings of light to ensure that every decision that is made is based on divine justice, divine governance, and heaven on earth. We call forth the same for the legislative aspect of each government here and in each nation for the U.S. Senate, for the House of Representatives, every aspect of Congress, every legislative body, every parliament, each and every governing uh, body, the lawmakers in each nation, a national, state, provincial, local level, as we ask for every law considered and enacted be based on divine governance, be based on heaven on earth, divine justice, and be for the highest and best of all. As we ask Lady Liberty and the Lady Goddess of Justice to ensure this. 
and we call for the same for the judicial aspect of each government form all courts in each nation, the highest court of the land in each nation, for the Supreme Court, for all federal, state, provincial, local judges, for each and every judge, for each and every jury, for each and every grand jury, for each prosecutor, for each defendant, everyone that works in the legal community, all court cases, every decision, as we call forth the violet flame of justice and the blue flame of divine governance and cosmic Christ love to flood through every decision, every aspect of the judicial aspect of each and every government, that all decisions reflect only divine justice, heaven on earth, and divine governance, through the intervention of the goddess of justice and the goddess of liberty. And we call forth everything in our circle of support, every situation, every weather pattern, every storm, every fire, every earthquake, every aspect of climate change, every aspect of what is going on on the earth, And anything that is unlike heaven, anything that is in a state of lack, be it a lack of health, a lack of love, a lack of wisdom, we call it all forth from every aspect of life to be transformed through the violet flame as we call forth heaven on earth and hold the perfection and hold the vision of everyone seeing their divinity, everyone acknowledging who they are and their part in the divine plan. And we call forth all of the energy being put forth, whether it's toward the school year, whether it's toward the government issues and politics, whether it's toward the football season or any other aspect of life, whether it's the um, full moon that we just had or the 9-9 of next Saturday or the energy around um, the upcoming new moon, we call forth this energy to be utilized in our collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of the planet, for the full anchoring of heaven on earth right here and right now. And we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive here today through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally. Through every ley line and song line, through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every portal and vortex, the monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light, as we continue up the spiral of evolution along with Gaia as she takes her rightful place as freedom star. 
We give thanks for this ability to serve as we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age and the open door for no man to shut. So there have been a couple of uh, famous people that um, made their transition either last night or early this morning. And um, so we just put everyone who is um, making their transition here recently or is, is making it um, this weekend, we have them in our circle as well. And we're going to say the following prayer for those who are leaving the earth. Beloved presence of God, Goddess I am, in the hearts of all humankind. Beloved Lord Michael, Archangel of Deliverance, and your legions of the same angels of divine love, in the name of all humanity of this earth, particularly those who shall be called forth from their mortal forms this day, or who have recently made their transition, we make this call. Let the angels of peace stand by the physical body of each soul and hold the energies of love and peace in the feeling body of the ones departing and their loved ones everywhere on earth where such release is taking place. Let perfect peace prevail. Let the the aura of sanctity abide at the solemn hour of transition that the soul may be easily cut free from its earthly tabernacle and no grief, fear, or sorrow distress it at the threshold of new freedom. Let the angels of deliverance meet each soul. Let not a life stream belonging to our evolution pass through the veil of so-called death unattended. Let each one be taken quickly to the temples of mercy and forgiveness and be bathed in the purifying fires of St. Germain's violet flame and Kuan Yin's mercy flame. Let them be prepared to enter the halls of the lords of karma and dignity and in conscious awareness. Let each one be assigned to a schoolroom of the masters and joyously enter into the study of the law of their own life. Let the lords of mercy and love enfold all those whose loved ones are about to depart this earth and all those whose loved ones have just departed in recent days. Melt away all selfish grief and sorrow and fill each heart and home with happiness and gratitude for the opportunity afforded the loved one to be experiencing new freedom and progress upon life's journey. So be it, and so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call in the sapphire blue ray. See it in through and around you and in through and around the planet as we decree. In the name of God, Goddess, I am. I invoke the presence of beloved Master Elmoria, Archangel Mikael, and all ascended masters and angels of the blue flame love of God's will to guide and protect me daily and hourly. Beloved Archangel Michael, come into my life. Help me overcome all density with your sword of blue flame. Cut me loose and set me free from all negativity and errors of the past. As I call this forth for myself, I call this forth for every man, woman, and child. 
I ask for a shaft of blue lightning of divine love to be established over my being, over my home, my family, my work, and all my affairs. I call the guidance I need to manifest God's will in all aspects of my life to fulfill my divine purpose here on earth and make my ascension in the light. I claim for God's will to manifest everywhere on earth that is as it is the realm of light and freedom. I give thanks that my request is answered according to God, Goddess's most holy will. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. Continuing to work with the blue flame of divine love. Beloved, I am presence, light of my soul. Beloved, El Moria. Beloved, Archangel Michael and your legions of blue flame angels. Infused within my soul and all around me a river of blue flame love. By the power of three times three, sustain and expand this love without limit. Let your protection take dominion over the earth and over every man, woman, and child on the planet. Protect the youth. Protect the elderly and the innocent. Consume within me and within all the earth all that does not portray the divine will of Mother, Father, God. Let love, freedom, and true knowledge of the divine be reestablished on earth now and forever. I am that I am by all God's love. I know that I am the power and authority on earth to command life free and to return to wholeness of everything upon it. I call the power of blue flame love to establish the new golden age of enlightenment and true brotherhood and sisterhood on earth. Let the victory of the will of God, Goddess, prevail on earth. Let the flame of cosmic love and wisdom prevail on earth. So be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. We have to be flooded with the yellow golden flame of divine illumination, divine wisdom, divine enlightenment, divine wisdom, and Christ consciousness. See it, sense it, feel it in through and around you and in through and around the planet and everyone that we've called in, every man, woman, and child. As we say, beloved, I am present, light of my soul. I call for the full power of the sacred fire from the temples of illumination, for a full release of illumination flame through my entire consciousness, being, and world. I ask for the flame of illumination to blaze and transform all that would hinder the manifestation of love, wisdom, and power within and without my life stream and my ascension of the light. I ask the masters of light to resurrect the memory of my true identity and God goddess and the blueprint of my divine plan by the flame of illumination. I call for the restoration of my full Christ consciousness as it was ordained by Mother, Father, God in the beginning of my descent into manifest form. I call forth for the flame of illumination to descend and blaze divine wisdom into every cell of my being, 
into my crown chakra, into all of my other chakras. I ask the flame of illumination to reconnect me once more to the forever present, pure knowledge of the universal mind of God's goddess. Flood the earth with illumination flame each moment of each day to show all humanity their way back home. Beautiful and precious golden flame, let thy light bring the end of separation in the consciousness of humankind for the manifestation of God's holy purposes and the return of the golden age of love and enlightenment. So be it. And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am that I am. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the pink flame of divine love to expand the divine qualities within us. See, sense, and feel that divine love in and around you in its most comprehensive form in and around every man, woman, and child and the planet herself. As we decree beloved presence of God, Goddess, I am. I humbly invoke within my being the expansion of your qualities of divine love, wisdom, power, tact, compassion, patience, diplomacy, forgiveness, brotherhood and sisterhood, eternal youth, beauty, perfection, sustained joy, selflessness, devotion, freedom, tolerance, knowledge, and self-mastery. I ask for the ability to see each one of my fellow humanity as part of my greater self, to help each one to awaken to their true identity and God-Goddess. I ask that I may help them with the fulfillment of their divine plan. I ask that I may develop my own talents to their highest potentials, I request that my emotional and mental bodies be harmonized, raised, and purified by the action of the violet fire and ascension flame and the flame of comprehensive divine love. I offer myself as an instrument of God, Goddess, to channel your many blessings to all life upon the earth, that through me consciousness may be raised and peace restored. May Mother, Father, God be magnified in an ever-expanding spiral of love and gratitude for the many blessings and opportunities for growth this life on earth offers. I accept your love and guidance with gratitude. I am now standing on earth manifest my full potential in God, Goddess. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call in the white ray of purity in and around us and in and around the planet and all humanity. As we say, in the name of my beloved victorious God, Goddess Presence, I am. I affirm that I am worthy of thy purity. I call for a great cosmic shaft of cosmic purity flame to remove from my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, and my body every vibration of human creation 
that is in any way impure in substance and that is less than my perfection in God. Replace it all with the fullness of the mind of Christ. Manifest within me the power of the resurrection and the ascension flame so that by the power of purity's ray, I may be free from all discord I have ever created and all discord that has ever been directed against me through all time, space, and dimension and the light for which I stand. I am purity in action. I am God's purity established within my soul, my mind, and my body. Let me invoke purity not only for myself, but for every man, woman, and child on this planet. For all of my family, my friends, the whole family of God, all kingdoms, and the earth mother. Let me also invoke purity for the air, water, and earth, for the animal and elemental kingdoms, all nature spirits, and divic intelligence. So be it, and so it is. Beloved I am, beloved I am. Beloved, I am than I am. We call forth the white and the gold of the ascension fire, blazing the ascension flame in through and around us and all humanity all around the planet. As we say, beloved, mighty, victorious presence of God, goddess of my being, I am, and of all humanity. Beloved legions of the ascension flame, angels of purity and victory, brother and sisterhoods of the ascension fire at Luxor and Telos, and the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood and sisterhood, I decree, seal, seal, seal our dear earth, her atmosphere, all of her governments, her people, and her many kingdoms in oceans and waves of unlimited mighty ascension flame. Let the fiery essence of the ascension flame penetrate and saturate every man, woman, and child on this planet, every animal, every mountain, every ocean, river, and lake, every tree, every blade of grass, every flower, lifting and raising all life upon the earth out of human negativity into the glorious frequency of the Christ light and the perfection of the ascended state. Sustain that vibration forever and fuse the ascension flame and the fire of divine love into every particle of life on this planet and its evolution. Allow us to return to the house of our mother, father, God, from whence we came, forever to remain in the eternal victory of God's divine plan fulfilled. I give thanks that this is done, for I have made this call in God's most holy name, so be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. We call forth the green ray of healing in through and around us and in through and around the planet as we say, Beloved, I am present. Beloved angels of the healing flame, beloved Mother Mary and Archangel Raphael, beloved Hilarion and all the beings of light serving on the ray of healing. I come now before thy flame to request healing in God's name. I stand with my God, Goddess presence, to be liberated and healed from all physical burdens through thy healing light and love. I also ask to be healed from all of their scars, mental and emotional traumas from this life and from the past. 
flame of healing of purest green. Bless my form and make me whole. Pour comfort into my soul and enlightenment into my mind. I am God's perfection manifest in body, mind, and soul. I am God's healing life flowing to make me whole. I am the master presence charging all my bodies with love. Beloved God, God's presence as I transform my consciousness, let heaven's perfection manifest in my daily life. Send thy ray of healing upon my soul. I am Christ's presence charging me with thy radiant healing light until I become the full manifestation of that light. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. That I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And we decree the time is now to turn on the light of my divinity. I open myself to the river of love that lies within my heart. Let love flow endlessly. I open myself to the river of life that lies within my heart. Let life flow endlessly. I open myself to the river of light that lies within my heart. Let light flow endlessly. I open myself to the river of peace that lies within my heart. Let peace flow endlessly. I now open myself to the river of joy that lies within my heart. Let joy flow endlessly. I now open myself to the river of abundance that lies within my heart. Let abundance flow endlessly, ready to project infinite grace and gifts upon my daily life, now and forever. I open myself to the river of violet flame that will purify me through my ascension. Here, O universe, I am grateful. I am grateful. I am grateful. And so it is. We call forth the pearlescent mother of pearl resurrection flame to blaze in through and around us and in through and around all life as we decree. I am the resurrection and the life of my eternal freedom and the light. I am the resurrection and the life of my physical body's perfect blueprint. I am the resurrection and the life of my emotional body's perfect blueprint. I am the resurrection and the life of my mental body's perfect blueprint. I am the resurrection and the life of my etheric body's perfect blueprint. I am the resurrection and the life of my spiritual body's perfect blueprint. I am the resurrection and the life of the ascended master's purity and love. I am the resurrection and the life of the healing powers of the sacred flame. I am the resurrection and the life of my my immortal perfection and illumined love of the cosmic Christ. I am the resurrection and the life of the wondrous gift of my divine essence. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Imagine around you the ruby gold of divine peace as we call in Archangel Uriel and Archangel Aurora, who gave us the following peace affirmation. 
please affirm mentally or out loud with me. I am the gentle reign of peace. I am the manifestation of divine perfection. I am the great heartbeat of divine love from on high. I am the power of infinite love and compassion within. I am the flame of love that will sustain all. I am the realization of the power of love. I am the externalization of the quality of divine freedom. I am the quality of infinite peace and manifestation. I am the power of tranquility. I am the power of great tides of love and peace, bringing an end to the contamination of discord and despair. I am the renewal of hope in the hearts that have no hope. I am the understanding wherever there are ears to hear. I am compassion wherever there are hearts to embrace. I am freedom from the shackles of war and destruction. I am a messenger and an instrument of peace. So be it, and so it is. And we call for the violet flame to flood the planet Earth in through and around us as we decree. In the name of the great I am, I call for the light of a thousand suns from the great central sun. Angels of the violet fire, beloved Saint Germain, beloved Zadkiel, and holy Amethyst, Amritas, the ruler of the violet planet, and all beings that work with the violet ray and flame. In the name of God, Goddess, I am that I am. Saturate the earth in all of her evolution with limitless waves of violet fire. I call for the action of the violet transmuting flame and the action of the will of God to manifest on earth now and forever an ever-increasing spiral of divine perfection. I ask for all discord and activities on, life, on earth that are not reflecting the highest light and Mother, Father, God's holy purposes to be miraculously swept and transformed by the power of the violet flame into divine love and harmony for the restoration of earth and her people into the original blueprint of perfection that was originally intended. Violet flame, violet flame, oh violet flame, in the name of God, goddess, flood the earth, her people, and all her kingdoms with oceans and oceans of violet fire until every particle of life is restored to divine perfection. May peace and love be spread throughout the earth. May the earth abide in an aura of perfect love. May the earth abide in an aura of perfect peace, love, and freedom. I give thanks that it is done now according to God, Goddess's most holy will. So be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. And we conclude with the following. Beloved, mighty, I am presence. Take complete possession of my entire consciousness forever. Make it crystal clear and pure as the ascended masters. Charge it with the Ascended Master's eternal divine memory and all-knowing, dazzling, fathomless, diamond-shining mind of God, Goddess, thy blessed self in action. Make us perfectly comprehend all the Ascended Master's knowledge. 
within all of their words and remember them eternally. Illumine everything to us and tell us the ascended master truth concerning all. Show us the perfect thing to do each moment and make us do it perfectly. Cut us free and consume everything that would confuse, bind, or limit us or our world from manifesting the full perfection of the ascended masters and the victory of our ascension now. Let every word we speak be a golden flame of divine love, charged with the power of a thousand suns to illumine the consciousness of everyone in the world and all who come here in the future. O thou infinite, mighty I am present, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic host, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Come forth in thy cosmic action of the unfed flame of pure divine love. And by the power of the three times three, charge our minds with ascended master clearness, eternal divine memory, concentration, patience, and activity of the all-knowing mind of God, Goddess, the mighty I am presence and dynamic action. Through these are minds and bodies, now and forever. Charge forth full ascended master consciousness, substance, and activity in everything we do, and keep it eternally sustained that the fullness of thy perfection may forever express. This eternal truth of the I am presence shall be the only consciousness within humankind forever. Charge us with the ascended master's acceptance of this eternally sustained. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We ask the company of heaven to seal all that we've received and to bring forth continuously all the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension waves entering and around us and all humanity entering around the planet and every cell and molecule of life continuously. The maximum that we can receive ever expanding to perfection and to receive this in every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of auric field, multidimensionally, through the conscious, subconscious, superconscious mind, and to be easily and effortlessly digested and assimilated, grounded and anchored, integrated and embodied with the assistance of Mother Gaia and Archangel Sandalphon, with the with total ease and grace and peace and bliss and ecstasy and serenity, balance and equilibrium without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level of love and light and laughter. May we all be ascended and free. And may victory be ours in love governing this planet. May victory be ours in love governing this planet. May victory be ours in love governing this planet. And so it is. And so, my friends, I thank you for your divine service here this afternoon. I hope you have a glorious weekend and a glorious September. And I invite you to further service each and every Sunday and Monday evening 
have a couple exceptions coming up in September. But I contact those that are on the call, and I will make announcements, uh, as well as uh, the uh, email verifications if you are on my email list. So please join us on Sundays, especially the Sunday and Monday. We're, we're, so we're, we'll be working on Labor Day. And uh, this is a teleconference call, and we have magnificent meditations and invocations and prayers and visualizations to bring heaven to earth. We meet at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 Pacific time. We start with 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tara and Rama give us a brief update. And then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time, we begin our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth and anchoring this new golden age through our, through our work and our meditations and our prayers and invocations. This is a teleconference call, so the best number to reach us at is area code 480-660-2224, and the access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. We'd love to hear from you. Please come on to say hello and let us know where you're calling from. Let us know that you found out about the call from this Saturday program. And uh, we invite you again to be a regular part of our family of light doing this service work for ourselves and for all humanity. So with that, we want to thank Tarn Rama. Oh, there's other ways to get on as well on the call. So if you need other numbers, let me know. Uh, contact me at Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. And there are local numbers. There's international numbers. There's a, a free conference app and a, a free conference uh, um line to get on the computer so I can go ahead and share that with you if you send me your email uh, that requesting that. So I look forward to having you join us. Again, thank you for your service. At the same time, we thank Torrent Rama for their service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we thank Rainbow for her divine service as well. So with that, I wish you a glorious week. Have a magnificent first week of September and Labor Day weekend. My love and gratitude to all of you. And I'm half passing the talking stick to Rainbird filled with each and every ray. You've heard all the the blue, the yellow, the pink, the white, the green, the ruby gold, the pearlescent, the uh, white and gold of ascension, and the violet ray. We have each and every frequency we could ever want or desire and all the qualities of God got us within it. So with that, I pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking stick, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> and thank you for your divine service as well. We're so grateful the way you power pack and bring that beauty to start each show on Saturday. So lots of gratitude, and have a good weekend, Labor Day weekend as well. Cheryl.
So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are listening to support radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. And uh, so each week we need $305 this month for VBS radio services. Um, so this is how we take care of business there. Um, you need to go to your, into your heart space and see what is yours to give and then go to bbsradio.com. And there on the home page, you'll see the schedule for Radio Station 2 and Radio Station 1. We're on Radio Station 2, so that schedule we're looking for the Saturday listing at 3.30 hour, which is Central Time. That's where BBS is located in Central Time. <laughs> uh, so at 3.30 hour is uh, the True History, Hershey, and the Saranacologic Origins. And as you click on that icon, that'll take you directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can use your bank card to make a donation in any amount. So thank you for your generosity, especially since it's higher this month than normal. And, uh, yeah, so we also have two programs on Radio Station 1 that you can find listed at the 8 o'clock hour on Thursday night, a night at the round table with the panel. Click on that icon and make that donation there. And then on Friday night, the hard news on Friday night with Tara and Rama at the 8 o'clock hour. So thank you for taking that action. As you click on that icon there, it'll take you to our account. So lots of gratitude for your participation and for joining us each and every week with the, the conversation that we have and the work that we do. So lots of gratitude. And we're also assisting Tar and Drama with their needs. And this week, they have one bill they need uh, paid to pay, and that's uh, the Verizon bill for $154. And they also need a couple hundred dollars for people food and gas and those other things that you need to live on, but mostly food. This week, they need to get some stock up a bit, so... We can be uh, generous with our donations with Tara and Rama that way, um, that they get that bill paid and they get something to eat. That'd be really good. And gas for the car. <laughs> so thank you for taking that action. Here's how we do it. Here's how we take that action. We go to rainbowroundtable.net, and there on the homepage is menu. Click on that, and near the end of the me- of that menu, of that list, is a donate link, and you click on donate, and that takes you to Rama's or the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account, and uh, you can make your donation in any amount right there, and there's also a friends option that you can access, and you need to put in the email there to do that directly to the email address. That email address is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, Nine 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 four nine at hotmail.com. So as you enter that email, that takes away, that's the friends option and takes away the uh, commercial charges. So that, your money goes a little bit further. Either way is perfect. We're so grateful for all your donations and lots of gratitude for Tara and Rama and what they do. And um, this is one way we can give back. And keep them going. So 
lots of gratitude for all of you for participating in that way. As you're sending something, please let them know in the email address for Rama Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, at Comcast.net. So let them know what you sent and when you sent it. And then if you need it, the mailing address is as follows. Ram, R-A-M-D, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280. And that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip is 87567. I'll say it again. Post, of, Post Office Box 280, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all of the information, and 13 thank yous, honey, in the heart. Uh, I'm passing this talking stick um, for Tara and Rama. You heard it best. This talking stick has all the rays, uh, all the galactic rays, all the healing rays, and uh, of all the different colors. <laughs> and uh, it, it also has all kinds of fairies and feathers on it and people celebrating the the good people of workers of the world for Labor Day weekend and all all their angels are there and there's also unicorns and dragons. So it's very magical. So greetings Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Thank you so much, Rainbird, and thank you so much, um, Cheryl. Yes, thank you. And just to encourage everybody, join us with Cheryl on Sunday evenings and Monday evenings. That would be uh, 6 p.m. East um, Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It's about a three-hour deep uh, meditative affirmation oriented uh, calling in all the angels the archangels all the hosts of higher light and peace in that we got to remember we all it's already done it is. And the way you can tell is because these guys are getting uglier by the second. Oh, I, aye, aye, aye. I don't even have the words to kind of, I, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just keep waiting for a few folks to show up out of the sky like Thor and a few other folks uh, throughout the galaxy and, you know, the Ascended Masters and Pleiadians and Syrians and Andromedans and Lyrans, mm-hmm. they're all here. And at the same time, these um, rugrats, I'm not sure who. Uh, that's a good one. It's the... Uh, Nice term. Yes, it is because they they don't know their limits. They and it's violence. like Omina. Okay. It's like Omina describes their toddler souls with the powers of creation 
And this is where Mother gets to step in, because when you threaten the life force of a planet and its people, oh shit, things happen. I gotta put it that way. <laughs> in loving No presence. smart cities. No smart cities. Please, it's an oxymoron. <laughs> that sounds, I mean, why do we need Oh, well, they uh, I need. mean, this sounds... They need. They need, because slavery is oh something they need. Yeah, they need people or to... Or they think they need. They need people to generate energy within the confines of that 15-mile radiate. It's like what Morpheus showed Neo... The battery, Duracell, the D batteries. We are not batteries to run the <laughs> matrix. No. All done. <laughs> yes, and there's all kinds of news that. It's not so pretty. Yeah, um, we're just going to go into the positive here. And so. Yeah. How about we play Pleiadians landed on Earth? Yes. Let's begin, everybody. Pleiadians landed on Earth. The Pleiadian races are coming to Earth because they want to assist us in our evolution. They are known as a group of beings that are all righteous, loving, kind, and have such a high sense of honor in the way they live their lives that we here on the planet can hardly imagine it. The Pleiadians have come to help us in many wonderful and astonishing ways. They are here to assist us in our evolutionary journey and to assist each one of us as we go through this process. They have been watching this entire time and now they have realized that we are ready for a very significant shift in consciousness. The Pleiadians have been working with humanity for many years and have amassed a tremendous amount of data about what we can do with our DNA in order to transform ourselves into beings of light. They have come to help us evolve in many ways, including by helping us with our DNA. We are being upgraded from two helical strands of DNA to 12 helical strands of DNA. They have helped to upgrade our DNA so that it is more flexible and able to adapt to the changes that are coming. The Pleiadians are assisting us with this process because they know how important it is for us to be able to evolve as individuals. They are helping us evolve and expand in ways we could never imagine. They are bringing new technologies into our reality so we can experience the full potential that exists within us all. Once your DNA has been upgraded to 12 helixes, which will happen in a short period of time, it will give you the opportunity for a better understanding of who you really are as a soul. These 12 helixes represent the chakras, or energy centers, both within and outside of our body. This procedure will proceed on an accelerated timeline and represents an extraordinary evolutionary leap for anyone involved. There is so much happening on Earth at this time. The Pleiadians have arrived and are helping to usher in a new era of peace, love, and happiness for all beings on Earth. As members of the Family of Light, once you are ready to take this evolution into your bodies, you will be able to combine your 12 centers of information. 
you'll come to understand that you design your own experiences and develop the ability to create consciously. The development of conscious memories of who you are is more significant. You can then choose whether or not you want to hold on to old beliefs held by those around you that have kept them in fear or darkness throughout their lives, either physically or energetically. When the Pleiadians come down with their new technology, we can expect many changes in our world right now. We have been given new tools with which we can rewrite our DNA and upgrade our bodies in an instant. We can even do it without any surgery or drugs. This is a very exciting time for all of us who have been waiting for this kind of technology for so long. There are many amazing things happening in our world today, and the Pleiadians have an incredible amount of knowledge to share with us. It is because of great beings like them that we can look forward to a bright future on Earth. I look forward to this new age and am excited by all that it has to offer. They are putting out a vast amount of information and we have to make the most of it. We need to understand that this is a massive time in our history and that we are finally at the point when we can manifest anything that we want. That sounds absolutely incredible, doesn't it? So basically, the way we understand our reality and thus perceive it can change throughout the actual process of ascension. As we understand things better, and due to the fact that our mind is constantly expanding, this means that we can actually see different perspectives on different topics or issues, and thus be able to orient ourselves much better in any given situation. We are all unique and are on different parts of the pathway of awakening. Yet we are becoming aware that we are all connected now more than ever before. It's an exciting time to be alive, and things are only going to get better from here. Hold on tight and enjoy the ride. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray. Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Okay. Um, before we start, one more thing I want to play here. This is from Thursday, I believe, on uh, Lawrence O'Donnell's last word. This is the former president of Harvard, and she was the first woman. Mm -hmm. And the new president of Harvard is also a woman, and she's a black woman. That's yeah. pretty amazing. And they've never had any women until now. Now they got two in a row. Harvard right. is one of those places like Yale where, oh, my God, you don't want to know what's, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's changing faster they are losing their grip everybody but let's Ooh. listen to this this is very interesting here we go you're feeling skin all day oh <laughs> horses don't bet on people that's what our next guest's father told her when she was a little girl no one betting on people would have bet she would become the first woman president of harvard university or even that harvard would ever have a woman president Harvard is now a month away from inaugurating its second woman president, Professor Claudine Gay, the daughter of Haitian immigrants. 
In her new book, former Harvard president, now Professor Drew Gilpin Faust, writes, For many white Southerners of my generation, a life-defining question has been how long it took us to notice the contradictions between the democratic and Christian ideals intoned in church and school and the patterns of injustice in which our lives were embedded. When did the contradictions become troubling? When did they become unbearable? What was the moment of epiphany? For Drew, the epiphany came when she was nine years old. On February 12, 1957, she wrote a letter. Dear Mr. Eisenhower, I am nine years old and I am white, but I have many feelings about segregation. She asked the President of the United States to end segregation. Our games in the woods and fields around our house most often involved the refighting of Civil War battles when my older brother forced me to be Grant so he could be Lee. Years went by before I learned that Grant had actually won the war. (laughs) Memoirs are personal history, but when a memoir is written by a distinguished historian, the lens is widened to include arresting facts like this. In the first Kentucky Derby run in 1875, 13 of the 15 riders were black. Between 1911 and 2000, no black jockeys competed in the Kentucky Derby. What happened? What happened to the black jockeys? Why did it happen? If you are a public high school student in Florida right now, they won't tell you what happened to the black jockeys and other black people. Drew Gilpin Faust's memoir is a beautifully written story of American pain and progress. The nine-year-old girl who asked the president to end segregation grew up to cast her first vote for president in 1968 for Dick Gregory, who ran a write-in campaign as the candidate of the Peace and Freedom Party. My write-in vote for Dick Gregory was one of 1,680 votes he received in Virginia. It was one of two votes he received in Clark County, where Nixon's total was 1,127, Humphreys 768, and Wallace's 742. 742 votes for the segregationist and two votes for the black man. Forty years and ten White House races later, Virginia would cast its electoral ballots for the first black president. Joining us now is Harvard history professor Drew Gilpin Faust, whose books on Civil War history might already be banned in Florida public schools, and whose new book is titled Necessary Trouble and may be well on its way to being banned. So I will hold it up so the parents of uh, Florida high school students will know what to look for uh, to learn this true history of growing up in the age of segregation. This is such a, a beautiful and wonderful and warm book that I, I just couldn't stop turning every page of the title, Unnecessary Trouble. Tell the story of the title. You, you, it's the only book I've read where, at the end, there is the story of the title and how this came to be the title. The, the title, Necessary Trouble, is something that's probably very familiar to you. It's, it's borrowed from John Lewis, mm-hmm. who talked about how it's important to make trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. 
And in my years as Harvard president, I got to know John Lewis a bit. And at my last commencement, he gave the commencement address. And as he was beginning, he turned to me. I was sitting there in my presidential seat. And he said, Madam President, thank you for making. He talked about my Eisenhower letter that you just quoted Mm -hmm. from. And then he said, thank you for making necessary trouble. And as I was writing this book in the years after that, I thought about how that phrase, necessary trouble, was such a perfect description of what my growing up had been like, which was I had to make trouble to escape the constraints and injustices of the society in which I was growing up in in segregated Virginia and a society in which my mother said to me, it's a man's world, sweetie, and the sooner you learn that, the better off you'll be. And so I was just in revolt from the time I was about two years old about little lacy clothes I had mm-hmm. to wear till I started writing letters to Eisenhower. And I came from a very conservative, conventional family. So I just had to make trouble. And it was necessary to survive. So I called John Lewis about two months, three months before he died and asked him if I could use this this title, if I can use his words. And he, of course, being the wonderful, gracious man that he was, said, oh, he would be honored. I was more than welcome to do so. So I felt I had his permission, his blessing, perhaps even, in taking his words and using them for my book. And you, uh, uh, White John Lewis, in your small way, uh, went to hand in the civil rights movement. You were, you were of that college generation that was going south. And, uh, you tell the story in the book. I arrived at the Quaker Fellowship House in Washington, D.C. on June 22nd, 1964 to begin our orientation. The day before, three civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, had disappeared near Philadelphia, Mississippi. There was little doubt they had been kidnapped and likely killed by white segregationists. Dick Heiler tried to reassure us by emphasizing that from the beginning, he had explicitly ruled out any Mississippi time for us, judging it too dangerous. But that seemed small comfort. I and others, I would guess, quietly wondered, well, is Alabama all that much better? But no one openly voiced fears or second thoughts. And you went to Alabama. I did. I did. This was part of a Quaker initiative to send students into the South to try to uh, support civil rights, but also to try to talk to people who were segregationists. This was very much the Quaker spirit, Mm -hmm. talk across lines of difference. And so it it was also not just the summer that um, Schwerner, Goodman, and Cheney disappeared. It was also the summer that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed. That was in early July. And that was the law that um, provided public accommodations could not be segregated. And so we spent a lot of time with our African-American hosts in the various cities in which we um, spent time, Orangeburg, Birmingham, Prince Edward County, testing this new Civil Rights Act and um, trying to see if it was being complied with when we went as integrated groups into public accommodations. And so it was a summer in which we were supposed to be reaching out, but most of the segregationists and the white power structure and the places we were located wanted very little to do with us and found us threatening and even dangerous. So you had some good luck in your life. And one thing that just stunned me when I came across it was there you are at a high school in Massachusetts, sent off to Massachusetts to high school. And at a neighboring high school, small high school, private high school, 
you get to go hear a speaker one day who is Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. You're a high school kid, you get to hear What was that like? Well, first of all, it was a lucky thing to go to high school in Massachusetts because I got treated very seriously as a girl with intellectual aspirations, and that had not been For the first time. Really, really. Um, But we were invited to go to Broughton School for a speech that Martin Luther King was going to give. And I think he was at Broughton School because the head of Broughton School was a man named John Crocker, who was a devoted advocate of civil rights way back in the 1950s, before white Northerners took much, um, paid much attention to these matters. And he got to be friends with Martin Luther King when Martin Luther King was a graduate student at BU. And so he asked Dr. King, won't you come and speak? And Dr. King, out of you know, feeling friendship for Reverend Crocker, said, yes, of course I will. And so in February of 1963, just a few months before the March on Washington speech, I have a dream speech, uh, Dr. King spoke and I went and sat in a, you know, a library, um, ante room with a whole bunch of other students and listened to a speech in which he kind of prefigured the I have a dream speech. There was a student who illegally taped it and kept the tape for years and years. It was just discovered a few years ago. And it is a speech that is, is quite remarkable. It talks about America being a dream and how we realize the dream of America. And I got to sit there and listen to these inspirational words, words that also challenged us and said, more or less, you complacent Northerners, what are you going to do? And there's nothing worse than a person who's indifferent or inactive in face of injustice. So it just reinforced every inclination that I had expressed as a nine-year-old and that I felt even more fervently as a 15-year-old when I heard that speech. And then uh, toward, the, uh, toward the end of college, uh, you got the word that one day in school that Martin Luther King was assassinated. You describe it as... You said the news physically hurt, made it almost impossible to breathe. Uh, what, what was that day like? It was at a gathering to celebrate the history majors and their upcoming graduation. Of course, he was assassinated in April, and we would be graduating in early June. So this was kind of the end of the school year. We were at the house of the chairman of the history department having an ice cream social, and suddenly the news came that he had been shot. And... I struggled to how to explain it in the book. It was it was as if I'd been hit on the head with a plank. I mean, I just really felt it all through my whole body. And, of course, we all felt it in our hearts and souls. And it just seemed unimaginable that this great and good man, this hero, had been eliminated from the face of the earth in, in such a devastating way. And, of course, the United States erupted immediately after that with, um, violent protests and, and one, I think it might have been, can't remember which news person it was, but a famous newscaster said, this is the most violence the United States has seen since the Civil War. And I think people were just so distressed, they didn't know what to do. And some turned to violence, others turned to despair. The uh, You were told in, I think this is one of your high school uh, teachers or administrators, who gave you uh, an attitude toward education uh, and when she said you must open yourself up to the notion that you have a lot to learn but what you do not know is close to infinite a sense of ignorance fuels the desire to overcome it humility is a prerequisite for being educated 
These were the words that were delivered to the freshman class entering in the fall of 1964 at Bryn Mawr College by the president of Bryn Mawr College, who had been there for decades. And you would sort of think, who is this old lady? Except I will never forget those words that she delivered to us because it has seemed to me such a foundational part of learning is you just have to say, I don't know things. And I tried to make that a watchword of my presidency at Harvard. Let's all try to open ourselves and, and practice humility. I, I think every aspect of life, you are well served by taking that, that position in relationship to everything around you. I've always taken uh, certainly intellectual humility as a sign of where one really ended up on the education scale. I was once asked, what did you, what's the most important thing you got in college? And I said, uh, an understanding of the enormity and permanence of my ignorance. Yes. And, yes. and, and that sends you off into yes. every other subject. And you can't stop. Right. You just have to keep learning. Um, what are your concerns about those high school kids in Florida who won't be able to find this book in their school libraries? I'm so distressed about the notion of censoring books but also censoring history and the teaching of history and what we are going to tell about the past and the notion that nothing you learn should ever make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Everything you learn should make you uncomfortable because learning is about growing and changing. And if you're unwilling to change, if you're unwilling to even stretch, what's the point? So (laughs) I I worry deeply about what kind of country we can be, what kind of people we can be. If we don't admit that learning is meant to expand us, to at least to ask questions, to find books that maybe our parents have never read or heard of or approved of. Certainly, if my parents had approved of everything I or had to approve of everything I did, there would have been no letter to Eisenhower. I don't know who I'd be. I had to make trouble to get to where I could have access to a wider world. The book is Necessary Trouble. Please, you owe yourself this book. You owe every student you know this book. This is, it's, it's, a, it's not, look, it's a Harvard professor's book, but look, it's not a big, big thing. You can, you can have a fun summer weekend with this book. Thank you very much for joining us. Really an honor to have you. It's really great appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Now we're going to go to something. What's the name of this, Rama? Uh, Thank you for listening to that, everybody. Let's keep that in our hearts as we listen today. The yes. Lion People and E.T. Lineage, Ancient Egypt, Cosmic Legacy with William Henry. All right. How many? Uh, An hour and 14 minutes. An hour and 14 minutes? Hour and 16 minutes. There we go. Here we go, everybody. And it's it's Hopefully about no 4 o'clock right here in Mountain Time. Pardon? Hopefully no commercials. Uh, yes, hopefully.
I remember the, the, the first time I went to Egypt, it was back in the early 2000s. And I was doing presentations then called Egypt, Shadow of Atlantis. And I was, of course, really deep into this connection here between uh, the, the Atlantean civilization and Egypt as a legacy of that civilization. And uh, I was soon to learn that there's a lot of pushback involved in that, especially from Egyptologists. They don't like this connection at all. And, and they, they bring up the dreaded A word and they, they don't like to, to, to contemplate that this, this possibility. But uh, the, there's a lot of evidence that's there. And uh, some of it has been discussed today. And I, I remember uh, early in those in those early days, looking into the, the creation mythologies of ancient Egypt, specifically the work of Dr. Eve Raymond, who's a, a British uh, academic, Manchester University, I believe. Uh, she had translated the Edfu creation text. Now, these are at that time, early 2000s, they were very, very little known texts that told them an incredible story of formless light beings that, that came to Earth and founded a civilization they referred to as the island of the egg. These formless light beings take on physicality. They, they kickstart this civilization. And then in the short version of this story, the very short version of the story, there is a cataclysm. And before the cataclysm, these, these beings, the gods themselves now, had secreted away uh, what is described as a relic in the story, in the creation text. And then after the cataclysm, they retrieved this relic and, and restarted civilization. And I can remember reading that thinking, why isn't she connecting this with Atlantis? This is this is the like got to be the source text for Plato's Atlantis story. He had said to his cousin who had been in Egypt and learned the story of Atlantis written on a pillar. Could this be the, the source text? Well, it wasn't long after that that Nat Geo got wind of what I was saying and making this what I thought then was a very important connection. And the next thing I know, uh, Nat Geo goes to Egypt with me. And they're, uh, they're featuring me in a program called Atlantis. Is it real? And little did I know that this was going to be like Nat Geo putting me into a blender and, and plus impressing chop. I mean, they just literally just did everything they could to completely dismantle, uh, not only my argument about this, the connection between these texts, but in a way they got kind of personal too. And I realized that that, that's kind of typical of how mainstream archaeology, Egyptology, people in charge of our, of telling our, our historical narrative, anything that challenges the status quo, that, that's going to be their response. So that was a huge lesson for me. And But I continued in, in my research, and it wasn't three, four years after that that I published my book, Star Walkers and the Dimension of the Blessed, in which I went into great detail about the connection between the Edfu creation text and the, the, the story of Atlantis. And that, that carried me through another 10 years or so until we're doing an ancient aliens episode about ancient Egypt. And we're talking about uh, especially the idea of space probes. And it, during the show research, my, my show prep research, I started relooking at the Edfu creation text because one of the things that we were going to talk about on ancient aliens was this idea of a, of a, what was called the von Neumann probe. A von Neumann probe is a starship sent out by a super advanced civilization that's packed with 
AI and nanotechnology and genetics, everything you need basically to quote unquote add water and kickstart a civilization. And as I'm looking into the von Neumann probes, in the back of my mind is, is this voice saying, well, that's exactly like the Edfu creation text. They're talking about something very similar to that. So I wrote a very long article um, about this, which is actually available on my website, and I'm going to direct it to you now. So I wrote this very long article on my website, williamhenry.net, called Ancient Alien Artificially Intelligent Astro Chickens, Self-Replicating Robots in the Ancient Egyptian Island of the Egg. And what this, is, of course, was about were these von Neumann probes, which scientists call astro chickens because the idea is that these starships, these ships are like chickens that can go to a planet, lay an egg, and out pops civilization. Uh-huh. And it was uncanny, the, the the correspondence between the archetypal imagery in the Edfu creation text and what science is now talking about, how we one day might migrate into other worlds and how we would send advanced ships, these astro chickens, that would uh, essentially act as forerunners for us in establishing these civilizations. So that, that was 2016. Then in 2017, along comes Oumuamua, which was an all-hands-on-deck moment for astronomers all over the world. This space object behaving intelligently comes out of nowhere, enters our solar system, makes an abrupt turn, and accelerates out of our solar system, leaving astronomers' heads absolutely spinning. Well, one of those astronomers, of course, was Dr. Avi Loeb, the famous Harvard astrophysicist who's now very deeply involved in the disclosure movement. And Avi Loeb and his team at Harvard put forth the concept, the belief, the idea, the hypothesis that a Muamua is a von Neumann probe. That was something I had already been thinking about. And it's like, wait a minute, could, could, could it be possible that Earth was visited many hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of years ago by a von Neumann probe similar to what we think a Muamua is? And is that what is recorded in the Edfu creation text? So I'm going to let you uh, on your own go to my website, williamhenry.net, and take a look at a Muamua and the ancient Egyptian astro chickens. I like to joke that that's not the name of my band, but it could be a great band name. But it, it, it is a way for you to kind of peer into this window of how modern physics, modern astrophysics and, and, and concepts about migrating into space seem to have already been discussed in the ancient Egyptian texts. So I wanted to leave that on the table for you today as a correspondence to this conversation about Atlantis. But in fact, um, what I really want to talk about is, is not just the tours that my wife Claire and I do, and we certainly invite all of you to join us in Egypt in October. But what I've come to talk with you about today is ancient Egypt's ET lineage, specifically relative to the lion people. I've never done this presentation anywhere before, so I'm grateful to Neil Gar and Portal to Ascension for opening up this venue to be able to put this forward. And I, and I hope you enjoy uh, my remarks today on the lion people. I can distinctly remember being in the British Museum in London, must have been 10 years ago, and I'm looking at this cat, and I'm enamored with this cat, and I look at the placard beside the cat, and it says, the ancient Egyptians worshipped cats. They even believed the gods could incarnate as cats. And I think I probably burst out laughing at that moment because as a cat lover, 
and somebody who just adores cats, it's like that figures that that's why cats are the way they are. They're, they're the gods incarnate. They sometimes act like that anyway. Right. But, but that was just one of those imprint kind of moments. The gods could incarnate as cats. I mean, yes. think about that, especially the way we, we treat cats today. And here is the, the, the cat um, from the face on view with the golden ring and the Uchat symbol on its neck. And then also the, the beetle symbolic of rebirth and resurrection on its head. But but that got me thinking about all of those times I had been in Egypt, uh, especially with my wife, Claire, in our groups when we go to the Sekhmet Chapel at Karnak, where we encounter this astonishing 3,500-year-old living statue of Sekhmet, who, of course, is the warrior goddess and, and goddess of healing. Now, so many incredible things happen uh, during our tours in, in this chapel. As many of you know, my wife, Claire, is Claire everything, Claire audience. Uh, she has all of these perceptions. On a scale of 1 to 10, she's a 10, right? On a good day, I'm, I can be a, like a 5. I can be maybe a four. I can be a five. And I just have to tell you, I have, I have walked into this, this secluded chapel and I have been licked on the face by this statue standing there, literally palpably feeling a a cat licking my face. And I'm sure it's this statue. In fact, the, the, the legend at Karnak is that they keep her locked up in this room so she doesn't walk around the Karnak temple complex and scare the children. Uh, another time that I walked in there, I was with uh, one of our guests, and both of us no. distinctly heard the sound of kittens meowing. And now the, the walls are. These days, you're facing tough choices. Do you solve for today or build for tomorrow? Today or tomorrow? Yes. Do both with the intelligent platform for digital business. The world works with ServiceNow are about two feet thick in this chapel. And so that means there's, if kittens have been outside of this chapel, there's no way we would have been hearing them inside <laughs> this, this tiny uh, enclosed room. So these are just a couple examples. And we've got just dozens of photos of extraordinary visual effects that have happened while people are standing before this astonishing living statue. She is alive. She is imbued with the presence of the lion goddess Sekhmet, the goddess, the warrior goddess, goddess of healing. And no matter where I am in museums around the world, I mean, I had my first, uh, I had a heart chakra opening in Egypt in those early years, 2004, 2005, maybe. And it, after that, I would get around red granite statues like this one here in the Turin Museum in Italy. And I would have this just profound heart opening, be like dowsing rods opening in my chest. And I always attribute that as a, as a gift that uh, originally came from uh, from Sekhmet and my encounters with, with Sekhmet in Egypt. But just look into the eyes of these profound statues that are now found in museums all over the world of the cat goddesses. This is Sekhmet again, but she goes by alternative names. She's called Mut. Uh, which is the, the the root of our English word mother. This is we we still call our mothers Muti today. After Mut, the, the lion goddess, she is the lady of heaven, the lady of heaven. Now, immediately you're thinking, well, wait a minute, is, is William trying to say that that Muti 
or Sekhmet or any of these goddesses are actually leonine in form. And my answer to that would be, I think there are, these are star lineage beings. These are star beings who can take on physicality. And very often they shape shift into a form that we think of as leonine. So I'm not going to say to you that I believe that they are actually leonine, but that is a possibility because the way the Egyptian artists who were incredibly skilled. I mean, nobody can barely match the perfection and the accomplishments of the Egyptian artists in in their skill. But they're also could be faithfully creating or recreating images of what they actually saw. Now, whether they saw those beings physically walking around Karnak, like the local legend says, or if they saw them in their mind's eye, I can't say for sure. And in a way, it really doesn't matter. Because they, they are insistent that the, the lion people are in fact Leonine. Now, cats, as we love them today, are known to use ESP to predict danger to themselves or their companions and their environment. They communicate eloquently with, with sound, meows, and also uh, with movement. They soothe and they comfort the sick. So think about this. If earthly cats can do all this, then if we are talking about a highly evolved leonine species, what are they capable of doing? (laughs) What are they capable of doing? And that's where we now start to think about Sekhmet, Moody, uh, uh, Bastet, and all the other lion people as actually, as actual incarnate beings, physical beings. Some propose that there is much, much more behind the constant references to the sun god Ra uh, being Leonine in nature. And also his entire family is Leonine in the Egyptian Book of the Dead that is referenced over and over again. And in the Book of the Dead, Ra is portrayed as a cat slaying a pep, the serpent of chaos. Mm -hmm. Now, this points to a very important role that the, that the uh, felines, cats, play in our cosmos. They are able to conquer darkness, conquer evil. They are sort of masters of nullifying chaos, if you will, which is what Ra, as a cat here, uh, is portrayed doing, is he's got this knife in his hand subduing this serpent, a path. Ra's daughter is Bastet. She's also feline. Uh, there's numerous statues of Bastet that are very similar to, to Sekhmet. And these all speak to this idea that these beings are actually physical beings. Now, just as a quick tie-in here, we can go over to India and we find lion people also in India. This is the Yoga Narashima, who's Vishnu, an incarnation of the avatar Vishnu in his man-lion avatar. Narashima means man-lion in Sanskrit and is the name of one of the ten main avatars or incarnations of the Hindu god Vishnu. For devotees, the man-lion form recalls a myth that describes his superhuman defeat of a seemingly invincible demonic foe. Well, that's exactly what Ra did in Egypt. He was leonine and he defeated the demonic foe, the, the master of chaos, Apep. And here we go over to India, we find the exact same concept. But in India, the the lion man, Narashima, or Narashima, is neither man nor beast, but both. So now we're introducing the possibility that we're talking about hybrid beings. 
shapeshifters is where my comfort zone is. That these are these are advanced beings that can take on physicality can, and they can shift into this leonine form. No matter where we find them, the lion people are our teachers. They are initiators. This is what we see uh, portrayed here in this beautiful pillar from uh, the temple at Kamambo, where we see actually uh, not Sekhmet, but this time we see another variation of the lion goddess. Her name is Tefnut. Tefnut, and here she is with Mott, with the ostrich feather, and we can clearly see a transference of energy from Tefnut to, to Mott. The lion goddess is always identifiable because she wears the cobra sun headdress, or Uraeus, as it's called, that symbolizes wedget, ujet, which means wholeness or perfection. Okay, now we've just put another layer of meaning and symbolism on this imagery. By wearing the, the, the Uraeus, this indicates that the lion people are perfect beings. This means, as I'm going to develop, that they could be the same as the perfect light beings written about by the Essenes. We'll get to that tie-in here in just a moment. But clearly, they are our teachers, and what they are here to teach us is how to become more whole, more holy, more complete, more compassionate, and more perfect beings like dog cats, right? So here we have Tefnut with Isis on the temple wall here. Again, we're still at Kamambo looking at this image. And in the detail here, you see that just the astonishing mastery of the Egyptian sculptors as they portray this living image of Tefnut on the wall here at Kamambo. Uh, this is also at Kamambo. So when we're looking at these lion goddesses, it, it's it's possible that we can interchange them. They, they, they can be called Sekhmet, they can be called Bastet, Wajet, Tefnut. They're all ultimately names, uh, variations of the same tribe of, or den of beings of the lion people. The lion goddesses embody or personify the all-seeing eye of the Wajet or Ujat, meaning whole one. As I, as I said a moment ago, that is the, that is what their teaching is all about. And this magnificent image is from the, the temple of Seti at, at Abydos, where we see Tefnut holding the all-seeing eye of Horus, the Wajet, which is their symbol for wholeness and perfection. And, and here we see now uh, Tefnut, uh, with the symbol of Nefertim on top of her head, uh, again, beside now Atum on a on an arc-like platform. And then beneath her, or beside her, we see a human figure offering the new jars of highly advanced astral light, if you will. This is the resurrection oil that, that Seti is offering to Tefnut, and you know, we know that, it, that this is an oil-related image because of the, the symbol of Nefertim, the god of perfume, who's also the son of, of uh, Sekhmet, uh, portrayed on this temple wall. In later times, Wedjet, or Sekhmet, was often depicted as a woman with a snake's head, or as a woman wearing just wearing the uraeus. So the cat has harnessed the power of the serpent, and now wears it, and the serpent now becomes a symbol of illumination. Another early depiction of Wajet is from the Temple of Isis at Philae, which is what we're looking at here, where we see a cobra entwined around a papyrus stem. And this, this symbolism originates as far back as 3100 BC, which is the first dynasty in Egypt, 
where we see the first example in Egypt of this, the snake entwined around a staff symbol. That, that is a symbol of this goddess. And I, I pulled out my serpent staff from Karnak uh, in honor of that serpent staff symbolism. Um, I just love to hold this, this staff when I'm working at my desk because it, it's got that essence vibration of Egypt in it. And it's also very comfortable just to kind of rest on as well. But the idea is, is that this symbolism carries forward. Moses lifted the serpent of healing in the wilderness. Jesus later said the serpent on a pole that Moses lifted was the secret of eternal life. Well, wow. Now we're, we're getting really deep into the, the teaching of the lion people. It's about wholeness and holiness and perfection, but also ultimately their business, if you will, in coming to earth has to do with uh, transmitting the secrets of eternal life. And by the way, uh, the lion people are not just female or feminine. We have male examples of the lion god, as we see here, uh, this lion god on the feathered ascension throne from this this, uh, beautiful or magnificent ceiling at the Temple of Hathor at Dendera. And the lion has the serpent on its head, again, symbolic of Uraeus or the the Wajet. And then we have a standing lion holding the, the symbol of Set. Uh, behind him, along with the, the key of life. This is another male lion. This is in the uh, Temple of Kanzu at, at Karnak, beautiful color image of uh, this figure with this pharaoh offering incense to uh, uh, Kanzu, or excuse me, to uh, the lion god. We have another male uh, lion god here standing in front of the, the lotus uh, blossom or lotus stalk. But it's primarily the, the female essence that, that we're, we're talking about today is this very nurturing warrior goddess, healing goddess that also has the secrets of attaining wholeness, perfection, and ultimately immortality. This is a scene that I always make a beeline for when we go to the Temple of Vices at Philae. It's just so realistic to me. And you can just imagine the ancient Egyptians taking a little dab of oil here and and placing their finger on this on this temple wall and activating this image and and Tefnut or Sekhmet coming to lie coming to life and literally the walls speaking to the initiate standing before this image so powerful and, and here it is again I just again I'm thinking this is so lifelike that and with the incantations, with the chanting that would have gone on in, in, in these temple walls, that you can just begin to sense um, in, in many different levels, the Sekhmet walking off the wall right into your consciousness. And this is something that I love at many of the Egyptian temples. This is a, a, the Temple of Horus at Edfu. Um, you get away from the, 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 the central part of the temple and you go off into the side chambers and you look up and your breath is suddenly taken away because – you look at this image of, of Bastet or of Sekhmet on the wall, and it looks like a, a three-dimensional being just walking past, right? And you, you just stop, and you're stunned in your tracks at, at, at the how lifelike it is and how realistic these portrayals are. And you can just imagine a procession of gods and goddesses led by Sekhmet just walking past you in the temple here. Just truly, truly remarkable. Another example from the Temple of Horrors at Edfu on on the wall where we see Sekhmet just walking along and you just stand beside her and you swear you're you're, you're in the presence of a a living being. 
Look at the mastery here, the detail, the expression on the face, the eyes, the mouth, everything. Just truly, truly remarkable. You can bring it to life even more in the detail. Just wonderful, wonderful imagery. Now, the thing is, is that the lion people were not restricted to Egypt. They were all over uh, the ancient, what we today call the Middle East. In the ancient world, the lady of the lions or the lion lady of heaven is an image that extends across time for more than 6,000 years and across a wide geographic region as far as Minoan Crete to the west, Anatolia, present-day Turkey to the north, Sumer, Babylon, modern Iraq uh, to the east. There's more than 40 goddesses in Egypt that were who were associated with lions or other felines, including Inanna, the queen of heaven, who we see here, who is winged. She holds a lion on the edge, on the end of a tether here, and she's standing on that lion and indicating that she is the lion goddess. This particular example is Egyptian, but this is a Canaanite goddess, a pre-Israelite goddess from the Bronze Age, whose name is Kadesh. Her name means the Holy One. Who is she? Some say uh, as she's an unyet unknown deity, unknown deity whose name is Kadesh. Now, in English, that to me sounds like a pun on Kadesh. Kadesh, Kadesh. The letters D and the letters T are interchangeable. So, how does this work? That that in English we find this pun between this lion goddess named Kadesh, and that she is portrayed as a cat lady. That's really cool to me. I think that that is really awesome. And it speaks to the flexibility of English as a sort of a decoder ring for for linking together seemingly unrelated concepts. But actually, they're totally related. The Kedish is a cat goddess, right? The other thing that's interesting about Kedish's name is that her name is identical to the Hebrew chant, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayoyeth, or Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, Kadesh, her name means the holy one. And so the Israelites must have carried over some memory of this. And when they're chanting Kadosh, 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 the holy one, are they in the back of their minds thinking about the lion people and the cat goddess? Is that what's what's happening here? This ancient Hebrew chant of exaltation is sung by the celestial choirs at the feet of the throne of God. And it makes me wonder if, again, the, the, the cats are somehow involved in, in this story in a more dramatic way than perhaps we realize. We know that 3,400 years ago, during Egypt's 18th dynasty, a Canaanite Hebrew goddess called Kadesh or Asherah, is another of her names, was integrated into the Egyptian list of Nedaru or divine beings as a form of Hathor, the goddess of love and joy. This is why Kadesh, the lion lady, has the Hathor flip hairdo. They're part of the same tribe of beings. They, they use the epithet for Kadesh, mistress of all the gods, lady of the stars of heaven. Beloved of Ptah, oh, now that's very important. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Great of magic, mistress of the stars, eye of Ra without her equal. So the lion lady, of the queen of heaven, the lion lady of heaven is extraordinarily important to not just the Egyptians, but, but the Israelites. 
but also now to the Babylonians and the Sumerians because Kadesh is the same as Astarte or Ashtar. She's the goddess associated with the lion in Babylon. And if you're in the British Museum, you can visit this incredible plaque yourself of Inanna or Ishtar, Ashtoreth, uh, as the lion goddess wearing her horned headdress, indicating that she's one of the divine Anunnaki goddesses. She's given the title the Lion Lady. So now we have a crossover into the Anunnaki tradition as well, where the lion is featured as as the, the totem of the Lion Lady of Heaven. Here's Anana again, shown standing on a lion, and she's said to have, as the story develops, Anana stole what are called the May or magical tablets of wisdom from Enki, who is the Egyptian god of technology, creator god. And she is said to have delivered that knowledge to her own people. Now, here on Portal to Ascension, just recently I did a presentation about the May and the Malamu and the Anunnaki, in which I, I made the connection that the May tablets were actually, you can think of those as ascension tablets, that in fact what Anana, the lion lady, stole from Enki were the secrets of ascension. And she taught them to her people. And again, in Babylon, she is portrayed with the the the, the crown of Anu, the, the horned headdress of the Anunnaki, standing on a lion because she is the lion lady. Now, regarding those May tablets, according to Sumerian legend, it was at his temple medical facility at Eridu that the serpent god Enki housed these tablets until Inanna, the lion lady of heaven, stole them from him. These were considered crystal-like objects that contained all the secrets of of the Anunnaki about how to build megaliths, how to travel in in the stars as as a light being, uh, secrets of medicine, you name it. Everything that the Anunnaki knew was brought to earth and and given to humanity in these May tablets. And Enki, once again, as I said a moment ago, is symbolized by the serpent. He is the serpent god. So here, once again, is the serpent-cat symbolism uh, reunited. And there are many scholars that are very comfortable in saying to you that Enki is the serpent, was the, the, the wise serpent being of Eden, the tree of knowledge. So that is a very important connection. It's a later connection, but it's very important to us in our study of ancient Egyptian for the reason that when we come back to Karnak Temple, the Karnak complex, we see this extraordinary scene of the initiation of King Seti into the ascension mysteries of ancient Egypt. Who is responsible for transmitting the ascension mysteries to King Seti at Karnak? The answer is, it's the lion goddess. It's Sekhmet, who is portrayed here facing King Seti. It's Sekhmet in conjunction with Thoth, or Tahuti, the god of divine magic and alchemy, who is writing the name of God into an oil jar that's uh, hanging here in this tree of life in which King Seti is portrayed kneeling and then holding that powerful name of God in his hand. This scene is the forerunner, if not the, the original scene of which we later uh, read about in the book of Genesis as the serpent in the tree of knowledge. And as the scene follows, 
we then follow a Sekhmet holding the symbol for the secrets of the hundreds of thousands of years. In other words, the secrets of eternity, the secrets of ascension in her hand while she attunes King Seti, who kneels before Ra. Now, that is absolutely profound because what we are seeing here is this transfer of knowledge from the lion goddess to King Seti, who's only one of three humans that I'm aware of in ancient Egypt who actually ascended and became a saintly being or a perfected being. So this is an extraordinary scene where Seti is saying, and he's the one who is responsible for creating these inscriptions. It was Seti I or his son, Ramses II, that created these inscriptions. But he is saying that I know the secrets of the lion people. I have been given these secrets. And again, Seti is considered a resurrected being and one of only three humans to ascend in the ancient Egyptian tradition. So very important that it's our lion goddess who's responsible for the transmission of these secrets of ascension to Seti. So this is similar then to the lion lady of heaven, Inanna, stealing the tablets of ascension from Enki and teaching them to her people. Here we have the lion goddess Sekhmet teaching them to her people in Egypt. Now, this scene is very important to me, and I've discussed it in detail here on Portal to Ascension before, so I'm just briefly going to walk through it. Because when we're when we're looking at Sekhmet attuning Seti, who has just emerged from uh, the Tree of Life, that scene is strikingly similar, if not identical in meaning, to this powerful scene, this painting by Michelangelo, which, of course, is in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. The reason it's interesting to us is because in the 1990s, there was a a neurosurgeon who visited the Sistine Chapel, and he looked up at that, and he said, that is Yahweh, the Old Testament God, getting ready to transmit something uh, like the Holy Spirit to Adam that made him a living being. He breathed into Adam's nostril and he became a living being. And this is the moment that Michelangelo is capturing. Well, what's important about this is that this neurosurgeon said this is Yahweh in a cutaway of the human brain. Well, there's no way that that Michelangelo could have known this because that we weren't doing uh, that type of anatomical research at that time, at least not legally. So he wouldn't have been able to to have the forensics that that show what a cutaway of the brain looks like. But it illustrates a very important moment in neuroscience that took place around 200,000 years ago when some mysterious event occurred that spontaneously spontaneously led to modern human, the modern human brain coming into existence in Africa. And no, no neuroscientist can answer what exactly it was that happened at that time. But what the result was, was the activation of our neocortex. And the result of that was modern humans came into existence. The, the activated neocortex is what makes possible our judgments, our knowledge about good and evil. It's the site of our creativity. Everything that makes us human from music to math to art is, is done in the neocortex. And if that's not activated, you and I are living a very different existence. We have no ability to discern between I and all. 
We have no ability to discern between where my skin ends and yours begins. Everything is just one. Everything is essentially a blur in a way. And after that, now we can make these distinctions. We can make judgments and we can do art. We can do math. Carl Sagan said it's the place where matter is transformed into consciousness and that civilization is the product of our neocortex. So who activated that neocortex and how? Neuroscientists really don't know. They guess. They know, uh, have some ideas. As John Hoffaker, who's an archaeologist at the University of Colorado in Boulder, said, the neocortex was mysteriously switched on, awakened 200,000 years ago. But then 75,000 years ago, there was another upgrade that took place. When what he describes as a super brain kicks in, that's that super brain is what gives us our our psychic connection among one another. We can look at each other and read each other's minds because we have this activated neocortex and this kicked in. Then Hoffaker says another 35,000 years after that, 40,000 years after that, we have another burst in uh, the activity of our neocortex. And uh, V.S. Ramachadran, the UCLA neuroscientist, refers to this as well. He said it was 75,000 years ago that there was a sudden emergence and rapid spread of skills unique to human beings like the use of tools, use of fire, shelters, and the use of language, plus the ability to read another's mind and, and interpret their behavior and intentions. All of this happened at once, and nobody knows how. Nobody knows how. Whatever it was that happened at that moment, resulted in modern humans coming onto the scene. That means you and I. Now, here's the thing, and here's where I'm going with this. The activation of the neocortex blossom in great change in humankind's cognitive and symbolic world with the start of the upper Paleolithic period around 40,000 years ago. So 200,000 years ago, we get an activation 75,000 years ago, there's an upgrade. 40,000 years ago, suddenly there's an explosion and human artistic ability. It comes out of nowhere. And the very oldest piece of human art is what we're looking at here. The El Castillo Cave in Spain, these handprints. The second oldest human art, the second oldest piece of art created by humans is this lion figure, this lion human, discovered in Germany. It's 30,000 years old. It's a composite figure, a combination of a human and a lion. And she or he, we're not sure if it's male or female, is the oldest known representation of a being that does not exist in physical form, but symbolizes ideas about the supernatural. Now, Think about this for a second. All of a sudden, humans have the ability, because of our activated neocortex, mysteriously activated neocortex, to create art. What's the first piece of art that we create after our handprint? A lion being? Are you kidding me? What's going on here? Is this some kind of, like, after effect of the attunement? Am I saying what I think I'm saying, that perhaps the lion people could have been involved in the activation of our neocortex. And this explains why the very first piece of human art is a lion 
person? Hmm. Jill Cook is the curator of Paleolithic collections at the British Museum. And she su- suggested unless the sculpture was created slowly at odd moments over several months, someone as a skilled artist may have been excused from other substance tasks to work specifically on this piece. Another researcher, Neil McGregor, uh, in the BBC4 series, Living with the Gods, said, so why would a community living on the edge of sustenance, who are barely surviving, whose primary concerns were finding food, keeping that fire going, protecting children from predators, allow someone to spend so much time away from those tasks? She replied that what it was about was a relationship to things unseen, to the vital forces of nature that you need to perhaps propitiate propitiate, excuse me, and perhaps connect to in order to ensure your successful life. Well, again, I'm I'm thinking there could be even more to it than that, that maybe what we're looking at here is a recollection of who it was that literally activated our neocortex. By the way, uh, the researchers have said that the wear on, on the body of this lion being caused by handling suggests that he was or she was passed around and rubbed as part of a narrative or ritual that would explain her appearance and meaning. We don't know what that story is, but what I'm asking you to think about is that what if that story is about the lion people who came to Earth tweaked our DNA, activated our neocortex, and now are the, we're the benefactors of that action. And this is why the very first piece of art is of a lion being. Carl Sagan, where he's still alive, would be laughing right now probably because his, his estimation was that it was cosmic rays from Cygnus that uh, activated our neocortex. B.S. Ramachandran said it was the sudden appearance of mirror neurons in our neocortex that allowed us to imitate or emulate one another's actions. Group sex, psychedelic drugs, uh, eating meat, these are all uh, hypothesized by scientists as other contributing factors. So something extraordinary and purposeful gave us the mental abilities that we have today. We're not the product of random evolution as one as we used to be taught. We are the product of two chromosomes that were joined to form one. This is the, the, what is known as the, the chromosome two hypothesis, that the, that the unnatural but intentional merger of these chromosomes is responsible for our capacity for emotion, sympathy, empathy, self-regulation, art, science, music, everything. Without this intentional fusing of these two chromosomes, we would not be human. We would just be guys running around the savannah in a blur, okay? <laughs> but once this happened, it changed everything. And the National Academy of Science says that we conclude that the locus cloned in this in this telomere to telomere fusion we're discussing here um, is not natural. It is not natural. It is intentional. Something or someone did it. It's not the product of evolution. There was an editing that took place. And the reason is the telomeres fuse on the inside of the chromosome rather than the outside as they do in nature. So who is it or what was it that is responsible for this? Who did this and why? This moment is that moment of the serpent in the tree of life. This this is the moment immortalized in the book of Genesis and told throughout the world and known as the fall of man. We don't know exactly who, but we do know how. 
CRISPR-Cas9 technology is is well known now in, in open literature as a way for us to uh, cut, copy, paste, edit our DNA. But when, when we go back to the ancient Egyptians and ask them who did it, they tell us it was Ptah, Ptah, the god of technology who came from Sirius. Ptah just happens to be the consort of Sekhmet. Now, whoa. That gives a lot suddenly of connective tissue to the hypothesis that I'm putting forward here, that it was the lion people in conjunction with Ptah who are responsible for fusing chromosome two. Here's Ptah's business card. The Egyptian said that he is the architect of heaven and earth, master craftsman of working metal, sculptor, designer, fashioner of the bodies of men. He fashioned the body. He's even got a double helix in his, in his hieroglyph. I believe that the reason why Ptah and the lion people fashioned our DNA was to make our human body a more conducive vehicle for ascension. And this is why then we see Stekmet coming in, delivering the codes of ascension to to King Seti. So these two, Sekhmet and Ptah, are actually working together on our ascension. That's one way that we can read this. And you can just imagine their conversation they have together. Hey, Pataya, hey, babe, how are you doing? Did you have a good day? Yeah, I tweaked the DNA of humans. I got them all set up on the ascension path. Oh, good, says Sekhmet. I'll pop in a little bit later and, and start delivering the codes, right? Something like that. that. That is the role of these two god beings, the lion goddess Sekhmet and her husband, Ptah, who is the god of technology and and alchemy and also ultimately ascension that that is that is their business that is why the this tribe of beings came to earth this is the harris papyrus it's in the british museum it's a wonderful uh, example of Ptah wearing his feathered ascension suit segment wearing her knotted dress and also with their son nefertim who's the god of essential oils perfume and all of the resurrection oils so these two Sekhmet and Ptah bequeathed all their knowledge to their son Nefertim, and he is definitely someone that we want to be paying close attention to when we're in the temples in Egypt because the secrets that he he possesses are immense, and they always have to do with what this family was all about, ascension. And, and here we have Ptah from the Temple of Seti at Abydos writing the codes of ascension literally into the palm of King Seti's hand while he's in the Tree of Life. In my opinion, and this is my opinion based on the research and uh, I'm speculating, but I think that he's actually kneeling in the brain, that that tree is a symbol for the human brain, specifically for our activated neocortex. So what we're actually seeing here are the gods activating our neocortex for the purposes of ascension. And, and let me say this, that Sebi is well known as a, as a general. As I said a moment ago, he is one of only three humans to have ascended in ancient Egypt. And, and he was charged with cleaning up the mess after this figure was on the scene. His name is Akhenaten, who is uh, known as the, the rebel pharaoh or the rebel king who introduced the religion of light to the ancient Egyptians. Uh, a lot of people make a big deal out of Akhenaten's extraordinary features. And they say, oh, he looks like he's an alien. He must be an extraterrestrial. Well, my argument is, well, Akhenaten is, is shown as a cat, is, a, is half human, half sphinx, and nobody argues that he's a cat. But 
should they? <laughs> maybe maybe we should start looking at Echinaton as a Leonine figure, as part of the Lion tribe. He certainly brought the codes for ascension with him and was a purveyor of those codes. We won't go into detail right now, but the point I want to make at this moment has to do not with Echinaton, but rather his wife, Nefertiti, who's considered the most beautiful woman that ever lived. As the wife of Echinaton, Nefertiti took on the role of Tefnut, Tefnut, the lion goddess, who is the daughter and wife of a tomb. She exhibits the same clothing fashion as in the images of Tefnut, Tefnut, especially this mysterious red sash. And also, Nefertiti took on the name of Tefnut. After the fourth regal year, she began to wear a mortar-shaped cap that was the headgear of Tefnut, the cat goddess, in her leonine aspect of a sphinx. Nefertiti was henceforth referred to as Tefnut herself, at once the daughter and the wife of the sun god. During the 18th and 19th dynasties, particularly during the Amarna period, when Akhenaten and Nefertiti were ruling, Tefnut was depicted in human form, wearing a low, flat headdress topped with sprouting plants. Akhenaten's mother, Queen T, was depicted wearing a similar headdress, and she identified herself as Hathor Tefnut. So we have a very important lion people con, uh, con- connection here between Akhenaten, Nefertiti, that is uh, one that isn't often discussed, The iconic blue crown of Nefertiti is thought by archaeologist Joyce Tinsley to be derived from T's headdress and may indicate that she was also identifying with Tefnut, the lion goddess. So just think about those possibilities that we're seeing a a continuous lineage here now being transmitted through the line of Akhenaten. Akhenaten, we know, had a son. His name was Tutankhamun. And his throne is considered one of the most valuable relics in all of human history. And it is the lion throne. So once again, we have another very important tie-in, artistically speaking, with the lion people. And of course, on the back of the throne, we see, excuse me, Tutankhamun being anointed in the blue lotus oil by Anka Sunamun, his wife, transforming Tutankhamun into a divine being able then to sit on the lion throne. So what I'm asking you to think about here is that what if uh, these watcher beings, these netter, as they're also called, they're called netter and watchers, they must have known that the human neocortex was ready for their arrival. I mean, if they showed up 200,000 years ago and tried to teach the codes of ascension, it'd be like nothing. Right. So we had to go through this process of activating our neocortex so we could understand the science. We could understand the math. We could understand all of the the, the uh, mental aspects of this. So what if the lion people were watching and, and waiting for that moment when our neocortex awakens? How did they know when we were ready? Perhaps, again, they were watching humanity for signs of awakening. Or perhaps, as I suggest, they had a role in switching on the neocortex to begin with. And this is what we see over and over on the temple walls. This is Thoth or Tahuti with the codes of ascension and that stick that he's holding. We have a pharaoh in the tree of life, which I'm thinking is the brain, standing before who? 
of course, our divine royal couple, Ptah and Sekhmet, because it's ultimately the way I'm reading this, it's, it's their handiwork that, that is exemplified here. The Pharaoh is able to meet and perceive Ptah and Sekhmet because of the activated neocortex that was the gift of these God beings. This is a, a wonderful scene that I always make a beeline for when we're at the Ramesseum on the West Bank in, in Luxor. It's such a haunting scene to me. Uh, this is the, uh, the temple of Ramses II, the, the son of King Seti. So Ramses II knew everything his father knew about ascension. And we look off in the distance here and we see Tefnut or Sekhmet uh, together with her husband, Ptah. And uh, another example here, this one actually happens to be from Medinet Habu, Beautiful image of Tefnut or Sakmet and Ptah, and she's also got the red sash on here. Um, but uh, this important scene comes from the Temple of Seti at Abydos, where once again we have Sekhmet and Ptah together. We have Seti kneeling with the anointing oil, that all-important oil made of astral light that he's making an offering to these god beings, saying essentially, thank you for awakening my neocortex. Thank you for giving me your son, Nefertim, who taught me the secret of this resurrection oil, because uh, I'm, I'm going to be using it and I'll be joining you all soon um, in the dimension of the blessed. Look at this detail here of, of Sekhmet here from uh, the Temple of Seti. It's just look at that eye. It, it's like she is alive. And if Seti were to take a little dab of that oil and just gently anoint that uh, that scene there with his finger, we're told that, that that scene on the wall would come alive and she would start speaking. Wow. At Philae, we, we find this beautiful That's image true. of Tefnut uh, and Ptah together. So when we start paying attention, uh, when we're in the temples of Egypt, we, we see the lion people everywhere. And everywhere we see the lion people, we're going to find these examples of attunements, of awakening consciousness. This is actually Sekhmet or Tefnut with Ramses II. Uh, offering to him the secret of the hundreds of thousands of years, the secrets of eternity, the, the, the ascension codes, as I as I refer to them. And man, did I get lucky with this photo or what? Look at that shaft of light just coming down over a tomb and just gently illuminating the ankh that he's holding to uh, Ramsey's nose, holding it to his nose because it's tipped with oil, and he's inhaling that oil. But but again, just look at the majesty of, of Tefnut or Sekhmet over there on the right, how just how profoundly powerful she is always portrayed. They possess the keys and the codes of our ascension. They are the, the lion people are the ones that brought them here. I was so happy to go to Esna back in November 2021. They've been cleaning all of the temples in Egypt. It's eye-popping what, what is happening in, in these temples. The, the, the rehabilitation of these scenes, the, the color just leaps out and you're just... You're just gobsmacked by, by what you're seeing. And I, I love this image here of Sekhmet sitting on her, excuse me, her feathered ascension throne. Uh, she's got on her ascension garment holding her lotus pillar. She's she's good to go with Isis or Hathor. Actually, that is Isis uh, sitting behind her. So she's she's equated with these goddesses at uh, Kamumbo. I love standing before this portal. And I really do think of this scene as a portal. It's Ptolemaic, which means it's from around 200 BC, brand new at the time of Jesus and Mary Magdalene when they would have visited here and, and, and stood before this scene with their jaws dropping just like we are right now. 
when we come into the scene, we see the, the Ptolemaic king, maybe, I think it's Soter the uh, third, who's being attuned now by the cat goddess, uh, by Bastet, uh, who is one of the, the gods and goddesses rather that the, the Ptolemies revered above all. So here he is inhaling that oil-tipped ankh or key of life, receiving those codes from Bastet, the lion goddess. It's important when we're talking about oils and resurrection oils in Egypt that we we uh, make the note that in Egypt it was the Sem or Shem priests of Ptah uh, who wore the leopard skin in the in the tombs. This is in the tomb of Seti. You will see these special Sem priests wearing the leopard skin because these priests are part of the the retinue of the lion people or or the cat people. And in fact, they are the ones who know the secrets of resurrection. That's why they're in this, in this scene here. This is called the opening of the mouth ceremony from the book of the dead. And we have the Sem priest over there on the left who's holding the incense burner and also, um, has a jar filled with oil. In Tutankhamun's tomb, uh, we find the Sem priest once again wearing the leopard skin and the opening of the mouth ceremony that transforms, uh, Tutankhamun into Osiris, the, the, the resurrected man, the god of resurrection. Now, in talking about Tutankhamun, we can make a very important connection going forward in history with the lion people into the Jewish tradition. The lions became the ruling tribe of Judah, the tribe of King David. And according to the Hebrew Bible, the throne of King Solomon, who was the son of David, was covered with ivory, overlaid with gold, and featured lions on each side of the armrest. That's exactly like Tutankhamun's to, uh, throne, which is at least 500 years older than King Solomon's uh, throne. So here we're seeing a crossover, a very important crossover, an importation of the Egyptian, the importance of the Egyptian symbolism of the lion throne into the throne of King Solomon. And all kinds of crazy things are, are told about King Solomon's throne, that it flew, that it was a mechanical object of some kind. It's, it's really, really bizarre. And one day perhaps we'll do a whole presentation on the throne of Solomon and where it is now. But uh, what we're told in the Book of Kings is that six steps led up to it and 12 lions stood on them, one at either end of each step. There was a round top at the back of the throne symbolizing the sun, just like Tutankhamun's tomb, or excuse me, his throne had the Aton disc on it. And the Bible passage claims nothing like this throne had ever been seen before. Well, that's not actually true because something identical to it had already been seen in ancient Egypt long before. Solomon had something remarkable to say about lions. This just blows my mind. Solomon said, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinir and Hermon or Sion, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Here, Solomon is clearly equating Sion or Mount Hermon with A or the lion's den and the mountain of the leopards. Well, what is this? Why does this matter to us? Well, it matters a great deal. The reason why is because according to the Essenes and according to the Sumerians in the Epic of Gilgamesh, 
the divine beings, the Anunnaki in the Sumerian tradition and the fallen angels in the Essene tradition descended from God's throne to the apex of Mount Hermon. So Solomon is saying Hermon is the lion's den and we've already made important connections between the Anunnaki and the lion people. Are are we able to make an assertion here that the lion's den is Mount Hermon and that is a, a very important source place for the lion people? The Book of Enoch, which was written by the Essenes, tells us that 200 fallen angels, the watchers, descended upon Mount Hermon, the lion's den, and they created human-angel hybrids called the Nephilim. Genesis tells us the Nephilim were on earth in those days, and when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore the children to them, these were the mighty ones, the mighty men of old, the men of renown or the men of glory. So what this is saying is that these angels descended on the lion's den, mated with human females and created hybrid offspring referred to as the mighty ones. Well, interestingly, it's said that Nimrod wore a leopard skin as a symbol of his mighty power derived from the watchers. The Babylonian name for leopard is Nimr and Rod means to subdue. Who's Nimrod? Nimrod is the Iraqi king who built the Tower of Babel, the latter tower or stairway to heaven. The word Shem refers to Nimrod's tower when humankind gathered together to make a Shem, meaning a name or fame for itself. So here, here we have a Shem priest from Egypt wearing the leopard skin because he's got the secrets of anointing oils and resurrection oils as he's offering it to Osiris. And we have their very name associated with Nimrod, who built the Tower of Babel and was considered to be one of the mighty ones of the Nephilim. That's really profound. And this is telling us we've got a very important crossover here between the lion people in Egypt and the fallen angels in the Anunnaki. Who are, and these fallen angels are traditionally portrayed as humanoid beings. They're called fallen because they left God's divine throne. They were light beings originally. And when they crossed over a forbidden boundary, they took on physicality. They took on flesh and blood human bodies. And that's why they're called fallen. They're not fallen because they're evil. They're fallen because they're no longer in their higher frequency light bodies. We know this for a fact. This is absolute fact because the New Testament says that the watchers, these fallen angels, are the angels which kept not their first estate. They didn't stay in their original habitat, but left their original habitation and are now bound by everlasting chains of darkness, DNA, awaiting the great day of judgment or balance when the cosmos reopens. The Greek word translated here first estate is okaterion, which according to Strong's Bible Dictionary, speaks to a dwelling place or habitation of the body as a dwelling place for the spirit and abode for the soul. Okay, but here's the the thing, the important point. That term okaterion is used in only one other place in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 5.2, and it refers to the resurrection body or eternal spiritual light body of Christ. 
What that means is that when the angels were in their original habitat, and I'm asking you to connect these angels with the lion people, when they're in their original habitat, they are in light body form. Then they phase into physicality, but then they also have the ability to phase back into their original habitat. This is exactly what Christ did in his resurrection. He attained the Okiterion or spiritual light body as portrayed in Christian art as this radiant, luminous body of light. John the Revelator saw him in, uh, on his divine throne surrounded by a rainbow. Well, this light body connection is, is hugely significant in, in our exploration today because the best known biblical account featuring lions comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 6, where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and miraculously survives. God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouths, and the lions did not hurt him, says Daniel. Biblical scholars say that this story in chapter 6 parallels and complements another story in chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abagnego in the fiery furnace. Very briefly, these three wise men were brought from the temple of Solomon to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, who had erected what's called the golden image of the beast. He tried everything to get this thing to work, clapping, dancing, singing, so forth. But he couldn't make it work. But he knew that these three wise men from the temple of Solomon had the software to make it work. And they fire up what is called a fiery furnace in the book of Daniel. The three wise men put on their coat their hat, their other garments, enter the fiery furnace, the lion's den. They come back out, and when they emerge, they're not alone. The Son of God is with them. Now, Bible commentators say that this is a foreshadowing or an earlier Old Testament appearance of Jesus, who appears in this fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He appeared in the lion's den. With them? Is that what this is saying? That's the way I'm, I'm reading this. And this is a, an important tie-in because it says that humans can enter into a zone of frequency, a portal, a stargate, which is what I interpreted this as back in 2002, maybe in the year 2000, started researching this story of these three wise men in this portal. And it tells us that that could, in fact, be the lion's den of Daniel. According to uh, Josephon, the beasts in the den received Daniel as faithful dogs might receive their returning master, wagging their tails and licking him. Wow. Okay. What if the lions aren't actual lions? What if the lions are the lion people? And Daniel, and in fact, the three wise men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had gone into a portal where they met the lion people and then came back out. The Midrash Telehim says that the mouth of the lion's den was clothed with a huge stone, which had rolled off of itself from Palestine to Babylon for that purpose. So here's this giant stone that rolled from Palestine to Babylon, and it seals up the lion's den. And upon the stone sat an angel in the shape of a lion, so that Daniel's enemies might not harass him. Well, wait a minute. Rolling away the stone in a lion's den and all of that, that, that sounds familiar. At least it should. 
because this is what happened with the resurrection of Jesus. There was a severe earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven from the throne of God. One of these angels that can cross over the forbidden boundary, take on physicality and face back into his light body and return to that throne came from heaven and rolled back the stone that sealed Christ's tomb and sat on it. That's exactly what just happened a moment ago. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were shaken and became like dead men because they were afraid of him. Is this angel one of Daniel's lion angels? Are the angels the lion people? Are they light beings again? Uh, this is where all this is pointing. Again, Matthew 28, 1 through 8. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. So these lion people have the ability of rolling away stones that seal sepulchers and this type of thing. They're portrayed as lightning-like beings, which means they're plasma. And they have the ability to phase in and out of physicality. So what if the angel in the tomb with Christ is one of the lion people? That, that's what I'm asking you to think about here. What if this angel is one of the lion people? The lion in Christianity also and always represents Jesus's resurrection. And it's thought because lions were believed to sleep with open eyes, a comparison of Christ in the tomb and Christ is the king. But all of these ties to resurrection that I've just bullet pointed for you are giving us a different slant on the nature of the lion people. They're emerging as light beings who phase into physicality and shapeshift and possess the secrets of resurrection and ascension. In 925 BC, the Pharaoh Sheshach, the biblical Shishak, brought the looted treasure of the original Temple of Solomon to the Temple of Bubastis in Leontopolis, the city of the lions. Most people don't know that there was a diaspora during this time, and the Jews built duplicates of Solomon's temple in Elephantine Island in Aswan and also in Leontopolis, the city of the lions near Heliopolis, near Cairo. What we're looking at here is a stella to the lion god who's called Mahes at the Allard Pearson Museum near Amsterdam. Originally, it came from Leontopolis, and the label explains that the Pharaoh presenting him with Matt is a Ptolemy, one of the Ptolemaic Pharaohs, but it's uncertain which one. Mahas is labeled in hieroglyphs as the living lion, and the Greek writing on the stella says something like the holy house of the tomb of the lions. Well, wait a minute. That is saying that Leontopolis is another example of the lion's death. And so we're not talking about four-legged lions here, guys. We're talking about celestial beings being incarnate at these temple sites. When Shishak's son, Orsakhan I, took the throne, he gave huge amounts of gold and silver, estimated at 383 tons, to the temples of Egypt. Some believe that this treasure was stolen from the treasury of Solomon's temple. And this stunning pectoral, which is one of my favorite all-time pieces of ancient Egyptian art, was made from gold from Solomon's temple. Now, here's the thing. Leontopolis, the city of the lions, where this gold was taken, was dedicated to Bastet, who is called the Lady of the East or the Lion Lady. She's of the lion people. She's 
fast step. The cat goddess. Now, here's the thing. Scholars believe that the Book of Enoch was written in Egypt by Essenes sometime after 164 BC when a priest named Onias fled to Leontopolis, the city of the lions, and built a functioning, another functioning copy of Solomon's temple. And this, this community actually flourished up until around 70 AD after the destruction of, of Jerusalem. The exiled priests from Jerusalem who were living at Leontopolis, the city of the lions, are responsible for the book of Enoch. There, and what this also means is the Essenes worshipped or lived in conjunction with the lion people. The Essenes, as I've elaborated on um, for the past decade, believed that they were visited by celestial beings who were assisting them in transforming themselves into angels. Now what I'm asking you to consider here is that it's actually the lion people that they were living with. These Jewish mystics, the Essenes of Leontopolis, also invented the god of the seven rays, Shnubis or Shnumis. Discover the Lexus GX with its available off-road package, allowing you to live life to the fullest over multiple terrains. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. His name comes from the Egyptian creator god, Kunum. We looked at his temple at Kamumbo uh, earlier. And Nufi, meaning good or perfect. So Shnubis is the good or perfect one. He's also equated with the Demiurge, Yaldabaoth, the creator god that stood between the human race and a transcendent god that could only be reached through self-realization or gnosis. In the Gnostic Apocryphon of John, the secret gospel of John, we read that Yaldabaoth had the form of a dragon, the face of a lion, with fiery eyes darting, uh, uh, darting lightning and flames, and Sophia, the goddess of wisdom, wrapped around him in a shining cloud. Now, here we have this extraordinary connection that a lion being and a serpent are fused as one, and it's a being of great illumination. And much has been written about Shnubis as this lion and serpent god in the Gnostic texts. And the Gnostics actually believed that um, the snakes had symbolized the human brain, especially the pineal gland. That's a tie-in, once again, with what we are looking at with the Tree of Life imagery. The Leocephaline uh, is the snake-entwined lion-headed figure of the mystery, the Roman mystery cult Mithraism, the, the Mithraic mysteries that some believe originated in Iran or Persia. The function of this leonine figure is uncertain, but it's thought to guard Mithras's secrets of immortality. We can see exactly why this is, because that is the business of the lion people. Immortality, resurrection, ascension, that is their home. This, The prophecy concerning the coming Messiah was that he would be of the house of the lineage of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and would be born in David's city of Bethlehem. This perhaps answers why Mary, when she's enthroned, is sitting on the lion throne. You're on the lion throne because you're part of the lion people. Again, 
this tribe of celestial beings who have coming who have come to earth to assist in our ascension, resurrection, and transformation. New Testament genealogy traced Jesus's lineage back to David, whose we've already seen belonged to the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he was thought by some to be the Messiah or anointed one who would become the king of the Israelites. So the lion symbolism was appropriate. And we still have it with us today. How many times do you, do you see images online and elsewhere of Jesus as the, as half human Half lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And now you know why. Now you know the ancient lineage out of which this symbolism emerged. We're talking about Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is the lion of a tribe of celestial beings that uh, originated uh, back in ancient Egypt and Samaria, all throughout the Middle East, but originally came from the stars. And it's my firm connection or conviction, rather, that the lineage of the lion people continues. They're among us today. We are those lions. We are the the lions of the light, the lions of the angelic tribe, those on the path of ascension, resurrection and immortality. That is us. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed this presentation. I believe I've got a few minutes for some questions or discussion And I I once again thank uh, Neil Gore and everybody at Portal to Ascension for uh, giving me this opportunity. Tourists. Tourists that turn into scientists. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay, everybody. Penny's going to get this, and you've got to listen to this at least ten more times. Mother's a very busy lady. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, the next one. Next one, Rama. This is called Conscious Action. Ethan Fox and Michaela. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. One hour, almost 12 minutes. Welcome to another episode of the Awaken Empowered Podcast. I'm Michaela Sheldon. I'm here with Ethan Fox. And if you're seeing any ads on this video, if you're on YouTube, feel free to follow us on Rumble. We're also on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. And if you watched our last podcast on Walking Between Worlds, Ethan and I took a bird's eye view of the collective landscape and some of the things that we see coming as potential manifestations and how we're preparing for those in our personal lives, of course, None of us really knows um, what the future holds, but but we can make a pretty good determination based on our instincts and and our critical mind and looking at everything that we have to deal with right now. Shortly after that video came out, uh, we had the catastrophic events that happened in Maui. And of course, there are many others going on throughout the world. And Padme, you're on line one. Hi there, greetings. I just wanted to jump in as I catch my breath and say, holy furry mackerel, was that a something? (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Wow. (laughs) Especially being a lion and all, and I said to the cake, my cat, which you guys all know, and but I used to say to her, I love you to the coastline of Judah and back. And she, anyway, I just, that was really fun to share 
um, in live time with you guys, and that was just beautiful. So thank you. Bless you, and I, that's all. <laughs> just thank you. Yes. It's all true. It's all true. Incredible. All right. So continue. Yeah. All right. All right. Off so, I go and and on we go. Thank you. Thank you. This be a really hard thing for us to process. Uh, you know, whether you're there in the midst of all of the chaos uh, or not, and you know, in spiritual communities, I think we have a really hard time understanding how to best deal with these scenarios and how we can truly make an impact, which I don't think is vibrationally only, yet that is a very important part, I think, that we have to consider before we get into the physical considerations, because I think it's natural for all of us to feel extremely angry and saddened by the manipulation and the orchestration of these events, which those of you who come to these videos understand you are operating in higher consciousness. You can see through the stark transparency that's going on right now that these are not by accident. These are seeded, as we've mentioned, very similarly to those great flood periods. Now, I don't think feeling the negative emotions is such a bad thing. And and we, we criticize that a lot of times in these communities because there's fear of contributing to the vibration. And I think that we can contribute to the vibration depending on how we process that emotion. So as highly conscious beings, what we're striving for is to be real and to feel what we feel, but to also observe ourselves in the feeling, to know that the emotion that we have can be a motivating factor in taking conscious action on the physical plane that actually makes a difference uh, in these various scenarios. And, and of course, we always have to work both sides of the equation as we talk about all the time. And the guides bring this into Almost every transmission I've done, every private session that I've done, it doesn't matter if you're in a geographic region that has experienced a weather event or in your personal life, you're dealing with something like cancer or loss of a loved one. The vibrational and physical considerations, uh, both equal in terms of your input and what is then output into the world. And I know that many are you know, meditating and creating ceremonies and going in and trying to clean up portals and, and all these things, which are extremely important. Yet, I think by our very nature, we have to consider that we came here to be physical. And while we're awakening to these things, these incredible gifts and abilities that we have, we're also learning how to manage the physical and energetic as one. So, so I think there are many different ways that we can address these topics as we speak to these events. Yeah, I think what we've been learning in the channel revelation shows up to this point is the distinction between third and fifth dimension. Yeah. And we've talked about this in many different contexts and even on some of our podcasts. And I and this this topic is um is something we can look at from that perspective as well, because there, you know, in the third dimension, 
uh, emotion is different from the fifth dimension. And the, and the emotion is still the same, but how we treat emotion is different. In the third dimension, emotion is a purely third dimensional thing. And um, people who experience emotions in a purely third dimensional way tend to get attached to the emotion. And, uh, and over time, it can build more density in the energy field. This is why on the whole, people in the third dimension tend to have more density than people in the fifth dimension. And as a result, you can have more suffering in the third dimension and more hardship in the third dimension. So for those people who are operating entirely in the third dimension, these concepts will make no sense. And and it, it's not really easy for them to conceive of the idea of not being attached to the emotion. So, for example, maybe you're in a marriage and you uh, don't like your spouse and you've been hating that person for the past 20 years. That emotion continues to build your own density, which ends up causing you uh, more suffering in the long run. And then if someday you move on from that relationship to another one, you take all that density with you and then you repeat the same pattern. As we discussed in the last Channel Revelation show about how Patterns repeat in our lives and also on a global scale until we raise those patterns to a higher level. And uh, and that's not very easy to do when you have a lot of density. So whereas as you are moving between a third and fifth dimensional uh, way of being, you still experience emotions. But the difference is that there, the attachment to the emotion isn't there. So you can observe yourself having an emotion. For example... Maybe there's something difficult happening in your life or on the global stage and you experience certain emotions, whether it be positive or negative. Uh, what, what's different is as you approach a fifth dimensional awareness, you start not only feeling the emotion that you're feeling that you would have still felt in the third dimension, but you start experiencing yourself feeling the emotion, meaning you can sort of step outside of your uh, your human experience in the third dimension and observe from a multidimensional lens the you that's experiencing that emotion. And that allows you to still have the emotion and still go through the experience of the emotion, which we're all meant to do or we wouldn't have them. But at the same time, we don't get absorbed into and lost in the emotion and then add more density onto the experience. Uh, that we take with us long term. And that way also we can process the emotion a lot quicker and do something positive with it or move on to the next experience in our lives without carrying whatever forward, whatever density that results from it forward into our future lives and future relationships. So, so I think that's a distinction that needs to be made when we're processing emotions of any kind in, in this human experience. For those of us who are transitioning to more of a fifth dimensional awareness. Now, for those who are still in a very third dimensional awareness, what I say, what I'm saying or speaking about right now will make no sense and will not be something that that they can do or that they even would be interested in doing. So it, it does require more of a fifth dimensional perspective to even comprehend the, these concepts. But once you do, you have that option. It doesn't mean that a person who's operating fifth dimensionally as well as the third does that automatically the opportunity and the option becomes available but then it's up to you to start utilizing that ability 
by being an observer of your experience while you're walking in the third dimension and having that experience. So I think it's very important to do that because that's how we um, can move forward without accumulating more and more density and resulting in more suffering and hardship in our lives going forward. Yeah, I think what we're looking to do, and this is what the guides say, is to neutralize the emotion. And people get really stuck on the concept of being neutral because it assumes that we don't feel or that we don't care. And, and I don't think that's the case at all. If we are having an emotion and we are conscious of that emotion, we're actually neutralizing the emotion because what consciousness will cause us to do is make a direct connection between our personal lives and whatever is going on that's making us feel a certain way. So like the guides bring in this really interesting analogy of resistance, which they say is actually good as long as we don't stay there. And, and actually, if we stay in resistance too long, the universe is going to come in and, and just break apart the whole experience for us. Anyway, we've all had that go on where we've been in resistance of something in our life. Maybe we knew we had to leave a relationship or we had to leave a job and we kept getting knocked over the head until we finally relented or it just broke apart anyway, because the universe knew we stayed too long. Well, what resistance is doing anywhere we feel it, if we feel resistance towards, for example, the global leaders who are orchestrating these malevolent events, it's showing us the way to neutralize them because wherever we feel resistance, we're meant to go the opposite direction. For, for some reason, it's calling our attention to uh, an experience, um, an area of the planet, and an ex- experience in our personal lives or collectively that is not meant for us. The problem is when we feel that resistance, it's it's easy to stay there because it's a comfort zone. It, you know, it's it, we can even apply this to relationships, which I know is a hot topic right now because we're in Venus retrograde and Mercury retrograde, where it's easier for us to gossip about our loved one that we're in a fight with than to actually neutralize the energy of the fight, right? So. So sometimes resistance is a comfortable place to be. We can keep pointing at the problem and saying the problem is the problem, but we are all the ones who are birthing the solution. So in order for us to take conscious action on a planet that is turbulent and in a a, a state of flux fluctuation, I think we're the ones who have to find that center point within ourselves. And I think when we do, We don't have to worry about these momentary bursts of anger that we feel when we see things going on like this or sadness. I mean, I've even had moments where I've lost hope and and I think that's very natural, but I don't stay there. And I think that's the difference that you're talking about that, that consciousness ushers in is that even though we feel we have the ability to to see and feel beyond that present moment and and the guides always call it like a camera lens where we're expanding the the um viewpoint of the camera so that we can consider more options and i think what those options are can be elusive right now because we feel as if we are a single human being in the midst of these very collective and tragic events yet the guides are always pointing out how important each individual contribution is to those events. And 
in the book, it gets a little uncomfortable, I think, because the guides point out that we all have to take responsibility for the things that we see happening on the surface of the earth. And I think sometimes it's easier for us as spiritual beings to have taken responsibility for what's happened in the cosmos of our own personal lives. And many of us have, you know, we've awakened out of these old patterns and belief systems that have been programmed within us, um, limitations, ancestral patterns, things like that, where we've been really operating in a, in a subconscious way to our detriment. But now I think we're taking those things up to the next level because we're ready to, we're, we're ready to look at the world and say, okay, this happened on the other side of the planet, but how in my life am I somehow contributing to that? And, and that is not an easy stance to take. Many of us don't want to look at that yet. I think it's important that we have to. And when we do, we can become more empowered because I don't think it's the really big things that are going to make the biggest impact on these events. And I think that's where a lot of us in this community do lose hope to see an energy weapon utilized on human beings, animals, the earth. It is almost an impossible event from an individual standpoint to say that you can neutralize. And that's why we have to bring it so much closer to home and actually look at what in our personal lives can we change that is somehow connected to these greater events. What you're getting at is really living in a non-resistant way, Mm -hmm. which in concept sounds very spiritualized but but in practical application i think a lot of people don't understand what that really means like how do you live in that way right and and especially now with um chiron's been in aries since the last few years and it'll be there till i think 2026 and and which is a period of time when um aries energy is sort of overblown and as we can see because of that egos tend to be a little bit um out of perspective um people are more angry during this period of time. As we can see, the last few years, everybody's fighting with everybody. Everybody's feels the need to express their voice, their opinions loudly on social media and argue with each other. Um, there's wars. Um, so basically, the egoic expression of individuals and, and the collective is very high right now and more violence and things like that. But violence that's happening on a global scale is happening within us too. So I think that's what we need to understand is non-resistance doesn't mean you have to go out there and physically, you know, do things that are non-productive. You know, for example, a lot of people protesting these days, waste of energy produces nothing. And it's just reinforcing the slavery mentality we have in society today that you have to beg to an overlord to give you the right to live the life the way you want to. Um, and I think that's the problem today is that is that people um, are not taking personal responsibility for for living in a non-resistant way that supports the life that in the world they want. Um, now, while Chiron is in Aries, these Aries energies are going to show up. And so we're going to see a lot of anger and hostility on the planet until we get past that. But, uh, but, you know, to be in a non-resistant way, I think it's, it's fairly s- simple to do in our lives. We can, um, for example, a lot of the things that are evils that are happening in the world are because people are supporting it. I mean, there's only 
a few thousand people on the planet today who orchestrate all the world events and there's billions of the rest of us who are subject to these things. So how do those few thousand people manage to control the lives and the actions of everybody else? It's because we comply with those things. We support those individuals in order to enslave us. And we do that every day in all the little things that we do and the little choices we make and things that would not require us to protest, would not require us to get angry or even lift a finger, really just small choices we make every day. And I talk about all the time. I know, you know, not paying your taxes is a, feels like a big choice to people, but, but really it's not. I mean, that's a choice that we're all making. Uh, and it's a choice that we can stop making because those, Things that we're doing are supporting the system and the few thousand people in the world by giving them all this money so that they can orchestrate the things that they do. So they do these things and then orchestrate back to us are the slavery that we don't want. Um, so these things like um, the fires in Maui or even all the other nefarious things. And a lot of people don't follow what's happening in China, but it's even much worse there than than Maui right now, because. They're, I mean, they're an openly communist society where the U.S. is a covertly communist society these days. But, but there, the government is flooding their towns and and cities, and millions of people are probably dying, um, and all their homes are being washed away, and they don't care. So, same thing is happening there as is happening in in the United States, except. Uh, most people here don't hear about it because China has better censorship than in the U.S., although here it's getting to that point where censorship is getting really good here as well. So most people don't even know these things are going on. Uh, and even if you were to talk to your average family member these days, they would just think you're crazy. But just like we were talking last time about how everybody thought we were crazy about chemtrails for the past 20 years, and now it's out in the open. So I think the reason conspiracy theories exist is because society is waking up. The reason that the CIA came up with the term conspiracy theory is to negate the mass awakening and awareness that people are having in all the nefarious things that are happening in the world. And so I, I think if if we believe certain things are as they are, as the, for example, the energy weapons everybody's talking about these days, it's happening because not because people are making stuff up. I mean, sometimes they are, but it's happening because more and more people are becoming conscious. And as we become conscious, we start gravitating to certain ideas of what's actually happening in the world, even though there may not be a lot of evidence yet to support it. Just like the last few years and the vaccine and the virus, we didn't have a lot of evidence to support it at first, but we just knew. And I think a lot of people did know. Uh, and in the same way, many of these things happening today, we're starting to see more and more people believe in things that are not part of the mainstream narrative without a lot of actual physical evidence to support it in the beginning because it's being censored, because it's true and because consciousness is expanding. But then comes to we need to live in such a way that we are in a uh, non-resistant way moving the world in the direction we want to go. And that may be you don't support institutions that are oppressing the people. You don't pay your taxes. You don't, um, you know, maybe in the next few years, we're going to have a central bank digital currency and a social credit system in the U.S. to deal with. It's already fully 
fully set up in China. You can go watch videos on what it's like in China to see what's coming here. Um, so what happens when those things come out here? What happens when they may say, well, you have to use a central bank digital currency and have your iris scanned in order to have a driver's license? Is everybody going to go get their iris scanned to get a driver's license? I don't know. I mean, that's, I think the, us accepting these things and adopting these things like the last few years, um, I think, you know, the government and the people who control the world can only do so much. Uh, The reason that everything was a dystopian last few years is because we enforced things on each other. There are people enforcing masks on each other, enforcing vaccines on each other. You should get vaccinated because so you don't harm the other person. But and so I think at the end of the day, we actually became the policemen for the world leaders to orchestrate all the nefarious things that are happening. And we're doing this even today and by just going along with things when in a neutral, non-resistant way, we can just live our lives and not support these things. You know, in, in China, the same thing's happening in Maui, which is regular people are showing up to try to help the people who are, you know, they've lost their homes and they've lost their loved ones and, and they're, uh, and, and the government is telling and is telling them they can't do it because they, these regular people who just want to help, they're just regular nice people are not allowed to help people who are suffering because the government has determined that it's against the law because they didn't give them permission to help. That's a ridiculous idea. I mean, at what point did we as human beings decide that it was okay for us to not help others when we feel like we can? But we are enabling the governments and the systems of the world to put us in a position where we can't be human beings, where we are not allowed to care for each other because some government institution is forbidding us from going over there and bringing them water or food or whatever. The same thing's happening in Maui, right? I mean, people are bringing food and it's being destroyed or or they're not allowed to help because uh, they have not been authorized by FEMA to do so. Meanwhile, FEMA is not doing anything. Exact same thing happening in China right now. So this is where enough people have to start in a non-resistant way to do the right thing and to live in alignment with their values and stop supporting these institutions that are just turning around and enslaving us in return. And we also have to stop worshiping these world leaders. I mean, if, if there's anything we've talked about very consistently throughout all the channel revelation shows is, is the, the God is within. And whenever we take that outside of us and look at another person as our, uh, as our giver of source or provider of source, we, lose our own power. And this is what I see happening in the world today. Whether that outsider of yourself, outside individual is the government or the president of the United States or FEMA or whoever it is, or Elon Musk, um, any of those individuals who we look at as the hero who's going to save us, we are giving away our power to an outside source and, and as a result, cutting off source from within us as well. And and I think this is one of the biggest issues I see in the world today is everybody's looking for somebody else to save us. <laughs> and meanwhile, empowering the very people who are enslaving everybody. 
Uh, I think that's got to change and, and it, it has to happen with each individual person making small decisions in their life that move their life and society in a better direction. Um, set all politics aside because it has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with us creating a peaceful, loving society, which has nothing to do with politics at all. Uh, and I think that's another area that is a problem as well. Yeah, I think we have to be careful as to recognizing what timelines we're entangling ourselves within. And it's it's hard to distinguish because we know what is right and what is wrong. Yet, I think there are a lot of people who are still highly invested in the old system solving the problems that have always been here through the exact same system. And, you know, in the book, the guides say government has to break down. And that's why we're seeing with such transparency all of the evil intent of these government structures like FEMA, like the Red Cross, you know, things that we thought were doing good in the world that we now know are things we should not entangle our energy in because they must be dismantled. They are not serving humanity. But further, I think the idea of justice comes into this because when we see these things happen on the surface of the earth, it's again, it's natural to become so angry that we want justice. We, we want these people to have to pay for what they have done to the earth and, and very controversial yet in the book, the guides say that's not really what you want because when we attempt to get justice, we're entangling ourselves in the very systems that actually take it away. And right. justice is actually our true nature. We are justice in every moment if we align our lives to the truth. So what we're going for is not to hold others responsible and have to beat on the doors of our senators and our governors and our president and all of these people we think are going to save us because that's just the old model. What we want to do is put so much energy into building the new that the old simply goes away. And I know the question will come up in the comments. What about, you know, certain presidential candidates who are talking the talk and they are bringing things to the surface that in these conscious communities we want. And I personally think that there are two ways to look at this. Um, we know we've talked about there are plants, obviously, and I think playing sides is what the people at the top are really good at. They're good at creating a theatrical presentation of right versus wrong left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, all those things. They want that, just like you said, because they want the argument. But I think also, as we move through this period, we are seeing reflections of the growth of consciousness just by these conversations that are coming up in some of these old archaic systems, because we would have never seen presidential candidates talking about 9-11 in the way that they are or, you know, some of the the things that, you know, have been hidden throughout time that are all being exposed right now. Do I think that those candidates are actually going to get into office in a structure that is founded upon manipulation and be able to put those things in action? 
Not necessarily because it's an old third dimensional timeline. And remember, it's collapsing on itself. It's founded on restriction of freedom. And that restriction is becoming tighter and tighter and tighter. So if any good is going to be done, it's going to be done outside of that system, which I think is a really hard thing to accept. And, and, you know, everyone's got their opinion on this. You know, personally for me, just going to the voting booth is a profound waste of my energy. And, And I might get some backlash on that and that's okay. But if we even look at the voting system and what's happened in elections in the past, we know that this is just as corrupt as anything else. So, so we have to pull all of our energy out of the things that are doing no good for us or for the planet as a whole and put the balance of that energy into creating timelines that exist outside and beyond this system, whether it be taxation and how we deal with that. Are we going to go to the Secretary of State and give up our DNA or the imprint of our finger or our eyes to a system that we know is going to do no good with it just because we want to be free to drive? All of these things, I think, are considerations. And they're perfect because Really, for us to move into the new earth, none of these things can go with us. They, they just absolutely can't. And, and I believe if we keep going in that direction, we won't have to worry so much anymore about these situations like in Beijing and China and Maui. Not to say that those who are orchestrating these events are going to give up that easily. I think it's going to obviously take some time. So in the interim, We really have to focus our energetic currency on the things that make the biggest impact. And then we also have to consider how much we're entangling ourselves with that reptilian system by arguing about it with others. And, you know, we talk about this a lot on social media. Everyone wants to share the latest news and expose the latest, right, controversy that's going on. And I I don't think that's necessarily an issue. I think it's how you do it and how you entangle yourself in it that's so important because there are some people on the planet who are never going to awaken to the things that you know that we're talking about that seem so obvious to us. We have to let those people be exactly where they are and respect and honor the path that they're on. But know that the majority and I truly believe this, the majority is going in the opposite direction. And I say this because I've had texts from family members lately. I would never expect thought an event like Maui could have even been close to an energy weapon situation telling me that it was. And to me, that's an incredible sign of awakening consciousness. So I think if there's anything good that could possibly come out of these events, it's going to be strengthening community, people coming together beyond these corrupt systems to build, rebuild, to create, to help each other, but also mass awakening of the people who never realized that all of this was going on right beneath the radar of our minds or right beneath the surface of our experience. And the more people that awaken, even though it takes some time, 
the more we're going to move that new earth forward. And, you know, something else to keep in mind, I think about Chiron and Aries, and this has come into the channeling is that first stage of awakening that we typically go through is through trauma, right? Something happens in our life that awakens us to something that we never thought or saw before. And we can feel really angry about that. I I know for me, you know, my awakening came out of chronic pain. But once I did awaken and I saw the world through a different lens, I was so devastated by what I actually saw and realized. I was concerned for my children. I was angry. So, So I think a lot of the anger in the world, in some respects, it has to bubble up and express right now because it is clearing that density out of the way. And and I think that's somewhat healthy as long as it's done in a conscious fashion. Yeah, I mean, with regard to anger or even emotion in general, um, you know, how I've been experiencing emotions myself is, uh, you know, I experience emotions like I did 20, 30 years ago, although I can't recall how I was experiencing it then. But probably I would imagine in more of a third dimensional way 20, 30 years ago, but I can't be sure. But nowadays, when I feel an emotion, I become aware of what I'm feeling. And it's more like, uh, you know, I scratch my head a little bit and I think, oh, that's interesting that I'm feeling that mm-hmm. thing. And so I start observing myself feeling what I'm feeling and and think about what does that feel like in the body right now? Or, you know, like what's actually going on? Oh, that's, you know, it's happening right here or it's happening right here. Uh, and so I start sort of uh, observing the experience of having the emotion. And in so doing, you take yourself out of being lost in it and, and you process through it very quickly. And on the other side, it's just, you know, comes and goes. It's no big deal. Um, but, you know, getting back to politics for a moment, I think it's really important. And I know a lot of people are not ready to hear this idea, but I don't think any politician is on our side. I think they're all on the same side and that side is not our side. Mm-hmm. So they may say they're Republican or Democrat or whatever they say they are. And but I think it's just two sides of the same coin. And even though they may say different things, everything that they do is on a side that's not our side. You know, we have to understand that. People who are in the justice system or the billionaires of the world or the people in government, they are operating in a different aspect of society than we are. They don't live by the same rules that we do. They don't have to. And so you can't expect them to care about the same things we do. You know, if if people are going to a nine to five job to you know pay for their food and their mortgage and and have a decent life. That's not the same kind of problems that people in the position of uh, of governmental power or the justice system or the billionaires have. So we can't expect that they're there for our best interests. It doesn't serve them to be there for our best interests because they wouldn't be in power very long if that's the case. Um, so. I think that that the this and of course a lot of these in in my research are the same kind of systems we have today in the world from the justice system to the governmental system goes back to um uh, Sumerian times and Mesopotamian times so this is a, an ancient system that has just been reinvented 
in, in every new civilization. And the U.S. is no different. So, you know, the justice system does not exist for justice. Uh, a lot of people think it does. And of course, even in my earlier life, I was in business and I had a legal team and, and we had to deal with legal things. But the thing that you have to understand is that the whole justice system is created to keep those in power in power right. and to, to keep them in a position where they control everything and make money and make money. Mm-hmm. It's not there for justice. It's not there to create a fair system for everybody. It's there to keep a few people at the top ruling over everybody else. Because let's face it, if a billionaire commits some major crime or uh, it doesn't matter, like let's take Bill Gates, he can openly destroy the lives of billions of people and he is applauded on the world stage. And media says he's amazing. The majority of human beings still think he's amazing. Um, and yet he's probably hurt more people than, than most people who are sitting in jail today. So the justice system does not exist for justice. It exists to keep those in power in power and to keep them out of trouble so that they can keep doing what they're doing because the, the people who are the most unjust in society today are the ones who rule the world. And yet they're the ones who control the justice system. So we have to understand that. And the same thing about the voting system is, again, this is another non-resistant way we can participate by not participating because it exists to divide us as a society. People are on the side of Republican or Democrat, but how many people would really disagree on the basic fundamentals of life? Most of us, with the exception of a few people, just want to go about our lives and be happy and take care of our families and have friends and good relationships and and have enough money to have a good life and to pursue our dreams. I would imagine 90%, 95% of the people in the world just want to do that. They, they just want to be left alone to do that. But why is it that with no matter how many politicians everybody votes into office, it, it never that never gets there. It just continues to get worse. And, and and so when we start choosing sides between Democrat or Republican or whatever party you think you belong to, the Communist Party, whatever, um, we are dividing ourselves from each other. And instead of looking at the person next to us and saying, oh, we kind of want the same thing. We want a peaceful society where we can both go about our lives and, and be happy as long as we're not hurting anybody else or taking their ability away to be happy, it doesn't matter. And yet, people, two people who may have those same values will fight with each other on social media because one's a Democrat and the other one's a Republican and one thinks that the current president's amazing and the last president is an idiot and the other one thinks the last president should be president and the current president's an idiot. It doesn't really matter. The best way to change that system is to not vote. If enough people didn't vote, the people in power would realize that they can't control the people anymore. We need to start taking responsibility for ourselves. We need to start taking care of each other. So if there's suffering in Maui, we need to be in enough numbers to 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 be out there and helping in a way that government institutions like FEMA can't stop that. Or if there's 
propaganda or psychological programming that's manipulating society into controlling each other or pushing each other around on behalf of the world leaders, as we've seen in the recent few years, we need to be in enough numbers to not do that. Because at the end of the day, source is within us. We, we are, um, you know, divinely created that way. But when we start to point at another person and say, your behavior is unacceptable to me and it's making me unhappy, just like we've seen, especially the last few years, the Chiron Aries, everybody's unhappy because somebody else's behavior isn't good for me. Uh, that is the reason why we're suffering as a society and we are empowering the very people who are reinforcing that suffering. Um, so, so I think that's where we have to go back to our basic fundamental values in society because if we get, if we can get there and put all this other political and other nonsense aside, we'll realize that we all want the same thing. Except for a few people who rule the world. I mean, they obviously don't want the same thing. They want to keep ruling the world. And in order to do so, they need the justice system and they need taxes and they need to keep everybody else subservient and fighting with each other. But the rest of us don't want that. You know, we could have a utopia tomorrow if politics went away. Uh, it, it exists purely to divide us as a society. And as long as society is divided, the world leaders continue to rule because as long as the divided, we have divided society between those who are Republican, Democrat, those who have this kind of sexual preference and those who have that kind of sexual preference and those who are black and those who are white and those who are brown. We can, if we can create that division in society as world leaders, we now get everybody to fight with each other. Instead of, and so we don't have to rule them because they'll rule each other. They'll keep each other down. And meanwhile, it becomes very easy to control society when the reality is black people and white people and the people who have different sexual preferences all want the same thing. They don't really disagree on, on those fundamental things, but we are being misled by our world leaders and the justice system and all and billionaires and so on to fight with each other over trivial things that don't really contribute to our happiness in any which way. Mm -hmm. and, and those are areas, I think, where we could fundamentally change society just by living in a non-resistant way and going back to what actually matters. Yeah, I want to make a couple of points about some of the things you just said. And the first has to do with the emotion and how you said consciousness allows you to step back and observe yourself in the emotion. And I've had that experience as well. And, and what I think it also does is it helps us think about a world that is suffering as well. So, so when I've gone through difficult times or emotions, whether it's been, I've been sick or, you know, things have happened in the world that have upset me. What consciousness allows me to do is step out of the emotion and think about how others are feeling. And that's what brings unity consciousness back when we're not just thinking about ourselves. We're observing how we feel and we know there are other people feeling the same way, which motivates us to want to do the things that we came here to do, because I think we all have a very unique and specific purpose in, in how we are contributing right to the new earth. But the government piece I know people are out there thinking, well, what are we going to do without government? Right? Who's going to build roads and, and all of this? Well, 
we have to keep in mind we're going from a more consolidated government power to decentralization. So a lot of us in spiritual circles talk about spiritual community, right? And we want to build community. Well, that's where the government, which I don't even want to call it that. I want to call it, you know, enlightened councils of ancient times come back together. And these are people who have experience in different areas who are looking out for the benefit of the people as opposed to themselves. And I think that's going to be, you know, a natural evolution. And could we see some of the current candidates who are coming out speaking about some of these things do that? I don't know. Maybe. I'm just saying I think that's ultimately where we're heading is decentralization. And and as I mentioned in the last podcast, that may even start at the, the state level where the state government is going to become more benevolently focused out of necessity because the you know federal government is just putting too many restrictions on states to actually be able to survive and and for the people to flourish. So so I think that's the direction that we want to head and then from there break that down, you know, even further. The the third thing I want to talk about is justice and I get questions in private session a lot from people who have had betrayals in their life, you know, financially or in business, like you were talking about, about lawsuits. You know, I'm going to hire a lawyer. I'm going to try to get my money back. You know, this guy slighted me. I'm going to get even. What do the guides think I should do? Well, I can tell you across the board throughout the very, you know, many years I've been doing private sessions. I've never once heard the guide say you should file a lawsuit because We have to remember, nobody can take anything away from you that the universe will not provide in a better fashion. And and that's a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to this event in Hawaii. The universe is rebalancing everything. We talk about that pendulum, right, moving from side to side and then coming into balance. That happens in our personal life. No one can take anything away from us that we were not meant to somehow have replaced by something else, or they may have needed it more than we did. But what happens is we, as I mentioned, entangle ourselves in the wrong timeline. So when we create a lawsuit and we go through the justice system, the justice system is benefiting the, the attorneys, the judges, the, the government behind it all. They are making money. And they're siphoning our emotional energy because it's a very emotional thing to try to get justice when you've had a betrayal in your life. But we also have to keep in mind it keeps you in the past. So while that lawsuit's going on and you're you're entangled in that system, you're also remaining in the past where the old energy exists. So we can take that analogy and we can put it into all of these world events where we're trying to get justice. We're banging our fist on the table. We want to expose Bill Gates. We want to expose the World Economic Forum. And we should, and they are being exposed. However, if we try to get justice there, we're just going to find ourselves more enmeshed in the timeline. And they know that, which is why they create all of the chaos and the drama to begin with. So So that drama, it siphons our life force. It doesn't 
give us the energy and the strength that we need to to do the things that are innate within us that are the most impactful creations that we're here to offer humanity. So we always have to keep this in mind. And I know it's hard because it's an old way of thinking that I, I think we're breaking out of. We have been betrayed. There are things going on that are not fair. But as long as we walk the path of our soul's divine plan without any interference and we do the things that we are meant to do, the universe is going to provide for us from that pool of resource. We talk about it a lot in these podcasts. Uh, We've called it a cosmic inheritance, for example, because we're all here with the support that we need to live the life that we came to live. The problem is there is a force that is interfering with that birthright. And so if we stay entangled with that force, we're going to continue to feel as if our freedom, energy, currency, uh, that inheritance is being taken away. And that's been the norm on the planet for a very long time. So we have to take the paths less traveled. We have to take risks. And we have to unwind ourselves from from the drama and from trying to get justice through old systems that are ultimately corrupted and we cannot get justice through. In, in speaking to what you're saying about government, I think there's a misnomer in society, not just in the spiritual community, but society as a whole. And of course, if I were to say this in public, everybody would stone me to death probably. <laughs> but that all this idea that if, if we don't pay taxes, there are going there are going to be no roads and bridges is ridiculous because that money doesn't go as federal income tax, especially does not go toward roads and bridges. It's just a uh, misconception of propaganda that's been perpetrated in society to where now everybody just parrots that out automatically. When you say, well, don't pay your taxes. Well, what about the bridges and roads? The reality is, the the grounded third dimensional practical reality is that money does not go to roads and bridges. And and even the money that does go to roads and bridges, which primarily comes from gas tax in the U.S., every country may be different. But in the U.S., when you're pumping your gasoline, that tax in your state is what goes to roads and bridges. It's not your federal income tax, not even your state income tax. So most of that is coming from there. But even then... It's not the government that fixes the roads and bridges. It's private contractors. So private contractors, anybody could hire. So basically what government does is they reallocate resources, meaning they steal money from people through taxes and confiscation and other means, and they allocate it however they want. So meaning they're taking your tax money and then they decide, okay, well, we're going to put all this money into fighting a war in some other country. Did you vote for that or did you authorize that? No. So basically government produces nothing. They don't manufacture anything. They don't create anything. They just simply take money from the people and they reallocate it into areas they want to reallocate it to. They give the money to certain private contractors to do whatever they want them to do, whether it is government, um, or military contracts military or, complex. right? Yeah. Or the mm-hmm. medical industry, the mm-hmm. medical industrial complex. So this is where taxes go. So when you pay your taxes, understand that you are financing all of these things. You are not building roads and bridges. Now, if there was no gas tax, it would have to come from somewhere. But, but even then, uh, 
we don't need government to build roads and bridges. We could, as a community, decide we're going to hire this contractor because we like those people. They do good things. And we're going to have them build our roads in our local area. We don't need a federal level uh, contribution for that. So on the federal level, most of your money goes toward things that most of us would never support. And so this is what I'm saying is we empower these individuals to create a society that none of us wants to live in. And meanwhile, we argue with each other over ridiculous, meaningless things like, you know, sexual politics or things like that. None of us cares. A few people care. None of the rest of us don't care. The rest of us just want to have a good life and have, want to have roads that don't have potholes in them and want to make sure that everybody's fed and clothed and people are happy and we can you know, live abundant lives. That's all we pretty much care about. We don't need to steal from each other. We just want to have good lives ourselves. A few people want to steal from each other. They're the ones in government. But but we're nonetheless empowering these individuals to create suffering in society. And, and I think this is one of the major issues I see in society. We argue over silly things that are inconsequential. Meanwhile, we are physically taking actions and making decisions that empower the infrastructure of society to create the things that we are arguing that we don't want. So this is where something has to change there at some point. We can't just philosophize and spiritualize these ideas away forever. At some point, as physical human beings, we have to take physical steps. And it doesn't have to be going out there and protesting or taking guns and showing up and, you know, at the government office and whatever. We can do this in very non-resistant, passive ways in our everyday lives and in the, in the things that we choose to participate in, in the types of things we watch and the music we listen to. And like you're saying, participating in the justice system. At the end of the day, we have created the lives we we're meant to live. So if we're meant to lose money, we're going to lose that money anyway. So what's the point in in suffering through a court case when all you're doing is you're financing the judicial system and all the people involved in it who are getting rich off of the suffering of humanity? You're just enabling them to keep doing what they're doing. Whereas if you just move on with your life and create something better instead of dragging out the suffering and misery that you had in the past, uh, you will live a better life that way. Uh, and, and so these are just very simple, fundamental ideas, I think, that, that if we could just shift the way that we think about the way we live and the way we make small choices in our lives every day, including the products that we buy uh, and the people that we support in, in how we buy the things that we buy or the work that we choose to do uh, with our lives. Um, in the last Channel Revelations, we spent some time talking about how as a human race, we've been um, bred to be workers, to work for the system and for the people who rule the world, rather than pursuing something that we're here to do, that, that our hearts are uh, are drawn toward doing. That would be another great thing, too. You know, not working at a job that you really don't like, that doesn't fulfill you, but instead doing something that you're really good at doing, 
and that you also enjoy doing and find fulfillment in doing. And I think if, if everybody did that, we would not have the, the corrupt society we have today because everybody would be connecting to source themselves. The reason we have governments that oppress the people is because we have become a society where we look to our heroes to save us. And, and meanwhile, those heroes are the ones who are causing all the suffering, but we're looking to them to save us from the suffering that they're creating. It's never going to work. So at some point as a society, we're going to have to take responsibility for ourselves instead of putting that in the hands of somebody else and expecting they're going to do it when they're the ones who are creating the suffering in the first place. So, I mean, I see a lot of these issues that, that I, I, uh, I would like to see more people taking uh, personal responsibility in, in their day-to-day lives or even, you know, even a lot of the, the problems in schools these days where children are being indoctrinated with all kinds of philosophical beliefs. The majority of us would never support. And yet, all I see is parents, um, you know, protesting in, uh, in the school board meetings. What, what is that going to do? Uh, you could pull your kids out of school. That would be a better way to do it, I think, because I know it's a hassle, but if I had kids, that's what I would do because I think the solution, instead of putting more anger and hostility and fighting up against and creating more resistance, you could just simply take the passive approach and pull your kids out of school and teach them yourself or put them in another program that is that is not going to do that. Uh, and in that way, if enough people did that, the school system would change or it would just go away and be replaced by something more enlightened and more conscious. This is where I think we have to start making those conscious physical choices in small ways in our everyday life. And in so doing, we can move toward a more enlightened society where, where we can all have, you know, happiness and fulfillment and, and peace. Uh, and, and, and I, I think in that future, government may still exist, at least in the short term, but it'd be a very small government, a government that just deals with the basics. Uh, we don't need, the problem I think is we gave too much power to government in, in the decades past. Uh, where we now expect government to take care of our kids, uh, and we entrust them with that, and they don't, uh, they don't do very good with that. We expect government to take care of our elderly when family units should be doing that. We expect our government to provide the counseling for our children when they're older and having emotional problems when we should be the ones doing that. And so now kids, when they're getting older, they don't really go to their parents or their family members anymore. They go to government institutions like psychotherapists for advice. And this is this is the problem because these institutions and the people who work for them are trained to keep people in control through drugs or psychological manipulation. We have to take back responsibility of these 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 things, these aspects of society that we have given to our government, whether that is building the roads or the bridges, or whether that is counseling our own kids, or whether that is teaching our own kids, um, or whether that is taking care of our elderly, whatever that is, those powers should not be given away to an outsider 
we should be doing those things. And, and I think that's where we have to go in a very physical, physical, tangible way as a society. Yeah, those who listen to our podcasts and, you know, even some of our past shows, Ethan and I are a bit different from others in the spiritual community, even though that's a huge part of our focus in terms of the things that we do. And and, and this is why, because I personally don't believe in, in all that I've channeled that we can work the spiritual energy alone. And, and we've talked in past shows about uh, wars in the astral. And, and I think that does happen where the problem comes in is that there's a contradiction oftentimes in what we're doing in our spiritual world and how we're living in the physical world. So, so one of the examples we talked about in past shows was the vaccine and getting the vaccine and then attempting to use a spiritual modality to neutralize it in your energy field. Those are two very conflicting timelines and ideas that are contradictory to each other. What the guides say is in our spiritual life, we are shifting our reality through the expansion of consciousness enough that we are able to make the parallel choices in the physical reality. So so the example that you brought in about the education system, we have parents that are fighting up against the school board, but then maybe doing the fundraiser at home and selling candy bars to make money for the school that is ultimately purchasing the materials and the programs that they are fighting up against. So so I think these are the things we have to open our eyes to. It, you know, we want to be a pure, clear and aligned vibrational container for physical choice such that both of those aspects of our lives somehow work in concert and and we're able to use what we gain in our meditative practice and in all that we're doing in the astral because we're doing a lot to facilitate a better life here. And and ultimately, I think that's what this period in time is all about. And, and I've talked about this before, where the pendulum has swung to the spiritual awakening side for so long that many of us have just been in that spiritual world exclusively. And our lives have been going on automatic pilot here in the third dimension. And it's been difficult because we wake up from these incredible meditations where we're speaking with intergalactic beings and we're having these incredible aha moments. And then we find ourselves having to trudge off to work to something that we hate and trying to make money and doing all these things that we have to do. So so this is the period on planet Earth where the universe is providing us the opportunity to now put into motion all of what we've awakened to in our spiritual practice in a really dedicated physical way. And I think the beginning of this phase, it's not easy. It's, you know, we talk about it all the time. It's, it's very uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. It's fearful. Sometimes it feels risky. Um, it's unknown there aren't those who went before us that we can ultimately look to, not that many who paved the way for us. So, so we are the ones who are paving the way to this new earth. And that can either feel like a burden and very challenging, or it can feel extremely exciting. And, and 
again, I think I play with that dichotomy a lot, uh, depending on what's going on in the world. You know, sometimes we see these things like Maui and we think, ah, boy, why would I would have chosen to be here for this? Yet consciousness allows us to step back and see that this is also a very incredible time and opportunity for us to leave behind something that has enslaved humanity for such a long time and step into a new earth that we know is more free, more peaceful, more abundant, more unified. And I think that's ultimately what we're going for. And we have to acknowledge that ultimately, if we're in the U.S., most of us paid for Maui, what happened there. Yes, we did. We financed it. We financed it. So we have no right to be mad about it because we are the ones who paid for it. If we didn't pay for it, they wouldn't have been able to do it. So, so we can get all mad as we want on social media, but at the end of the day, we have to take personal responsibility that we caused that. And, and so that's where those decisions we're making every day that are causing these problems in the world that we in the end get angry about. It's our own fault. And we're, we're the ones who are going to have to change that. On the bright side, I mean, I, I do see little signs of that happening in the world that people are starting to take more responsibility. I think each of us is here with unique talents and abilities and that, that are things that we enjoy doing. And I think we have to step out of our, you know, nine to five, three dimensional jobs and go out and do those things. You know, we are going to have to step into those roles that government fulfills and do them for our community or society or whatever. And, and that's how we can ultimately solve this problem because Government does not care about you. You know, government is there for itself and to perpetuate itself and to remain in power for those who control the world. Uh, and so we want a better society. We are going to have to step out into areas where we're naturally talented in doing things that we enjoy and do those things. And of course, source will support you if that is something you're here to do anyway. So even if it seems impossible, you could possibly know you're never going to be able to do that. If it's what you're meant to do and what you, what you are here to do, source will support it in some way. Somehow the money will be there. I mean, the fact that we're even here in the studio is a testament to that because 10 years ago, I never would have thought to have ended up here. Um, and, and so each one of us has that in us, but I think because we are trained from young children to fit into the system as just a cog in the system that serves the world leaders. We have lost the ability to think like that, but we've got to move beyond that and start going back to who we are inside and, and, uh, and then pursue those interests and, and fill those roles in society so that government becomes irrelevant. I mean, they are irrelevant already, but because so much, so many of us rely on them, it's not the case. So for example, instead of uh, protesting in PTA uh, meetings, which does nothing, so many parents would probably start their own schools or start a little school in their local community you know, with other parents they trust and, and teach kids that way. I mean, there, there's so many ways that we could change society instead of fighting up against a system or even worse, financing that system that enslaves us. Um, we could create little pockets of perfect society or, or a better society anyway. We may not be quite the perfect yet, but but at least we can move in that direction. 
But, you know, like we're, you're saying, we have to take, we have to bring the physical actions in alignment with these, with our multidimensional awareness and our spiritual principles. It's not enough anymore to simply meditate these ideas away because meanwhile, we're meditating and going to yoga. World leaders are plotting domination and how to burn down Maui and, and, uh, and, um, cause mass flooding in China. They're uh, very much at work doing all the physical things while we are spiritualizing these things away. And, and so it's not enough just to live in this spiritual place. We have to take the physical steps too if we want to see things change in the physical reality. Because those who are orchestrating these events that we don't like are operating entirely in that third dimensional space and creating constantly. You know, while we're sitting here talking about these ideas, Bill Gates is planning his next evil plan to dominate the world. And, um, you know, I, so this is what we're dealing with. And I think as a society and even a spiritual community, we've been sort of pacified into thinking that we don't have to do anything physical, that we can just uh, hold these spiritual con- concepts and, and work in the astral entirely, and that that's going to result in the physical world being different today. Uh, we have to do both. Uh, I think more people are doing both. Uh, more and more I see it, but it's it needs to escalate if we're going to see any meaningful change in our lifetimes in the, in the world. Yeah, these, that's the key. So we see these major events. We feel hopeless. We don't feel like we can make an impact. What do we do? We take very small steps, one thing at a time in our personal life that entangle us from an enslavement system. Because one of the things that we didn't necessarily mention that I think is so important is time. We, we've talked a lot about money and contribution of energy, but this enslavement system, it dictates our time. And the more time that we have at our disposal, the more that we are able to create in the world freely and in alignment with our divine plan. And even the smallest things, like you said, I was working on my next channeled course through the guides a couple of weeks ago, and they brought in the concept of the uh, law of reciprocity. And they said, you know, a lot of people think about this law and they try to do good turns in the world, knowing that they will be paid back, you know, for their charitable efforts. But what many do not consider is any little negative energy that you send out into the world also is contributing to a pool of density that you are all cleaning up together. Whether it's the negative comments on social media and arguing with people in the comments or uh, really gossiping behind closed doors. We don't think of those things as being a part of what we're experiencing in the world. But but I think that is the spiritual component. So we use our spiritual practice to find the wherewithal and the consciousness and the courage to be a part of a world that is backwards of what we think it should be but we do all of the right things to to turn it forward. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Awaken Empowered podcast. You can watch us on Rumble now as well as uh, various podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple. So we'll see you next week for another episode of Channel Revelations.
right, we're going to squeeze right on out of here, and we'll be back in a little while with some music and a look at the stars with our brother Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and Kay Pacha. We'll see you in just a little bit. Satnam, thank you, everybody. Wow. Soon to come more. Hello, hello. Hello, Richard. Good Good evening. Say again. Good evening. Back at you. Ditto. (laughs) Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, So I figured out where the new moon happened, and it happened on the 30th. Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And the moon was at 8 Pisces. And the sun was at 8 Virgo. And uh, the difference between today and then is that the sun is now in 11 Virgo and the moon is over there conjunct Chiron and Aries. Mars has moved up to five degrees Libra tonight. And it's not retrograde. And Jupiter has moved up to 16 degrees Taurus, and it's not retrograde. Yeah, well, the sun and the moon don't count. Everybody else is retrograde. Mm-hmm. Even Uranus, the last one to go, retrograde here. So Uranus is at 24, backing up relative to Earth. And so now this Jupiter conjunct Uranus is... Uh, the effects will be increasing over the next few months. Mm. So, uh, you know, whoever... Uh, whoever is, I don't know how to how to say this. It's just going to be chaotic. Let me just keep it simple and call it chaotic. Mercury is conjunct the sun. Mercury's at seventeen Virgo and backing up towards the sun at eleven. So that that Virgo conjunction is uh, trying the Taurus conjunction. And almost trying Pluto. I mean, Pluto's at 29. And Uranus is at 26. So it's not a, it's not a, an accurate trine, but it's, you know, it's, it's, as long as Pluto remains in, in Capricorn, uh, governments will continue to rule the world. Can't help it. I can't help you with that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, Neptune is still at 27 Pisces. It's almost opposite Mars. It was a little while ago, but Mars is moving off now into Libra, so that's going away. But the sun is coming up. 
to late Virgo, so we're going to have sun opposite Neptune in about uh, two weeks. Venus is, I think, stationary retrograde because tonight it's at 12 degrees 13, and Wednesday it was 12 degrees 21, so... Venus, let's see here. Yeah, this chart doesn't have one. Yeah, additional. Nope, nope, can't do it from this chart. Anyway, um, enjoy Venus and Leo while she's there. Mm, thank you. Well, I mean, what you know, people always want to know what's 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 good, right? People don't want to hear bad news. No. And uh, but if you take a if you take a a detached position, everything's good. Yeah, that's just true. A, there's just a few there's just a few million bad actors that we need to deal with. That's right. Just a few. Just, just, just yes. A few, just a few millions. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I know how this thing is working with my own chart because I live with that every day. And I don't know how it's working with your all's chart because it really depends on so many other factors, you know, like where your ascendant is and how old you are. Mm-hmm. But, uh. That's a basic setup. Uh, do do Yep. Yep. Mercury retrograde conjunct the sun. That's the thing for the week, I would say. And uh, of course, Jupiter conjunct Uranus. That's long termish. And that's my report. So let's go see. I'll put when I'm going to put Wednesday's full moon, new moon. Full moon chart up here and listen to Kaipacha. Okay, here we go. This is Kaipacha with the weekly Pele report uh, for August 30th of 2023. And I don't know if you can look through those trees and see white buildings and some water over there. I am uh, at the point. I made it to Ibiza. And this is uh, Kaliunga at the... uh, the Bay of Kalayunga. I've hiked up to the point here. It's extremely beautiful. And the full moon will be rising tonight. Uh, you know, the ephemeris that I have says that it is uh, full on Wednesday. But if you're in Europe or points east of there, it's actually on Thursday. So some of the dates that I give with these paleo reports are not going to exactly be on for Europeans, Russians, Indians, Chinese, Australians. But what's a day here and there? 
in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's chill out a little bit. Uh, that's what I'm going to have to talk about in today's report. But uh, first, we have some serious stuff to get to uh, because Mercury is in conjunct Chiron. Yes, that is Chiron over there in Aries. Mercury is uh, moving through Virgo. And what's big about this full moon is what? The moon is conjunct Saturn. So it's no ordinary full moon. It's a serious full moon. <laughs> yes. And here's a serious cliff. <laughs> yeah. Ow. Oh, baby. Life is very fragile and yet very strong. These plants grip onto these rocks with hardly any soil. Anyway, tomorrow, moon moves on, opposes uh, our retrograde Mercury over there, you know, in Virgo, and sextiles Jupiter and Uranus and Taurus. By Friday, uh, Mars moving through, we know that it went into Libra. Uh, it's going to in conjunct Saturn. And again, that is um, the 210 degree aspect is a, uh, it's a challenging aspect. 150, 210 can go into that a little bit. But um, yeah, the moon uh, conjuncts Neptune, opposes Mars and conjuncts the sun. And uh, what I really want to be talking about uh, today in today's report is Venus stations to go direct on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. She finally, after 40 days, right, going down into the underworld, she stations to go direct. You can actually see her rise in the eastern morning sky now, but still, it's a turning point. And the very next day, Jupiter, it's like Venus and Jupiter are both stationing uh, at the same time. It's like time stands still for Venus and Jupiter. And they are in square. They are, they are in square for um, at least uh, a month. Yeah, as Venus goes retrograde and then direct, very powerful. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, give you the Sabian symbol for Jupiter stationing to go retrograde. Yeah, and uh, that same day, Monday, uh, Mercury uh, does come into a trine to that Jupiter. So we've got a lot of Earth, you know, the the Earth uh, trines happening. Yeah, between Virgo. And Taurus. So let me uh, sit down, look at the camera, and uh, give you one last shot of where I'm headed. I'm going down to that little beach down there. And it's going to be a little bit of a steep hike. I'm not sure where I'm going to do the actual report. Good question. Okay. So much to say, so little time. I decided to stay right up here where it's nice and quiet and peaceful. There's no people and yeah, that's just the way of Mother Nature. Um, 
where to begin with all of this, of the energy that's going on. I mean, this is a, a very powerful full moon. Let me just read you the Sabian symbol for this full moon, because I, I, I think that's where I, I want to begin. Though I want to talk a lot about Venus square Jupiter. Yeah? For a month, really, from August, the middle of August to the middle of September. And that's just exact. I mean, she basically came, you know, into Leo and squared Jupiter August 15th. That was exact going forward. Okay. And, and that was when Jupiter was at five degrees of Taurus. Then Jupiter went forward. Venus goes forward to 28 Leo, comes retrograde and at 15 degrees. Okay. Squares Jupiter retrograde a second time. Okay. And uh, that was on uh, August 22nd. I just talked about that. Yeah. She's going to station and go direct. In the meantime, Jupiter is stationing to go retrograde, and they come in for the third square, September 17th. It takes her that long to get back. So she is actually stationing retrograde at the 13th degree of Leo for 13 days. So the Sabian symbol that I want to read to you for Venus, okay, at that degree is for 13 days. And then I'm going to read you the Sabian symbol for Jupiter. Jupiter came up to 15 degrees like 32 minutes, which is the 16th degree of Taurus. And is stationing to go retrograde. He's there for 38 days. 38 days. Over a month from August 17th to September 24th. So we've got a couple of these Sabian symbols. And this energy that's going on here between Venus and Jupiter. Okay. Is, you know, it, this is extending over a longer period of time. I mean, I give these Pele reports every week. But this energy is uh, existing for for more than a week. It's something to like really feel into, yeah, over a longer period of time. What's bringing it to a head? What's bringing it to a focus? Which is like a very short period of time. Is this full moon comes around and boom? You know, it's like a day, okay? Of Right. You know, moon comes around, hits Saturn. Right. You know, blocks out Saturn, basically, and then comes into this opposition with the sun. And so this is a time period like, you know, right now, if you're hearing this report on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, this is like super freaking powerful. Yeah, this is this is a breakthrough. The full moon itself is illumination. It's a peak in the cycle of two weeks ago, a seed is planted and now it's illumination like, oh, yes. And what is that? Oh, yes. About it's a girl blowing a bugle. <laughs> a call to participation in the service of the race as an evolutionary crisis approaches. So this picture presents another aspect of the emotional relationship between the individual and the collectivity of human beings. It can also be related to the old feminist movement or the present woman's liberation. In traditional symbolism, the woman refers more specifically to the biological and psychic aspect 
of the human life. She is seen primarily as the mother and or the intuitive or psychic. A new race of human beings may well be slowly unfolding some of its potential of consciousness and fulfillment. The individual who envisions this evolutionary development sounds the call. <laughs> he or she is both seer, herald, and mutant. In that sense, such a human being is both an individual true to their original nature and a dedicated person. Dedicated to the future that he or she holds in latency, as does a seed in mutation. This is the call. Yes, the girl blowing the bugle. This full moon, this time period. And it is about, and this is what I'm really focusing on here, is that growth, maturity, evolution is participating in a greater whole. And, you know, that the infant, you know, it participates with itself, then its mother, then its, you know, mother and father, then its family, then its neighborhood, then its cousins, then its clan, then its tribe, then its neighborhood, then its state, then its nation, then its corporation or its job or community. And it's bigger and bigger until, I mean, now I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling my years these days. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm feeling like maybe uh, even after this collective and planetary consciousness, there's intergalactic and interplanetary consciousness. And we are continually, you know, participating in greater and greater holes whole circles of beings, and these can be spiritual beings, not just earthly, physical, human beings. Yeah, so I mean, I've, I feel like, yeah, we can connect with, you know, cosmic beings and forever expand until we are one with all that is, the whole cosmic unity. And this is what Pisces is, and this is what this moon in Pisces is, and this is what this mantra this week is about, Yes. We are giving birth to a new humanity. We are giving birth to a new future. And that new future and this whole newness is very unstable and it's very insecure. And we can all be feeling super insecure. A loss of control brings up fear. Saturn, look at it. Saturn, form, structure physical, financial security and control over our bodies, our jobs, our families, ourselves, our diet, our this authority, this form, structure. Rudolf Steiner called it the, the structure of the ego has moved into Pisces as of last March. And it's going to be there until 2026. And Pisces has no form, no ground, no earth. It's the void. It's space. It's the cosmos. It's divine intelligence. It's spirit. It's chaos. It's beyond intellectual comprehension. 
So this is why I'm talking about from 23 to 26. This is the disillusion, the dissolving of structure, form, security, stability, identity. And we're all feeling it. And there may be people that have a better mask and they can hide it better than other people. But everybody's freaking out. <laughs> you are not alone. The past is falling away. The past is known, familiar. It gives us a sense of continuity to our life experience to where we can then go from, you know, point A to point B. And this is just like this whole linear Saturnian logical third dimensional path is is like dissolving right as we walk it. And so let's really I want to look at this Sabian symbol here. It's a it's a it's a very interesting one because it has to do with the past. Yes. And that is Jupiter stationing in Taurus. An old teacher fails to interest his pupils in traditional knowledge. The inadequacy of past knowledge in time of crisis. Here we have again the second message in the second uh, uh, passage involving crisis, right? The the what the, the the bugle. Uh, she's blowing, you know, in time of a, as an approaching crisis. Here we have, uh, you know, that the past and what we have known, what we have, uh, you know, mastered or conquered or skills we've attained or capacities we've developed, all, all you know, our ego, our identity, who I am. This is all from the past. Our patterning, our conditioning. What mom and dad and teachers and preachers told us, you know, we were good at, what we were bad at, what we should do, where we should go, da 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 And we, and we formed, you know, uh, according to our physical bodies and appearance and, you know, gender and every, I, you know, we, we get these, but this is all past. It's not going to help us in this time of crisis to move forward into the future. It's gone. This again contributes to this sense of the, the, the path dissolving right before our feet. Now I want to read to you. I'm not reading the whole symbol. You know, like I said, you can download, you can download the PDF and read the whole thing yourself from my website. Again, I'll put the link. In the notes below the YouTube video, Venus stationing to go direct there for 13 days, yes, is an old sea captain rocking himself on the porch of his cottage. The quieted mind's recollection of crisis and joys Long past. The sea captain has steered the ship of his ego consciousness through seas and storms, maintaining the integrity 
of his individual selfhood while in close contact with the collective unconscious, the sea of Pisces, Neptune, the collective unconscious. Now retired, he may try to distill wisdom from his many experiences and from his victories over elemental forces. The swing of the child consciousness has now become a rocking chair from which one can contemplate past as well as present scenes, gently moving as waves roll over the shore. Peace at last. So let's look at this once. (laughs) First of all, we want to understand that Leo rules the heart. Venus is also associated with ruling the heart chakra, that middle chakra. These are matters of the heart. And so this can have to do a lot with relationships, a lot with feelings, a lot with, you know, uh, and, and what do we have? Venus came around to conjunct Jupiter. Okay. And that was March 3rd. So go back to March, go back six months ago. This is where a new seed, a new relationship, a new job, a new source of income, a new belief system, a new reality. Okay. I remember early March myself. I got some diagnosis (laughs) back from the doctor (laughs) about my body, which is also Taurus. Anyway, now, you know, six months later, Venus comes around to the 90 degree square. It's breaking away, breaking out. It has to let go of the past. has to, you know, so we can recall, we can reflect. And this is where I want to get into what I, you know, I've been delving a little bit more into this left-hand path. And there's the left-hand path and there's the right-hand path. And the left-hand path is more the Venusian, the feminine, has to do with the, it has to do with the past. The left side of your body, okay, which is where I'm having my troubles, <laughs> is the feminine side of the body. It's ruled by the right brain, rules the left side. When you have trouble with your left arm, your left shoulder, your left knee, your left foot, this is, this is some feminine, you know, and you, you can, you know, go down that route, but it's also associated with the past. And the feminine is the subconscious, the intuitive, the psychic, like we just read of in, in the, in the Sabian symbol. And we all have Venus. We all have this feminine psychic. We all have a left side. <laughs> the left hand path is kind of the feminine path, which is passive, receptive, Settling in with chaos and with what is, with feeling into this place of just what is. And not, not laying judgment of good or bad or win or lose or right or wrong, but simply, you know, even joy or suffering, accepting suffering, accepting the, the, the reality of the experience of the moment. And then there's the right-hand path, the masculine, the Mars, the future, 
And that has to do with goals and agendas and will force and willpower and winning and losing. Right. You know, it's like you, know, you, you climb to the top or you, you know, you fail or you uh, there's the uh, so there's this whole attachment to a future desire, a future intention, a future goal. It's the patriarchy. This is where we have been for thousands of years for for many of us, many lifetimes, many lifetimes in this right hand path of goal orientation, of when I achieve something or reach, if I make it to Ibiza and I make it to that, you know, beach in the restaurant or I get a sailboat or I've made it. I, I get to be peace at last. The you know, the captain <laughs> rocking in his rocking chair. Peace at last. Peace at last is when what? You let it all go. You let go of control. You accept and you and you let. He's like he's done being a captain. He's done going from point A to point B, taking his ship and his goods and his people and whatever. He's, I, it's, it's like, I'm done. So there is this going forward. And I want to say that, you know, the girl, you know, the feminine side blowing the bugle to charge into the future. So this is what we charge into the future. Let's try. And see if we can charge into the future without a goal, with, with, without an attachment to an outcome, without I'm trying to win something, gain something, achieve something, I desire something, I want to own something, I want to have something. If we go into the future, rather, with this air of service, that I, 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 I am, I, I have something to give. This is Virgo. This is the sun moving through Virgo. This is the moon in Pisces. This is service. This is healing. This is generosity. This is philanthropy. This is, yeah. I, so if, if we can, you know, go into the future and, and let go of what we've been told or taught Fulfillment is, success is, life means, heaven and hell. If we can let go of, you know, these, these attachments to outcomes. Because the fact and the, I, what I'm, what I'm really feeling is at first when I heard about this left hand path, it's like, ooh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to let go of that patriarchal, uh, you know, male goal oriented right path that I've been on for all of my life. I'm going to do this left hand path. <laughs> That lasted a couple of months. <laughs> Whatever, baby. The fact is, we're both. This is this is the trick. It's not patriarchy. It's not matriarchy. I want to call it uniarchy. <laughs> we're headed into uniarchy, and there's no script. Yeah, there's no uh, technical manual. Uh, you know, uh, there's no recipe. Uh, We have no guidance here. If we let go of our patriarchal conditioning and we let go of our ancient, more ancient matriarchal conditioning, and we understand that we are moving into a a mutant state 
of creating a new humanity. We have to throw out our knowledge and go into, right, the, the, the truth within us. So this is Venus, this heart, breaking free from Jupiter, even knowledge, the guru, the teacher. Oh, my God. She wants yeah, the heart is even like breaking away from right brain, left brain, knowing, intuition, whatever. It's heart. Oh, and the heart feels and the heart can suffer and the heart can be lonely and the heart can be lost and the heart can really break. This can be a time of breaking hearts, breaking our hearts open. But it is this letting go of like the eggshell. You gotta, you know, break an egg to make an omelet. Yeah. There is a future as yet unseen, as yet unrealized, as yet unknown. And to go into it vulnerably, without a plan. Oh, well, but now here's the thing. I'm sorry. You do have a plan. Uh, uh, Mars is in Libra. Okay, you know, Mars is, you know, Mars is stepping up. It's stepping out. It just got, it came out of Virgo. We do have a right hand. <laughs> We do have a Mars. We are, we have a masculine side to us. So make a plan. Set a goal. Have a dream, have a vision and go for it and put all of your heart into it. But understand that you're not in control and you are not the master. That you are, you know, you are the you are the pupil, you are the student here of Gaia, of nature, of source. And so it's almost like you just make up. It's all story. You just, yeah, just make up a goal. It's like, okay, I want to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to go in that direction. I'm going to have that direction, but I'm not going to get attached to the goal, to the outcome, to the agenda, to where... Where I, you know, it's like, if it doesn't go that way, if my, if my boat sinks, <laughs> you know, if I drown, if a storm comes, if, da, 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 and I don't make it, that, then I'll just set another one. I'll set another goal. I'll set another agenda. I'll start another relationship. I, I you know, I'll give my heart to here or my heart to there. I'm going to go this way or that. I'm going to, but it's, it's all, it's like, it's the realization that we are conscious ego beings living in this world of separation and we are just making it up. We're making up story after story after story and and so you may as well make up any story you want. And you know what? Your reality is going to support that story. So if you tell yourself, that you're unworthy, you're unlovable, you're never going to make it, you're weak, you, you know, you're uh, guilty, you're whatever. Yeah. The universe says, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're unworthy, you're guilty, you're never going to make it, you're weak, you're <laughs> ugly, whatever. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> 
Oh, gosh, I didn't think of a song for this week again. Ah, darn. Too much on the plate, man. Anyway, let me read you the uh, mantra, yeah, for this week. And see what we can uh, glean from that. There's a new world coming with a better way of life. And I am going to make it happen as I have so... Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, rewind, <laughs> erase. There's a new world coming with a better way to live. And I am going to make it happen as I have so much to give. This kind of sums up an attitude, isn't it? Yeah, it's an attitude. It's an approach towards the future. It's an approach towards plans, towards uh, uh, what, you know, if your goal, if, if your goal is to get, yeah, which is, you know, this kind of Venus, if I am, if I'm out to get and I want and I want to draw it in and I want to pull it in and I have a need and I, and then I don't, then I feel a loss and I feel ripped off. I feel empty. I feel a void. I feel lonely. I feel, I feel this emptiness, right? And to me, that's not as comfortable. <laughs> As turning the story around and going, okay, well, uh, I'm here. I've got, uh, I got everything. Uh, this is cool. This is awesome. You know, this is this uh, Venus and Leo. It's like, I'm gonna, I'm here to give. <laughs> yeah, and, and then if, and if it's about giving and giving and giving and I'm gonna give love and give, you know, joy and give music and sing and song and whatever, da 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 da, and, and something goes wrong. <laughs> Something goes bad, and I can't give as much as I wanted. I don't. I don't have that same feeling of emptiness and void and loneliness and loss and failure. You know, it was just like I. I so I feel like it's just you know it's just something you can weigh it. You know, weigh it in yourself. Think about it yourself. Meditate it on yourself. And just, you know, it's just play, play with this left hand, right hand, masculine, feminine, uh, goal versus total surrender and acceptance. And just, yeah, this is the dance of the woolly masters. Yeah. This is, this is the cosmic dance that we're all dancing this time. And, and so if we can move into the future, uh, so much of it, I think, is just realizing that it is a story. It is a dance. It is a game. It's not this way. And it's not that way. One day it's this and one day it's that. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty freaking... Woo! can be a little crazy making, man. <laughs> I think that you're, you know, uh, it can be challenging to live in, uh, you know... In the mundane world, you have to, you know, kind of make a living as some kind of an artist or some uh, some kind of healer or something like this, rather than trying to do a nine to five linear based income, you know, just for like survival means and instincts. As Jupiter is moving through Taurus, this can be a very abundant time for so many of us.
But the challenge with the square, I'm going to end with this because I know it's getting on in time. Very often, the Venus-Jupiter aspect is one where I want love. I want to experience love. I want to be loved. I want affection. I want to receive affection. I want to be affectionate. And the whole thing with the square, the challenge of it is what? Can't get enough. Can't get enough of your love. Ba-ba-ba. There's a song for this week. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Can't get enough of your love. This is, this is Venus square Jupiter. This is going on for like this whole month period, like I spoke of, the middle of August to the middle of September. And it's an adjustment in our relationships and an adjustment in our expectations. Uh, it can be, you know, breakups, breakdowns, break-ins, breakouts, uh, you know, birth of a new, you know, with new expectations or letting go of old expectations or, you know, but it is this, it is a, it's this tension of I want more love. Yeah. And I'm not getting enough love. And so we can all be in the same kind of a bucket right now. And Venus can also be money. I'm not getting enough money. I'm not receiving enough money. And again, this can be a story that we're telling ourselves. I'm poor. I'm broke. I can't afford. And the universe will oblige you in your story. And I'm lonely and I'm brokenhearted or I don't, you know, I'm not worthy of love or what's wrong with me or I can't love myself unconditionally. The universe will oblige you with that story. Or you can come in and go, you know what? I've got a lot to give. (laughs) I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to enter this future, you know, with, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, innocence, uh, youthfulness, whatever. I uh, And and the universe will oblige you and go, hey, you know what? You're needed over here. And so-and-so wants that. And, and uh, you know, and, and there's, you know, longing for you. And you're, there's a place for you. And there's a, there's a position. And there's a, you know, income and compensation and da-da-da-da-da. And so I just want to, you know, I'm just saying. Right. Say this mantra over a million times, man. (laughs) This one is worthy of repetition. (laughs) Memorization. I got to do it myself. What is it now? There's a new world coming with a better way to live. And I'm going to make it happen because I've got so much to give. May you go through your day both giving and receiving and enjoy what Gaia, what your heart and what people have to offer. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Hey, yo. Forgot to mention, I've got workshops happening in Cadiz, Spain. There's two spots left. And it's uh, staying in teepees week long. I'm also going to be on Mallorca Friday, Friday night. I'm doing a a what's going on. And uh, we'll be getting together. So I hope to see you at one of those uh, events. 
while I'm over here, and namaste.
it's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astro-Morologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers to help us navigate the energy with the highest vibration possible. And today we're going to do something special. We're going to open the Celestial Living Library by looking at Venus because Venus is currently still in her retrograde in Leo, but it's about to end and she's joined now by Mercury. So it's really ramping up how we think Mercury about the mother goddess principle. So there is a major shift on earth as we speak towards integrating the Venusian divine feminine mother goddess principle with the sacred masculine and august as it happens is a 15 universal month 15 is the spiritual alchemist and reduces to six and six is the mother so august in itself which is the whole month when venus was retrograde it began end of july and continues through september 3rd but all of august she has been in retrograde And so this 15 spiritual alchemy number is helping us to integrate that mother principle, the mother goddess principle. So in this star codes, we are focusing on how the divine feminine frequency is returning to earth. Once Venus stations direct in Leo on September 3rd, we will be called to step into the Leo energy in a bigger way because she's moving forward again and honor that mother goddess energy within each one of us. And that includes men and women. Everyone is part of this balancing act. The change of Venus is going to happen at 12 degrees in Leo. 12, one plus two reduces to the root number three. Three is the code of creation. And of course, the mother principle is connected to creation. Three is connected to joy, to self-expression, and connecting with others socially. And 15, the universal month number for August, reduced to six. Three and six are in the creation triad, which is comprised of numbers three, six, and nine. Now, because 15, the spiritual alchemist, reduces to 6, the divine mother energy of nurturing, taking care of others, bringing a child into the world. If you look at the number, it literally looks like a pregnant mother who is giving birth. And 6 also represents the home for that reason. And understanding, especially now with Venus retrograde still and August being that 15 universal month number, that your home is what you make of it. This number six and Venus are reminding us that our home is what we make of it. And that caretaking also is a very noble quality. So caretaking is deeply connected to the number 15 and 6. You just want to keep in mind that if you continue to take care of others, you may get caught up on just being the provider, being the caretaker, and mistake this for your purpose and for your destiny and not realize that we have to give 
as caretakers, as parents and the mother goddess principle, we have to give those whom we take care of the freedom to then fly out of the nest and make their own home. So in this solar system, the earth is where life is created. When we look at all the planets, earth is the living library of life, flora, fauna, humans, everything. It's incredible. The water element and Venus is connected to creativity and love and creation itself. So earth is the source of life physically in our solar system. So with Venus about to station direct in Leo and remaining in Leo until early October, the divine feminine frequency is really instilling a deep confidence, which is Leo's big gift to us is that leadership, confident, joyful energy, that enthusiasm. It's instilling a deep confidence to trust in the goddess energy represented by Venus. Venus is the sister planet to Earth, and Leo is the invigorating, courageous, fearless, strong, energetic sign. So an important question is, what do we perceive as source? When we look at what we call prime creator, the source of creation, right? What picture do we have in our mind? This will be very important because the enthusiasm with which we approach welcoming the Mother Goddess principle into our life is also very much connected to our perception of prime creator. We have been taught in different cultures and in society that God is the source of all energy, that God is the source of creation. And that the divine feminine represents using the energy in some way, acting on the energy that is created by God, the creator. But we're in a period now where we're discovering that much more needs to be learned that maybe when we took on this teaching is not naturally aligned with, with nature. So, what if you see the feminine as the source of creation itself and the masculine as how the source is being used, how it's being acted upon? After all, the masculine energy does represent action and the feminine energy does represent reception and creation. Mothers are the ones who give birth. So when we look at religions on earth, that are part of the Western experience of religion, they are based on this patriarchal system. It's hierarchical. There's a hierarchy. It's controlling. And it is not based on the mother goddess principle at all, which is welcoming and allowing energy. So what if we take this time as we move into this brand new age and have new ways to consider everything. What if we take this time during this amazing Venus retrograde to look at a new way of defining prime creator? And that is that prime creator is actually the mother goddess frequency that's behind creation. 
where do we find that goddess in the Bible, in the Torah, in the Quran? We don't. So we must rediscover the goddess frequency as prime creator. And that is how we will shift the energy on earth. There's not one better than the other. The goddess is being birthed through us right now. It's just the acknowledgement of that energy that's going to bring the balance that's needed. It's not that one is better than the other. We don't want to worship one vibration at the expense of the other. So there's nothing that's over another. There's no hierarchy here. So when we begin to explore the goddess energy, we start to value life. When we value life, we value planet Earth. And we honor what life is, what death is, transformation, what every species is, and that we're all interconnected and that everything comes from the same source. And then we look around, we say, well, what Western society actually honors the goddess energy? So the goddess energy, for the most part, has remained behind the scenes in this long battle of the patriarchy. But the goddess energy is very forgiving. This creative force in all things knows that everyone must return. So there's a lot of patience there, just like there is in child rearing, (laughs) so much patience. So the mother goddess energy allows everything to explore itself. Love is an allowing energy. Love does not control. Love is not top down, right? There's no sense of I'm better than you. It's a force that allows things, that grants things, that grants opportunities so you can learn in unlimited ways. So you want to now get to know that this goddess energy and invite the goddess frequency to teach you about life because she will start inspiring you and working with you in ways that will be deeply profound, really amazing. You know, we have to change. Things must change. It's obvious that things must change. And the goddess energy is there for us. The goddess energy works with your heart. We want to keep our hearts open. We don't want to shut down. We want to keep our hearts open for ourselves and for everyone that crosses our path. This is very important as we nurture the feminine principle within ourselves, within our planet. This recognition is really laying the new foundation for our communities and our civilizations to come. So we want to look beyond what we've been taught now. We want to look at life force. Look for that force. Find yourself being part of the feminine energy, the goddess energy, which is present in man and woman alike, in everyone. The mother goddess is the principle of love. You know, when you look at light, like the light that the Statue of Liberty carries. Light is information, and love invites creation. Both are necessary for life. So Venus and the spiritual alchemist number 15, to circle back, invite magic. Alchemy is magic. 
So we want to now invite that magic into our life to become more of that goddess energy, to become the spiritual magician. Much has been allowed to happen, the allowing energy, the love energy over eons of time so that everyone can learn. That is part of our experience is growth, right? So remember that the 12 degrees stationing at Leo, which reduces to three, that I mentioned earlier, 12 is the number of the student, the eternal student. So we are always learning. So this is another message being sent by the divine feminine frequency stationing at 12 degrees in the sign of courage, Leo, the sign of confidence and leadership and enthusiasm and shining your light. Leo's ruled by the sun. So we have this love and light combination in the actual retrograde itself and then the turning of Venus to move it direct again. So the codes of consciousness within us that are in us, that are coursing through our DNA, that are coursing through our body and through our ethers, those codes of consciousness are being stirred awake now. And so we want to use them to make empowering choices, to align ourselves with energy that is actually moving to love, moving away from division. And this divine feminine awakening is one of the major keys for all of us. And to learn more about Venus and Mars, Venus and Mars are two sides of the same coin, right? The light and the love. Go to a free masterclass, venusmarscode.com. And in that class, you're going to discover the amazing awakening that's happening now with the divine feminine and the secret meanings of letters, V and M, the 13 cycles of Venus, how they align to the lunar cycles, which are also 13, what that number 13 means, the five-pointed star of Venus, what that means. You're going to see a beautiful little video of the heart that Venus creates and the five-pointed star that follows. It's a really fun masterclass. It is free, and you can watch it at venusmarscode.com. So have a beautiful end of August. Enjoy that standstill of Venus that will happen at the beginning of September and continue through the first week. And allow yourself to be immersed in that mother goddess principle. It is truly one of the major shifts happening on Earth right now. Let's thank Venus Let's thank Leo. Let's thank Earth. Let's have a beautiful week. And I will see you in next week's Star Codes forecast. Beautiful energy. Rama's going to give us the phone numbers. Are you? Oh, 720.
716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, one more time. 720-716-7301. Pin code 353-863-POUND. See you there, everybody, for this next hour. And then we'll be right back here at BBS Radio, the best radio in the universe, at the top of the following hour. Thank you, thank you, everybody. And thank you, BBS Radio, for being right here, right now, so we can get together and be all right. Okay, see you on the conference, everyone. Namaste. My, my. Okay, we're going to play a little message from our sister Caroline here. Uh, what's her friend's name again, Rama? Bonnie Satori. Bonnie Satori and Caroline. Uh, what's it called, Rama? September Energy Update. There we go. Let's do this. This is 33 minutes, right, Rama? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Great. Welcome, everybody. My name is Caroline Oceana Ryan. I'm here with Master Tracker and Energy Healer Bonnie Saratori, and this is the September Energy Update. Very glad you're here. If you have any questions, please just write them in the chat. And um, you know, it's we're just I was just saying to Bonnie about these incredible energies having to do with the blue supermoon and. Um, She's been feeling a lot as well, and this month looks to be a bit different from the last few. So I'm going to hand that talking stick to Bonnie and just tell us what's going on, Bonnie, with these energies, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so September. Yeah, very different. So when I started looking at this energy of September, um, it started happening. Um, actually, it's just now starting to really come into effect. But the month of September, there's a lot of bright energy, almost you know, it's almost like that, the moon we just had, that, that, that super full moon. The energy of that, I think that must be also affecting September because the energy in September is very potent, very powerful. There's an aliveness to it. There's a spinning to it, but it has a like bright color, meaning it's got like this yellowy kind of a little bit of slight orange energy, but it's just moving, moving, moving and spinning. And when I get a sense of what that means for, you know, for people as well as just to everybody, the world, you know, what's, what they're gonna, how they're going to be affected. So what, what it's looking at, I'm just going to have to talk it out because all these frequencies are presenting. So as I'm looking at it, what it, it has the effect of, which is also part of the full moon, which is cool. But I'm seeing, it's almost like a, if you were seeing a tornado, and you know how a tornado, when it goes over things, it literally pulls things up, okay? So as I'm looking at September, literally, it's not that it has a tornado, but there is a swirling, but also what's happening is it is pulling. It has that pulling effect, pulling energy up. And what that means is, that it's going to be pulling even more from people's subconscious, which for some people that might feel good. For other people, it's not going to because not everyone in the Oceana wants to face their unconscious.
anymore. So, so what's happening is that people, some people are going to be in some resistance, um, trying, you know, just trying to get a grip, you know, because they're going to feel, because stuff's going to become, it's like this, it's like emotions are rising up. You don't want them, you know, because you're used to pushing things down. And in that pushing down, you know, you're just, you're avoiding again. But what's happening is this energy is so powerful, so potent. It's like, it's just going to pull it. It's going to keep pulling it. So whatever you've got in your subconscious, it's going to get activated. You're not going to get away from it. Okay. I'm just going to suggest, I'm just make a simple suggestion (laughs) that when things present, when, because you will get triggered, things will happen in your life and you'll have an emotion. So rather than avoiding that emotion, write it through, go through it. But go through it with your heart open to whatever those energies, whatever those emotions are. Okay. In doing that, what will happen is, is the energy will move really quickly. If you don't, if you try to hold it down and try to get a grip and try to get control and try to avoid emotions and feelings that have, that have been locked up in your subconscious, it's going to be a, a battle because it, it's like as you're pushing it down, it's going to keep trying to rise up, okay? And it will keep pushing on your consciousness. So it will be the easiest thing is just open, let it happen, whatever they are. It, it doesn't matter what the emotion is, just let it happen because then the energy can move. And in that moving, you know, as that moves, then it releases. So think of this time, think of September as the great opportunity for healing and clearing subconscious energies that have been buried that have to do with traumas and, and crisis and, you know, wounding, um, shock, things that, you know, basically your subconscious wounding, whatever that is. And by allowing that, and here's the good part. The intensity of the feeling aspect of the emotion, because the energy is moving so quickly, it's like pulling it up so quickly. It's not like you're going to have to go through major, major fall apart crisis, you know, groveling on the ground, shattered heartbreak emotion. Okay. It's like, yeah, there will be emotion, but just let it and just keep saying yes. And in that, then the energy literally is being lifted and lifted and cleared and moved right up. That's the power of this whole time period that we're in and the power of September as well. And with that full moon, it's also helping and assisting. Even though we are in Mercury retrograde, it's st- there's still a potency power that's happening that you can really take advantage of. So, you know, just think of it like, it's like a, a purging, like a roto-rooter, but you don't have to be groveling on the ground, you know, in your excruciating heartache, heartbreak. It's more like, yes, 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 let it move. Let, you know, sometimes it just might make, mean even just letting sound out or, you know, cry and have a big cry and then it's over. It just moves and moves, you know, because sometimes when we're doing our emotional energy, it, t- it can take several times in to unravel something when we're truly surrendering to it because it's in layers, and with the frequency assisting with, with this, it's like the layers are the, the, the different layers or the distance between them or the layers between that keeps things kind of stuck down. It's all just, it's all being stirred up. So everything can just move really, really quickly, which is really awesome and a beautiful experience and, and definitely will make uh, people's lives easier, meaning 
um, letting the energy move. But you know, the good thing though is keep in mind that we've got all this this subconscious wounding. We have misperceptions and beliefs and conclusions based on it's coming from past life. But we can just use this lifetime right here. It's it's activating the core energies, the core wounds of this lifetime. It's like like when I look at it, Oshana, literally the power of the full moon <laughs> is like ha- like sh- hammering the energy for real, okay? And remember, we got like two weeks of that. It's literally like like almost coming in like with a jackhammer and breaking it up. Not that it's that kind of intensity, but that's what it's doing. It's like coming in, boom, 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 and shatter, 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 breaking up all this old, old debris, all this old you know, emotional pieces. And now in September, that swirling, lifting energy, all those energies that have been broken up are now just coming up and out, which is phenomenal. I mean, if we had, if anybody had to do their emotional work, this is the time to do it because it's going to be so much easier, so much more movement will happen. It'll be a deep unraveling, a deep purging and a clearing of these energies so that as they're lifted, you just, there's something begins to happen that you just you just gonna feel so much lighter and freer and more able to really follow whatever you know whatever that heart's desire is you know because what happens too is when we're blocked and we got all this wounding down in our subconscious the heart isn't open you know and when the heart's not open we can't really receive. And we can't really know the truth of, of things. So as this is coming through, I literally, this is like the heart opening month, you know, another, a month for heart opening because it's like pulling up and lifting up these really deep, deep, deep wounds and pat, you know, all this old stuff, stuff crisis and everything from this lifetime. So people who utilize, you know, these energy frequencies, especially when you understand that, you know, each month is offering something different. That you can take advantage when you have awareness, then you can take advantage of it, you know. So that's why this is such a great thing, Oshana, for us to be doing this. It's like bringing awareness, bringing information that people can utilize, knowing, okay, this is the month to do this. Oh, that's the month to do this. You know what I mean? It's like each one will get different, you know. So right now, this is a light energy, uh, incredible energy, assisting the movement of really coming in. And unraveling and unwinding at a very, very deep level, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, I just, I have a question because I have felt this myself and I know other people have been going through it as well, where. Okay. Back, back. Uh oh. We're hearing a funny ring that shouldn't be ringing. Okay. Um, back it up a couple of minutes, Rama. Okay. Oh, that's too much. Okay, just turn it back on. Soothing music and it'll be oh, up. Oh, like overriding it. I'm letting a lot of stuff up here and it needs to get out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Right, okay, so let me address a couple things. So here's another thing that people are not aware of. When we have any kind of wounding, I don't care what it is, like Oshana, for you growing up in that situation with your family and you know, on some level, they just wanted you to, no matter what you were feeling, just present as though you're happy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like guilt tripping, a something, some kind of weird stuff. So what happens though, people, is there are discarnates attached to these places of wounding. Mm-hmm. 
We need to get them out because what they do is they intensify your experience and they can keep you stuck in certain vibrational experiences. And they're it, like, oh, Shana, as you were talking, I can see the programming. Swear to God, I swore. I can see that programming over your energy field. Okay. So that's going to happen for people. People are going to have programming that's you've grown up with, belief systems you've grown up with that are affecting you and blocking you and inhibiting you from just friggin' letting it go. Okay. There's, there's belief systems. There's, um, yeah. So as I look at the belief systems, like even with you, Oshana, it's like growing up and even though you have cleared so much and expanded so much, there's still a little bit of a structure. Like when you were talking, I could see it, you know, like a, a structure. Yeah. And that structure is, I mean, it's not really anchored in, but it's still overlaying on you. And it's an old, it's an old paradigm structure. And it's the belief systems that you on some level didn't truly buy into all the way, but also began to, you know, disengage from them, but they didn't get lifted. You know, I just feel like I want to lift that structure if that's okay from your Yeah, that would be fine. Okay. Uh, that extends to everybody. Just yeah. Yeah, yeah, for everybody. Yeah, and in fact everybody just like everybody just hold that thought of of structure, of belief systems, whatever you grew up with. You don't have to understand, you don't have to know. Just hold the desire to be done with false structures that are not the absolute. That's very simple, okay? Uh, any kind of structures that keep you bound, that keep you stuck, that keep you believing, what is not the absolute, okay? So just hold that and just for a moment, and I'm just going to use Oceana as a guiding pose, so to speak, and everybody else, the structure, frequencies, belief systems, and it's also that, that um, what is that, uh, the patriarch, patriarchal um, energy that also anchors things in, That's, that everyone's got that. It doesn't matter what you believe, everyone has it, because that structure's been being created for you know, almost 2,000 years. Okay, there we go. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and help the whole frequency, because it's cool because it's not really anchored in, but it's still in your field, okay? And then also for everybody else who's here, everybody present, the whole patriarchal, patriarchal, yeah, right to there. Now, with Oceana, that's it right there. There we go. Shatter, shatter, Now, just, just to check in, Oceana, go ahead and just feel into your own self, feeling into those belief systems that you've kind of lived with and that structure. Let's see how that feels when you feel into that. Okay. Um, what's interesting, I feel almost like a swirl of energy around me and it's, it's carrying that away. And I also feel like, um, the presence I felt this morning, as I was letting that anger come up, um, isn't there anymore. It seems to have turned away and gone. Yeah. So right. that, that's right. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So just so you know, your whole yeah, your whole energy field looks different. This is really cool because you've got a lot of bright light anyway, <clears throat> but there's a lot of consciousness and yeah. So that's looking really good. Like this is the true energy of Oceana. Beautiful energy. Wow, nice light, 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 light. Good. Good. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Bonnie. And Sylvia points out some people might not know about discarnates, and that's just. People who die and leave their body, but they don't go into the light. They look for somebody else's body to inhabit, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this current thing. Everyone, unfortunately, everyone has discarnates. They attach to your, the the same wounding that you have. So they'll attach to, you know, the same kind of issues. So they'll attach to that and then anchor in. What it does is it intensifies your experience of, um, you know, whatever that, whatever your wounding is, it makes it more intense and more in your face. So getting discarnate sound is really, really vital, really important. Okay. So just so people know, uh, we don't want people in us and it happens all the time. So there are ways that you can stop, stop it, but first you have to become aware that it's actually happened. Okay. So once you now that you know, absolutely it's happening. Now you can take action to claim your body, claim sovereignty, release agreements and contracts that you've made with discarnates. When you feel them within, you can call in the light, you can call in the emissaries that also escort discarnates home, you can call in loved ones, and then you can help them to go. And if you feel something's in there, you can, you have the ability and the power to do that. So just kind of bring that to your, to people's awareness that they're not victims to it, that they really do have the ability you know, to take charge. This is my body. Don't go on here. No more. Absolutely right. Um, you know, on what's interesting is Ava is saying, um, with these strong feelings coming up, I fear that this coming month will be overpowering. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, was that a correct sort of perception? Or maybe I don't yeah. think it has to be overpowering. It, yeah, it doesn't have to be. And for some, it's going to feel like it is. It's going to feel very intense, okay? And... The key, the absolute key is whatever you are feeling, let it happen. Okay. This is, this is vital. This is key. Like even what Oceana said, she said she had anger. You know, she's just letting it move. And if you, if you can sense her energy, there's a lot of beautiful clarity, a lot of light. So, you know, energy just moves. So for everyone, it can, the, it'll be more intense if you try to hold energies back. So, in the, uh, in the experience of whatever's being activated, whatever that is, whatever, it doesn't matter what that emotion is. It could be frustration, rage, anger. It could be heartbroken, shattered, betrayed. Whatever those emotions are, let yourself have them. Just let it, let the energy move. Just keep saying yes, yes, I wanna, I wanna be done. I, yes, I say yes to knowing this energy so I can be clear of it, so I can be done with it. So I can release it, let it go, let it be done. Okay. So don't go, people don't get caught up in the worrying about, you know, the intensity, the intensity is happening. And the more we just let the energy move, the less intense it feels. Okay. It's, the intensity is going to feel for those who are like holding, holding back. It's like you're going to get whacked. Okay. <laughs> so rather than getting whacked, just give it, give it up. Okay. Give it up. And let it move. I I agree. It's much healthier just to let it go. This is where an awful lot of illness and also ongoing depression and feeling of detachment from life 
Um, that's yes. a lot of that has to do with suppressed anger, grief, mm-hmm. shock that never comes up. Um, it's it's just like a, a wound that's unhealed under the surface, and that's not good. <laughs> right. Yes. It's like it's festering. Okay. And unfortunately, that it takes a lot of energy to hold down these emotions, and you know it will cause people to have like exhaustion, you know, fatigue, yes. uh, fogginess. I mean, there's a lot of different things that will start to happen when we're suppressing emotion. You know, energy is energy needs to be moving. So, you know, the word energy is you know energy in motion. So emotions need to move. If we don't move them, they clamp down. And then all kinds of different things start to happen. And, and then it also affects our our sense of oneness, our connection with ourselves, love for the self, which affects the connection to all existence. But all this energy that we, you know, we're pushing it down, we're containing it. And again, energy just, it's, if, the, if we just let energy move, then all this butthurt and all this anger, frustration, all this stuff, it just lifts. And we don't have to hold on to resentment or blaming or feeling. Here's another thing. When we push things down, we implode on ourselves and make it about us. And then we don't like ourselves. We say, you know, we call ourselves names. We're so bad. There's something wrong with us, you know, whatever. And it's all, and all that is is it's just suppressing the energy. Let the energy move. All those thoughts will be lifted, okay? And even those thoughts about the self will be lifted, and then, you know, then there's more of a, a lightening up, a liberation, and an expansion, which we want. Yeah, absolutely. That That's the good news here. Now, um, what's interesting is Cynthia is saying it sounds like the dark forces will be less powerful in September. Would you say that's true? I would because, here's the thing, dark forces do not reside in the light. Okay, so right now, the light of September and the light of that full moon our bright energy on the entire planet. So the planet right now is almost bathed in light. Okay. So a lot of these darker energies, like the dark, dark force energies, uh, demons, evil energies, they're going into hiding places. Okay. Sometimes they'll go into the earth itself. They'll go into people's bodies. Um, people that don't hold light or whatever. Um, these energy frequencies, they'll just, they'll just move away because here's the thing. They know the light will be gone, and you know what I mean. It won't be. It won't be here forever. So it, right now is the perfect time, the most potent time, to deal with these dark force interferences. Because again, they're not. They're weaker. They don't. They're not going to come into the light, so to speak. Okay. So if you're being attacked by these towers of darkness, you know it's like holding that energy, letting that light shine. Um, they're going to move away and try to get away. So this is the perfect time as well to get clearings on dark force energies, you know, get that because now it's like, get it. It'll just blast them out because they can't reside. Darkness cannot live in the light. It's not possible. Okay. And that's another reason why we want to let our, let the energy move these wounded places. We want them to move because it opens the heart, opening the heart to love opens the heart to the light that we are. So our light begins to shine even more when we allow ourselves to feel that frequency of love. Okay. We all have it. You know, there's a a place within all of us when we have unconditional love for ourselves and for all others. And we want that to get it. We want it to wake up. 
Okay, we want that to wake up, and it also protects us from like like, like the powers of darkness. So, you know, even people that are being attacked, like right now, even in your dream state where you're being attacked in the dreams and undermined, it's not going to be as intense because there's just too much light. Okay, so now is the time to deal with all this interference, deal with this dark force stuff, all these attacks. And, you know, open that heart. It's really about love. When you hold love, powers of darkness cannot exist in that. Okay, cannot. Absolutely cannot. Oh, I love that. That is so brilliant. Um, now, also, Deborah is asking, what about people who have addiction issues? Will it be intense for them? Oh, no, yeah. Okay, so people who have addiction. All right, hang on. Okay, okay, hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so when I look at that, for people who have, ooh, it's going to be intense. It's going to be really intense simply because think about this. You have an addiction. Okay. Uh-huh. I promise you, if you have an addiction, you have hundreds of discarnates attached to that addiction. Yeah. I'm not joking. I'm telling you straight up. Okay. Honest to God for real. That's it. Mm-hmm. Hundreds. So what's happening is as that energy is moving and pulling, it's literally pulling these discarnates out. Okay. So wow. you're having all these all these addicts. It doesn't matter what kind of an addict they are. These addicts are also being pulled into the light, which is awesome, you know, really awesome. And you're and then then what happens too is it'll almost feel like the intensity of the addiction is even stronger. If that makes sense, do you know what I mean? Like like if I'm addicted to uh, with cigarettes, let's just say cigarettes, okay? I mean, it could be drugs, whatever. But during this month, it's like a pull. I'm, a, I'm almost like I gotta have more cigarettes. You know what I mean? Because it's like that the pull is happening, and all the all the subconscious stuff that's that's causing the addiction is also being pulled up. So everything's coming to the surface. So things will get more intense. And again, if you let it move, if you let the energy move. When the energy starts to calm down, as we start pulling out of September and going into October, then it's going to start mellowing out. But in my my way of thinking, basically, is we got the opportunity. It's going to be intense. We're on fire. Let's utilize it. Let's use it. Let's take advantage of it rather than trying to stop it and then, you know, pushing it down and then, you know, finally getting through this time period. And then, then when we come into these next few months, you know, I can tell you right now, there's going to be some sliding into dark. I mean, it's best to get clear as much as you can. Otherwise it's going to be really, really intense. So, you know, again, we just want to, this is the time people, you know, the new paradigm is shining, new world, new earth is all vibrating at a higher level frequency. This is the opportunity, true opportunity to let these energies move. Let them move. Just say yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Something helpful that a phrase you have used a number of times, Bonnie, that I feel is helpful because sometimes people have a strong tendency like an addiction and then they think this is just who I am and they confuse the presence of the discarnates and the addiction with who they are, and they feel they're losing a part of themselves. Right. And something that's helped me in the past is to say, this is not me. Right. Well, me. Yes, 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 yes. That's awesome. Okay, yes, Oceana. It's true, people. So, you know, not always, but oftentimes when we have like a feeling, a thought, a desire, 
you know, feelings of addiction, whatever, doesn't matter what, we can sometimes go, wait a second, that's not me. That's not me. And when we wake up to that and recognize that's not me, then you have even more ability to command, get out. You know, whoever that is, you don't belong here. This is yours. Look into the light and go home. You're not welcome here. These contracts are no longer void. I no longer allow you to be here. Go home. You know, so pay attention when you really are feeling and that knowing or that sense like, wait a second, like even a thought, it could be a thought. It could be a feeling, it could be a reaction, and you go, wait a second, that's not me. Trust yourself, go with it, okay? Because mm-hmm. if it is you, you're not going to get it out anyway. But if it is, isn't you, get it out. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Kate is asking, would you could you suggest some specific ways to release trauma from our bodies? And I think part of that is going into the emotion and allowing it to come up. Mm-hmm. Well, you do energy clearings. Is there anything else? Yes. So so people, okay, so you all have the ability truly to actually move energy from your own self, okay? So what I would encourage people to do is just doing what Oceana is saying is let yourself feel in to the trauma, feel into the emotion, okay? Let your body accept it, go through it, but also once you're in that feeling state, then you literally to see yourself literally just using your, your intention, call in the white flame, the Holy Spirit itself, ask for that white flame to start dissolving, 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 and spinning and create that frequency of that trauma and help to dissolve it out, you know, as you're accessing it and allowing it and welcoming it and facing it and just surrendering to it, then you use that white flame and you just see it happening and you, you guys, you can also, I'm not joking, you can call me in and I'll do it. I'll spit that energy, okay? So you've got that. And but you can do it yourself. So just try that out and just lay down, drop in feeling, and then bring in that white, see it, visualize it, give the go-ahead, give permission, asking for that white flame to come through and dissolving, dissolving, dissolving the trauma, all that energy, you know, whatever's there. And energy can get lifted and cleared. So y'all have that ability, capability. You can all do it, truly. That's great. That's great advice. Use the white flame. Yeah. 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 Um, and then let's see, tiny bit of time left. Um, tomorrow, uh, Tamara and others have been experiencing dizziness and nausea as they've expressed emotion. That's not unusual. That's actually, that's yeah. what you know, okay. yeah, I would have, sometimes I people throw up. Okay, not joking, for real. When energy's moving, you get nauseous, you get lightheaded, you vomit, and sometimes sometimes just dry vomiting. But it's energy moving, so it's actually a good thing. This is probably why I have people lay down when they're doing any kind of big energy work because you can definitely get lightheaded. You can definitely feel, you know, nauseous and not feel good. But it's a good sign because it does mean energy is moving. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just looking at these questions, a few more questions here. Um, that, um, Alice is saying, if this month is using divine fire energy to clear our emotions, does that mean that in September we'll see more weather disasters from Mother Earth? I feel these disasters are by and large orchestrated. They are created by the old power structure. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that fire energy is being used, I feel. Oh, yeah. A lot of density. Oh yeah, yeah, that's probably what's happening. Yeah, it has to. There's it's like the purging. We're in a purging, people. That's it. 
The world is purging. The earth is purging. Everything is shifting and changing. Yes. Take the ride. That's the best thing you can do. Take the ride. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and then let me see here. One last one. Christina's um, saying, okay, everyone has discarnates, but what about good influence entities? I mean, you could. No, you do, no, no. You do not want any discarnates in your body. I, even those that have good intentions, have your highest interest. Here's the thing. They're friggin' humans. Yeah. They still have all their belief systems, their misperceptions. They are not clear. You do not want anybody in your body. Yeah. Period. That's I, I it. thought there's, there's positive entities who are angels and guides, but they're not going to jump into. They're not going to be in your body. Don't yeah. come into your body. Okay. Yeah. Dead yeah. people don't belong in your body. That's it. Period. <laughs> That's it. You know, and this was such an amazing moment in in human history that people are beginning to face this. And I'm so glad for Bonnie's work. Um, and Christine is also asking, um, is Bonnie aware the moon is an inorganic satellite? Um, the, the etheric blueprint is still there. And I feel, mm-hmm. anyway, the moon still influences us. Oh, yeah. Life. Yes, it definitely. It's still. It will be for, it was about a two-week influence. So we're a few days past it, but we got, you know, a good week, good week and a half of still having big influence. So take advantage of it, people. Yeah, absolutely. And our clearings available on YouTube are only through the paid membership. Membership, membership.spiritualacceleration.com. You sign on to that for free and then you can purchase clearings there. You can purchase, um, you go to sessions uh, at spiritualacceleration.com to work with one of Bonnie's team members or with her. And, um, there are wonderful, um, upcoming clearings in mm-hmm. September. Um, mm-hmm. let's see here. I shouldn't have that up in front of me. <laughs> Clearing anxiety. That's a huge mm-hmm. yeah, that's a big one. September 8th. All right. Mm-hmm. And, um, on September 22nd, tap into unlimited possibilities. And when you purchase this, you can be there live as it's happening. It'll be, uh, a discounted, uh, rate. Um, for, um, for those. Yeah, you get, yeah, it's fine, but it's cheaper if you go buy it when it's live. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you, Yvette. White Flame is very helpful. And, um, there's just so many phenomenal clearings on the membership site. So go to members.spiritualacceleration.com and look at those. And then if you, um, go to, um, clearings, uh, yeah. yes, coming live group energy clearings. So yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to add or, um, is that yeah, enough? No, just add, really just take advantage. Be, you know, just let it all go and just say yes. Just say yes. Let the energy move. That will happen. Alrighty. Thank you, Oshana. It's been sure. real. Always. Oh, always an honor to work with you. Thank you everyone for being here. Huge blessings and we'll see you next month. Yeah. Thank you everyone. Tell your friends. Bring it on. All right. That was just yesterday, everybody. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay, so now what? Um, 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 what did you say, Rama? Oh, let me turn the page. Yes. 
Um, Ancient Secrets for Modern Manifestation. Is that? No, that's not the one. Is that it? Yeah. This one is 46 minutes. And uh, how can a 300-year-old block (laughs) help you manifest in the modern world? Healer and mystic Stephen Ross returns to open minds to share excerpts from his personal library passed down to him from Manny, Manly Palmer Hall, the father of all this esoteric philosophy there is to me. And he, de- he delves into how these ancient alchemical secrets can guide us into greater contact with our higher selves and miraculous healing abilities. Witness evidence of a life-changing before and after miracle as Ross illustrates how the power of belief can help us manifest healing and true transformation. Mm-hmm. Stephen A. Ross, Ph.D., is co-founder and CEO of the World Research Foundation. For nearly 40 years, he has researched and lectured around the world. He has delivered over 200 lectures, making presentations to various worldwide government agencies, lovely hospital networks, and has and has been interviewed on more than 150 radio shows and 15 regional and national television programs. He has been an expert witness for the city of Los Angeles and consulted for the insurance industry. Wow. Okay, Regina Meredith is having this fine man as a, as a guest. So here we go. This is 46 minutes. Let's start. Snowballs, tumors, Melting. So, what are we capable of? Who knows? That's what we're capable of and more. I've seen someone burned in my presence with an iron. They joked, hey, you're supposed to be the healer. Why don't you do something? So I went over, blew on it. The pain was gone. Why? If people were tuned into themselves, they would either get information through their consciousness or in dreams. But since most people don't do that, their own higher self manifest something in their physical being to make you stop, look, and listen. Why is this little voice that's always inside every one of us always dwelling on the negative thing that happened? The three keys to all manifestation, imagination, faith, and... We have one of our favorite in-house mystics back with us, Stephen Ross. Today we're going to be tackling the subject of belief, as in how beliefs can severely limit our capabilities in life. Stephen himself has broken through our belief that the body is solid and slow to heal and has helped hundreds of people spontaneously heal from the worst of diseases. But how does that happen? Welcome back, Stephen. Thank you, Regina. (laughs) And before I get into it, I want to thank you. And I never take any of these interviews for granted. 
I appreciate oh. the invites. Here. Oh, well, you are so welcome. And obviously you're back because everybody loves you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So we're going to start out talking about the principle that habit is not law. And so we're taking belief. Usually that's like power of belief. Now we're talking about the power of belief today to actually interfere with our own good. So yes. habit is not law. What yes. Is- so I'd like to start with a joke and okay, a true story. Okay, that's Stephen. Luffle. <laughs> so a 92-year-old man goes to his medical doctor and has an examination. And then two weeks later, the doctor sees the man in public with a gorgeous young lady on his arm. A month later, he goes back for an examination. And the doctor says, you are really doing wonderfully. And the man says, I did exactly what you told me to get a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor looks at him and says, I didn't say that. I said, you have a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> That's <laughs> cute. <laughs> so along with that, now, Harvard Medical School, every year, one of the professors tells the following story to the people in the heart division. He was making his rounds. He came to the bed of a patient who was in a coma and they were expecting to take over the bed at any minute. And he had six interns with him. So the doctor puts a stethoscope on the man and said to all the interns, listen, listen to that. Listen to the wholeness of the beat. So each of the interns listens and goes, oh, yes, we hear that. Well, they expected the man to die any moment. But a week later, the man is up. He's walking around. Two weeks later, he checks out of the hospital. And the doctor sees him and says, you are a miracle. And the man said, well, that's not what you told me. And the doctor said, what did I tell you? The man said, when you came to me and said, my heart was whole and six other doctors agreed, I thought I was okay. Well, not only did he think he was okay, his heart was 100% rectified. The man was in a coma. He was ready to die. But he still heard that. So I'm setting our parameters that habits, belief systems have locked us in to what is truly the potential of what we are all capable of. And that is what I want to get across in our sharing today, Regina. We have unlimited potentials. We absolutely do. And, you know, we read biographies. People who enjoy reading biographies are always just stunned that this person just believed they could do it. They didn't necessarily have the tools. They didn't have the money or backing or education oftentimes, but they believed they could do it. And that's really the seed. That's that. If without that, it won't happen. Correct. And with that, anything can happen pretty much. And and that's what we're going to share in our brief yes, time today. Yes, we're going to show a couple images too. And you have this magnificent book from the 1700s here. With we're going to share all of that. And people are excited because everyone loves a miracle, but everyone feels like that's something far off for saints and yes. mystics and people like you, <laughs> mystics, Good. right? But it's not. So first of all, let's talk about in, from your perception what the human being is capable of right now, even though we're going through our advancement as a species and our evolution transformation right now, what are we capable of as a species? We are capable of instantaneous healings, not only for ourselves, but 
for others. We are capable of physical bodies that can do even more. We, we're talking about people who live back ends of cars. I mean, that may be a couple steps down, but we're talking about people who lift thousands of pounds of weight where the greatest weightlifters may not be able to do that. We are capable of having our minds travel great distances while our physical body is in one place. But we're capable of taking that body to other locations too, by location. That is also possible and has been done. And I will tell you, we are all capable of doing it. Thank you, sir. Someone has to give everyone permission to be outlandish enough to believe that of themselves. Because we've been so beaten down in our beliefs of ourselves. Well, a lot of it has to do with what people are listening to. Now, without getting into it, but getting into it, the politics, the division in this world is stopping people from looking internally. Yes. Everybody is This external. is coming up in every interview now. <laughs> it's true. It's time. Yes. And even though people, some people in the spiritual community talk about the advancement we have and our souls are ready, they're not going to be ready if we're locked into what is taking place always outside. So it doesn't make any difference whether you're on the right side of the discussion or the left side of the discussion, we're going away from what is inside and what we're capable of. And this is why I'm a very firm believer. Even some of the, quote, gurus and people who are out there lecturing, you and I have talked about this. A lot of them do not know what they're talking about, and they do not live what they're saying. That's correct. They can tell an audience, well, you can do this and that, when I've met these people for meals after we've been on the podium, somebody talks to me about prosperity consciousness and goes, oh, things are not going well. You just gave an entire presentation on pro. Why aren't you able to aren't live you embodying it? Exactly. Right. So there's a belief, there's a flaw in the belief system there. Well, because so this they is, don't it becomes think they theoretic. Can do it. Right. It's just a theoretical concept. Correct. It's like teach best what we need to learn, right? Exactly. That's like that. So I want to bring something up right now because you're talking about physical manifestations and then we'll start moving into the rest of this. Okay. Um, in a book called The Physics of God, one of the, by Joseph Selby, one of the examples he, he brings up is a woman that had multiple personalities. She had 10 personalities and she was, um, she was so intriguing. They actually studied her physiologically as the personalities change, which brings in fact, I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, as the personalities change, what happened is her eye color would change with personalities. Her voice changed. Moles would come onto the skin and disappear from the skin, right? Yes. All Her blood type changed. All of these things were changing as her personalities changed, and they were witnessing, drawing blood, and blah. Anyway, this to me, this is one of the most wonderful stories of what energy can do and how quickly it can change matter. Yes. So, of course, now I'm going to be esoteric about it. I'm thinking, hmm, are these past life imprints? Are these other entities reaching in with their imprints because she's so permeable? How do you, what, how do you see multiple I, I like, like your, your first explanation mm-hmm. that it is a combination. Mm-hmm. I am a little bit not involved with 
devils with uh, outside influences having that much of a control. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does happen, but the past life explanation is very real. There is so much, believe it or not, Regina, in the literature. Yes, all that is capable, and it is in scientific literature, but nobody likes to talk about it. This is why it's a good time to bring up Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright had cancer tumors, and this was written by Dr. Koffler in the psychology um, magazines. He had tumors the size of snowballs. Cribiazin, which was a new extract for cancer, came out, and his doctor was one of the clinical trials. And so the clinical trials said that people had to have at least a year expectancy. Well, Mr. Wright had tumors so bad he was on a breathing apparatus, they didn't expect him to last two weeks. But he goes to his doctor, Koffler, and he says, can you please put me on the Gribiazin? And the doctor says, I I really can't because you you don't have a year's expectancy. But he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it to you off the books, out of the study. So he gives it to Mr. Wright, and within two weeks, Every tumor is gone. The size of, of like you said, snowballs. snowballs. Wow. Well, he's out. He's flying an airplane. And then an article came out. Cribiazin didn't work. And no doctor had any faith in it. Well, Mr. Wright overnight developed all the tumors back and oh, ends, ends in the hospital. Now, remember this in the medical literature. Yeah. So. The doctor looks and says, this is physically impossible according to our laws. So he says to Mr. Wright, I am giving you a double strength carbison. I love it. And within three days, all the tumors were gone again. He is flying. Now, it came out that carbison was banned in the United States. And within one week, Mr. Wright was dead. Because he listened. Now, here's the caveat to the story. The doctor didn't have the real Corbison. He had the placebo. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't even know. That's amazing. Snowballs, tumors, melting. So what are we capable of? Who knows? That's what we're capable of and more. Instantly. instead, people remain attached to their stories of illness. Yes. But that's programmed. I, that's programmed by the pharmaceutical industry that the only way that you're going to be rectified, no more nature is going to help you. You have to be taking this pill and the white coat is going to save your life. Now, I am not advocating people not going a particular route, but I'm saying you've got to have common sense. Somehow people survived. Nature is one of the greatest cure-alls, but we are giving away our power, Regina. That's what I was looking for. We're giving away our power outside. So how can we truly trust what's inside if we don't believe inside is giving us the truth? Well, and sadly, we're based in a sea of people like us that have the same limited belief and have given their power away. So if you try to say, no, I'm going to, I'm doing this thing. I believe I can do it. And you have all these voices around you. And of course, this is kind of the hero's journey, isn't it? Yes. This always is the hero's journey. It's like, oh, he's crazy. You can't make it. 
but so not really having to detach from what others have to say and the voices in our head from around us is as important as finding that belief inside ourselves. Well, there, and, and here's the other part. We started with habit is not law. Yeah. Sometimes it isn't just the other people. We fall into our habits, Regina. Yes. This is what we always do. This is how we do it. This is we're going to. And because of that, we don't venture out. We don't break through that energy pattern of this is what I do. This is going to be the result. So if something is slightly askew from how it's been before, but this is our habit, then it may not work. And then we call into question, oh, my gosh, this is not working anymore. And then we quickly run somewhere else to have them give us the fix. Right. Meaning we didn't have full faith to begin with. And we don't have the, the patience. Faith. We yes. don't have the will. Yes. These are very basic terms. Manly P. Hall spoke in his books extensively yes. about having this faith and have true faith, true will, and applying will in a proper way, not in a willful, stubborn way. Right. And explain the difference. So now you're a person who's listening to you. You're someone in our audience and say there's something going on in your body and doctors have been pushing you around. You've been on every drug. It's not going the way you want. And you're you're now making a statement to self. How does that kind of will and belief look and how do you employ it? I look at it like this. Um, if people were tuned into themselves, they would either get information through their consciousness or in dreams. But since most people don't do that, their own higher self manifests something in their physical being to make you stop look and listen to question with things you're doing. So what do you do? You say to yourself, this just didn't befall me because I'm an unlucky person. Could I have brought this on upon myself because of something I've done in my life or a belief system? When people call and I've counseled people now, oh gosh, it's been like 50 years. That's the first thing I start talking to them. What was going on in your life 12 to 16 months before your diagnosis? Key number one. So if anyone's listening, pause for a moment and go back. What was happening 12 to 16 months ago before this fully manifested? Yes. And every single time the person will say, oh, and it's going to be a multitude, family, friend, loved one, husband, wife, father. Oh, yeah. Uh, audit by the IRS, whatever it was, it was something that overwhelmed the psyche of that particular person. And then we start peeling it. So somebody in your audience needs to look. And believe me, God and the world does not rash, just punish people for no reason. We are breaking some sort of whether it's the law of nature. Now, what is the law of nature? If you gluttonly stuff yourself or you take things you're allergic to, you're going to get ill. Yeah. And if you do erroneous thinking, that's negative, negative, negative. And we're going to discuss this little voice. Why is this little voice that's always inside every one of us always dwelling on the negative thing that happened? You and I have an experience. The little voice is going, should have done this. Why didn't we do that? This is going to happen. But if you have a happy experience, it doesn't last very long. Why is that little voice just 
be happy through the whole day and go, oh, my gosh, this was great. And then you would find people happy and fulfilled. But that little voice is always going, oh, no, no, this is wrong. This is going to happen. This person's going to tell me off. I've got to do that. That little voice is digging and gnawing like a mouse on something <laughs> on a wire. And so I look at let's start addressing this this inward more. Ask the same person in the audience, is that little voice just clanging on you over and over and over? Then you need yes. to quiet it down. And stop. Just take a pause and trace it. What just made that little voice speak up because yeah. then you're just getting into deep subconscious stuff. And, you know, people like to beat up on the subconscious mind. I mean, this is one of my passions is the notion of what we're, what we're listening to within our own mindset. Yeah. And the subconscious is there to try to protect us on a survival level. Yes. So it doesn't want us to do anything that detaches us from the community yes. or that could be perceived as uh, wrong. So we could be outcast and thus unsafe or right down to, you know, something that's more specific about walking in front of car or whatever. But it's, I think it's there annoying at us because it's just doing its job, which is nah, 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 We're trying human. to protect us. It's protecting us. Make sure you're part of the tribe. Everything's okay. You're yes. safe. Yes. So we don't beat it up, but we have to stop and say, hold on a minute now. There's no reason for me to be asking that question. Try the old five-minute test and listen and watch everything your mind brings up. Exactly. Even though you say, okay, this is what it is. We're just going to do this. Look how many subjects and times, and I don't care how far along you go, that little voice is there because it's part of the mechanism of being in a physical body. Oh, yeah. It's just a part of a survival mechanism. Right. That's all. Yeah. So we don't have to beat it up, but we don't have to listen to it either all the yes. time. Yeah, don't walk out in front of a car. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Don't bump into things. Right. <laughs> Beyond that, yes. you know, you know, you don't have to listen to the chatter. So, you know, before off camera, we had uh, talked about the notion of where humans have broken through certain limits. Like it was a big one when Roger Bannister broke through the four minute mile, yes. for example. Yes. And uh, I have an extensive sports background, so I'm very familiar. And you ben- were in track. Yes, yeah. I, ran, I ran track yeah. and field, but I, I was a sprinter, not that the mile. Yeah. But nobody believed you could break four minutes. They they really, there were some writings that said your joints would not be able to hold up in a physical body. They'd blow body. apart? I mean, what did- <laughs> yeah, they would just fall apart on the track, all the bones. <clears throat> and then somebody said in order to break it, it would have to be a 68 degree day, no wind, perfect conditions, and good competition. So here's Roger Bannister in England. Rainy, windy day. It was worse than 68 degrees. There was no really other good runner, and he runs 359.4. He broke the four minutes. And after that, all kinds of other athletes were able to break four minutes. But why? They were perfect physical specimens, but that was not enough. They needed to the believe okay. it was possible. Right. Do you know what Roger Bannister had to say was going on inside him that day? Did he ever make a comment about what he, was going and, on? And by the way, he was knighted, so he ended up Sir Roger Bannister. Yes. He was a medical doctor. He was a competitive athlete. Did yeah. he ever say what happened that day when he just broke yeah. through? 
I never read, although I I, I've read reports from him, but it never really said I knew. No, he, he was a competitor and he went out and maybe because the conditions were bad, he had to do more to overcome them. <laughs> and sometimes that is the motivation. And that is what we'll find in some of the other examples. Yes. Is that there is a motivator that came into play where we shifted gears from our habit, our fear to our or belief to our true potential. Yeah. Yeah. Shifted gears. Yeah, because I never read him saying that. anything particularly profound about that day either. I no. thought maybe you had. And there was not enough competition. Like, it was not enough, like a horse race. Yeah. They were boom, boom, they hit the wire. No, it was by himself. And he broke it for everyone. Correct. It's for all the others waiting to break it, to yes. believe they could. Yes. Which is wonderful because it's such a simple, clean little example. Now let's talk about, I want to go into, because we have some images that um, you've shared with me, and I said, we've got to share these. So people who've watched us before understand that you learned early in life that this body can respond very quickly to thought, mind, and yes. intention. And so you felt, I don't know, hundreds, if not thousands by now, I don't know, of people. And uh, one day you said, you I was in your home and you said, well, this is what it's like, Regina, and you handed me a pillowcase. And the pillowcase had a bunch of letters in it and said, you can kind of see how it works. And people like, oh, my God, the tumor went away. Thank you so much. I, I, I'll love you forever. You know, it was love letters because you've helped people. Right. And you don't charge for it. It's just what you are and do and from the past through now. So on that note, let's talk about this man that came to you. And um, he had these nasty looking red I don't know what you call them, all over his neck and his head and his face. Well, what were they? I mean, he he spoke and, he, and it was a FaceTime. So I was never with him. And he woke up with these heavy, more than just surface blotches, but yeah. lumps uh, all over his body. Yeah. And we spoke a little bit and he asked if I might be able to assist him. I said I would. And the next morning when he woke up, it was... We can see in the pictures yeah, there. It was 90%. Gone. It was what gone. Did he, did he call you? Uh, yes. He, he Well, he sent the pictures. He sent the pictures. He said he had sent the original pictures to a medical doctor. He said, oh, my God, we'll get you in because he contacted the doctor at night. you got to come in the next day and we'll look and see what's there. But he had a picture of the picture in his mind is of what he had the picture in my mind is what he was not going to have the picture in my mind which replaced his picture was that he it was clear template. yes yeah. but before we make it that people are going to be contacting me for healings you and i discuss this i don't do that as much as i told him he has to investigate internally why these came up. The same right. thing we said before, because uh, he, of course, knew that I had helped individuals. And this is what I think makes the best healers. Healers don't heal people. People heal themselves. But the best healers are the ones who set up the best environment that the belief is going to yes. take place. The perfect template. Yes. The out, for the outcome. Yes. Why does it say in the Bible, 
because in his own hometown, because of their non-belief, he could do no mighty miracles. This was Jesus, Mm -hmm. because in his own hometown, there was a slightly different image than the rest of the world has of him. But there's a very profound statement there. Yes. If somebody was the one who does it, they should be able to do it every time. Right. It's their energy. What we're doing is supercharging people's concepts by making an environment. And this is why I believe everybody listening to the news, all this division, all this negativity, as opposed to if you were in a society where everything was possible, where the belief system was so strong that people just assumed, well, you could instantaneously take care of this. Like the kahunas who were able to do their magic, like the Laplanders in Lapland who sing particular songs and they heal split open arteries, instantaneous healing. Why? Their culture believes and knows this is going to happen. So if you and I grew up in a society where everything is possible. Now, there is a great book by a man named Talbot called The Holographic Universe. Yes. And one of the chapters, chapter seven, is called A Pocket Full of Miracles. And in it, he talks about all these things you and I are going to talk about, including the example of a man named Nathan Corker, who was a blacksmith, who would handle uh, molten lead and put it in his mouth until it cooled off and nothing would happen to him. Or a 12-year-old boy who would throw red-hot horseshoes and play with them. And the doctors and the New York Herald in 1871 investigated, they analyzed, they go, their skin is just like everybody else. And they interviewed him, little boy. Oh, nobody told me I can't play with these. (laughs) Nathaniel Cocker, well, can't everybody do this? Like molten lava? Not lava, but but people walk across lava also. It is... If you expect something to happen, if it is commonplace in that area, we are all capable of doing that. So the pocket full of miracles talks about societies that have a belief and everyone in the society can do exactly what they all believe. But even with that, Regina, I don't believe in making boundaries because that's what they believe. But could there be even more? Even more. Yes. Yes. Well, actually, I was going to bring something else up, but that's what this book is about. Correct. This amazing book. It's in French, and it's about the truth of miracles that had taken place and been documented in, what, 17, when was this book published? This book was published in 1737, Mm -hmm. and it is obviously the original book. Yes. And in the, around 1735, in Paris, France, individuals, had gone to a tomb of their religious leader who had recently died. And there was a couple of very spontaneous healing. But then a whole group, more than a thousand people, started going into a trance-like state where they would be struck with 30-pound sledgehammers 50 times in the stomach with no damage to the body, Women would lie on a spike and have a 50-pound stone drop 20 feet, no damage to the skin, nothing on their back. 
They were burned. They were cut and sliced with knives. Nothing penetrated their skin. So the Catholic Church at the time and the French Parliament <laughs> goes, whoa, wait a minute, we're hearing reports. So they send this author out from the from the Parliament to investigate. He starts as a skeptic. Meanwhile, they had to send 3,000 volunteers out to watch over these people because when they were being burned, the woman's clothes would burn off, but they were naked. So the, the church <laughs> sent out these people to protect. For modesty purposes. And that's yes. exactly what they said. Yeah. Well, this author goes out. This book is documented with notary testaments and statements of everything these people were doing which is, I, I'm not even stating it all. They they used hatchets. They used sledgehammers. <laughs> Jesus. Nothing. I mean, did they do this to each other? I mean, no. They they invited the people. Strike come me. And do this. They, they would say, "Strike me again. Hit. Strike me again harder." So people brought harder. their whatever their apparatus from every single thing. Yeah. Wow. And in this book are the the testimonials, what happened, the before, the after. So the result of this book is. <laughs> This man is imprisoned in the Bastille because they... But they sent him out to document it. That's they right. Because they couldn't explain They could not explain it. So then eventually, and I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm just going to mention the religion. The Catholic Church came and said, that it, this was the devil's work. Mm-hmm. And the devil made all of them do that. However, why did this impress me? I have always been interested in human potential and how far we can go, and beliefs and manifestations. And these thousands of people knew, they knew that they could not be harmed. Now, if somebody looks at that and thinks, wow, I mean, that's rare, 60 years, and by the way, they, the people were called the convulsionaries. They were a Janist philosophy Protestant. Now, 50 years before this, there was another uprising, uh, religious that the Catholic Church was not happy with. And that group of soldiers went out and were firing bullets at these people. And the bullets were found between their clothing and their body, never striking their body. So I, as a kind of a researcher, like these anomalies. But... Are they really anomalies or are all of us capable? If you have thousand people doing these things in this book, that's different than one man, yes, one exactly. prophet, one mystic. It's, yes. it's, it's not random one off. Exactly. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Now, you and I are going to talk about is fear the motivator? Well, because that's what I wanted to ask you about is this hysterical strength. And now you touched on this a little while ago. That someone in a, under certain conditions can lift far more than the human body is supposed to be capable. Right. And, uh, you and I before the show, I sent you about the woman whose little young baby boy is under the car and the woman lifts the car, lifts the car up and the baby gets. And as a result, the person who wrote the story of the Hulk and the comic strip read that article, and the Hulk is based on this, this woman. woman. Yes. Yes, I was fascinated by, this by woman. that. But now here's the thing. She didn't do it out of 
Did she do it out of fear or out of love? She did it out of love. It's and her that, baby. And that's the difference. Okay, let's talk about that because most people would say, um, just by the current medical model, that her system was flooded with cortisol and this gave her superhuman strength. And it was the cortisol responding to fear, like, stop this now. You know, my baby's going to be killed. So how how do we put these two concepts together? And is that kind of superhuman fear, um, superhuman love? How does that work if it's love versus fear? Or you do you can't, believe? How, are the two the same? Believe, if we believe that it's fear yeah. and it's the cortisol, you know, the doctors and their limits and their yeah. explanations, yeah. even in science and physics, um, is nonsensical. They're always going, oh, this happened and, and, yeah. and this was present. So this had to be the cause. Right. Not necessarily. I can look at it and say, do we need to have cortisol to do superhuman feats? No, no, right. No. So let's talk about that for a moment. I believe that once it comes into our consciousness, here's a good example. Uh, when I read the book, the Pantageli aphorisms, yogi aphorisms, there were all the things you could do after 10 years of intensive yoga training. I was very fortunate to experience all of these two days after I read them. Mm -hmm. And I was eating meat and I certainly wasn't doing any kind of yogic stuff. But when I attempted to do it later out of curiosity, I wasn't able to. But I was shown that we are capable of doing all of these things. But if you believe you need 10 years of a yogi, then it's going to take 10 years. Absolutely. But the transcendentalists were hugging trees and getting cosmic consciousness. Right. As opposed, yogic story. Man, businessman, heavy-duty businessman wakes up one day and goes, what is life all about? What's What's my purpose? So he says to one of his partners, they say, go to the metaphysical bookstore. They will have the answers. So he goes and they go, you need to go to Tibet. Go to the yogis. So this man flies, goes to the Himalayas. Wrong time of year, not dressed, collapses in the snow. So when he wakes up, the yogis are there and they go, what are you doing here? And he goes, <laughs> I've come for the secret of existence. Have I come to the right place? And they go, no. And he goes, well, where do I need to go? They said, where did you come from? And he mentioned your city, whatever. And they said, that's where the answer is. It's always with you. It's not outside. It's not with anybody else. It is with us. So we want to believe it takes 10 years. It's going to take 10 years. You want to believe, which I've seen someone burned in my presence with an iron, was getting a blister. They joked, hey, you're supposed to be the healer. Why don't you do something? So I went over. It was gone, but they still had a pain. Blew on it. The pain was gone. Why? No special I don't want people writing me. I want them to understand. Do it, do it, do it yourself, yourself yes. and know that it is, is possible. And I'm probably a good example because I'm, go- I'm a goofball. I was in sports. I eat meat. I enjoy being with the opposites. You don't have to be celibate and only eat vegetarian if that's the belief. 
This is the incredible earth plane era we live in, Regina, right now. But P.P. Quimby, the great healer, said, thought is like the aroma of a rose. You don't see the aroma, but it permeates. But understand, everybody's rose auras or negative auras are coming upon us every second. Yes. They're, they're permeating. And can we stop it? Yes, if we're aware that we may be feeling not bad within ourselves, but we're, it's called pickup. We're picking up the energies of other people. Right. We're picking up their vibrations. Thoughts are everything. Yes. And now there was a great book many years, 30 years. The body believes every word you say. Why is it then that we have so much harder a time healing ourselves when even when you can work with healing energy yes. as you do and others, including myself, do with other people? And, and right before I answered that question, I want to go back to an experience I had when I, I was first in the field. A very good friend of mine called me up, a nurse, and said, our friend Cindy, she's in a bathtub now. She's in excruciating pain. Please, she does not want to go into the hospital. And this is coming from a nurse friend saying, we don't want to take her to the hospital. Please help her with the pain. So I go over, and within minutes, all the pain was gone. And I was very proud of myself. And then I, the voice goes, she's got to go to the hospital right now. So I said, you you got to go to the hospital. So they go into the hospital, and the hospital said, 30 minutes more, and she'd have been dead. Dead. Now, wow. what happened? Mm. I just got rid of the pain. The pain. You that's, didn't get rid of the problem. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so this stuff is nuanced. And we all, every one of us has to start playing with this in our own way. But the main thing is to understand this capability actually is going to become everyday stuff, not magic. In our future incarnations, which we're already leading into. Yes. This will be everyday stuff that we as a species do. And the people who yes. are going to be open. And yes. and I always would love everybody to have these. And I did not answer your question why we we tend to always be stronger in the in negative. someone else. Yes, than our own self. Yeah. Yes. Why is that? I, I, I can look and be brutally honest and say it's the same thing with me. I, I have... I'm in my 75th year. I've been doing this for a long time and I have things happen. And I ask myself that because there, there is a little bit of doubt. But when I've analyzed myself, sometimes I've said, do I deserve this? Do I deserve being able to use this energy I have to help other people on myself? So despite studying and being involved and working with thousands of people. We're all human. We live in a human body. And I go through the same things as as other people do. Yes, you do. I know because I know you. I know you. And so maybe this is part of it, too, is this beauty in the fact that it is a circle. We're all here together and we're all here to help one another and to also have the humility in ourselves to say, I'm not at my strongest. Can you help me? Yes. And, and that is important. So 
when because I don't want people leaving the show going, oh, my God, I'm not going to go to my doctor. I'm not going to listen. No, to I'm going to call Stephen. No, no. This is to re- start looking inside. It's, it's about balance. Yes. You know, Jesus was the balanced middle way. The Buddha is the, the balanced path. It, it is knowing when we should or could be doing things and when we need assistance. Uh, I have never joined any group organization, but that doesn't mean that I don't find them interesting or have not taken things. I just don't want to be limited by the concepts of who we are listening to working. That is why, and, and you know the library, it's a 20,000 volume library. World Research Foundation, yes. your library. They have books like these in it. I made a point never to read this, two books in a row by the same author. Interesting. I, another, read another. Because you're just reinforcing the belief then. Over and over yeah. and over. Now I'm not saying I didn't speed read the second one and get back to the first, <laughs> but yeah. it was, Emerson said, when I find narrow viewpoints, I find narrow reading. And that is exposure. So what is the key? What's the underlying key? To be with positive people. To not listen to the friggin' news and the TV hour after hour. I don't like this. I don't. That's negative, 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 negative. And then we wonder, well, how come we can't be positive? How come we can't heal ourselves? Why? Because we're bathing in the sea of negativity. Well, yeah. see, that's beautiful. Your audience is lucky they have you, but I think no. they know. That. <laughs> they already know this about themselves. <laughs> Most of them have. Quit watching that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But but, but that's the point. One final question, because our time is up and it's just flown. All these things we didn't get to, goodness gracious. Um, But the difference between belief and faith. Yes. Well, the, the, (laughs) the explanation, if you look at the encyclopedia or dictionary would be with, with faith, it is, you, you know, it's going to happen. With belief, it's a belief. You think it may happen. It's still a little theoretical, you hope. Exactly. And that is why the three edicts that the great alchemist Paracelsus, the greatest mystic alchemist healer of all time, the three keys to all manifestation, imagination, faith, and will. Picture what you want to manifest. Know. He didn't say believe. Know that it must manifest and the will to stay the course until it does happen. So what, what do I want to leave your audience with? Trust yourself. Know these things are possible. Immerse yourself and know these are not rare occurrences, but they're there. You do not need to be jacked up with fear, but if you just know. Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East by Baird Spaulding. Five-volume set. Read volume one to the half of volume two about what people supposedly in India were doing. Why supposedly? They have investigated and a lot of people say, hey, he never met these masters. He did in the internal realms who are passing information. Yes. Listen to the spirits around us. What is possible? Well, there's nothing we can add to that. Stephen, thank you so much. It's such a joy being around you always. Thank you. And thank you for bringing to us the absolute necessity for us to begin having faith. Faith, knowing in ourselves. And be happy. And be happy. Luffle.
<laughs> Thank you again, Stephen. Again, if you're not familiar with Stephen's work, you can enjoy hours of viewing my previous conversations with him here on Gaia. You can also go to lesscomplicated.net to connect with Stephen in his truly praiseworthy archive of documents and books on philosophy, healing, and many other subjects from throughout the ages. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Okay. Oh my goodness. Oh, Rama. Rama. Hold on, everybody. Hold on. You gotta come. Um. Okay. All right. So, where are we here? Okay. This is... This is going to be the... uh, the next one here. Just a moment. Okay. So, what we will do next is, there we are. It's called channeling light beings. Yes, and this one says, Channel Bree Melanson receives higher information from light beings on Pleiadian and Arcturian frequencies. In this episode, she charts a course for remembering Intuitive muscles. Hmm. Mm-hmm. In this episode, she charts a course for, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, for remembering, following initial nudges, quieting ego, opening the ethereal body, removing barriers to source, practicing discernment, and tuning into soul consciousness. From Melanson's awakening to her intuitive talent and her practice of becoming a mic for interdimensional entities, she covers protective resonance and boundaries to move through fear portals which allow her to identify her, which allow her identity to recede from the driver's seat and trust the intuitive flow of frequencies. She describes ET contact in loose terms, offers photo proof of possible encounters intended as energetic upgrades, yet does not understand herself 
to be an alien abductee. She touches on meeting and matching frequencies to channel for best and highest good. So then this is again Bree Melanson and it's with George Nuri as the host. And this is 44 minutes. And so we'll begin. Did you have, do you have it, honey? Um, um, channeling light beings. Okay, hang on. Did you lose it? I thought you had it. Yeah, okay. All right, now we're ready. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Welcome to Beyond Belief. Bree Melanson is with us, a channeler and spiritual teacher who offers a grounded approach to spirituality, ETs, and self-healing by removing the divide between the material and metaphysical world. Bree has channeled various ET groups like the Arcturians and the Pleiadians and appears in Gaia's original program, Channeling, A Bridge to the Beyond. Bree, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be How here. How did you get involved in this? Well, I think it was a, a slow, natural unfolding. I guess like most things, I uh, was always enthralled with the metaphysical world and healing and how the mind works uh, and eventually, I guess, surrendered to it. I lived a pretty normal life, went to college, studied business, was a dancer. Before any of this had happened? Yeah. I mean, I was open as a child, which again, I think we all are very uh, intuitive beings sure. naturally. Uh, and a lot of us aren't really given parameters or a framework or really anywhere to, to put those, um, like inner knowings or skills. So I, I shut it off for most of my life, but was always really interested in quantum physics and, and healing. And, uh, I, I guess the, the pivot was I was on a plane and I was reading yet another spiritual book and the author was talking about having a spiritual healer. And I just was like, if I'm supposed to do this, then I'm going to need a teacher. I didn't even realize it was an option to have a spiritual teacher. And then on the way back on that trip, said teacher sat next to me, handed me her card and said, you should take my class. And I ended up uh, studying under her. Up. Yeah. And just practiced and kept honing in on things. Now, we all have our own definition for channeling. Mm -hmm. What do you say channeling is? Yeah, I see channeling as the shortest answer is kind of becoming the mic, right? And I think when we discuss channeling to also keep in mind that intuition, again, is the most natural part of us. And it's really just a matter of learning how to dissipate the ego mind and tune back into the truest essence of ourselves and our guidance system. And so when we are channeling, we are allowing a lot of ourselves to move to the side in order to allow for information to come through beyond just our sense of self and our own intelligence and wisdom. Well, Brie, when you channel, mm-hmm. who are you channeling? 
I, or what are your channels? Yeah, I um I think some channels tend to have you know a, a main boo, a main spiritual boo like Abraham Hicks, you know Esther Hicks channels Abraham. I or Seth uh, or, or Seth, like yeah, that. many examples of of channels learning to resonate with a certain frequency and sticking sure. within that. Um, I tend to work with, uh, as you've mentioned, you know, Palladians, Arcturians, Lemurians, um, ascended masters, even religious figures, angels. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm more, might parallel more of my life as a, a free. A do free they spirit. come to you or do you go to them? I, in the way that I've learned how to do it. And I guess the way that I practice is I usually set the intention of connecting with a certain intelligence and energy and uh, get into the state until I feel their reson- resonance enough. Um, and yeah, it usually just takes a few a few minutes. At the end of the program, Bree mm-hmm. is going to do a channeling for us to show us a little bit how it happens. Now, channeling generally allows you to tap into what? Higher information. Uh, generally, when something is channeled, it's something that we, it's information that we aren't quite embodying yet. Um, also, channeling will always be based in oneness consciousness. So they'll speak and we, it will support our growth. Uh, it'll be based in love and support, um, be void of separation or judgment. So I think beyond the incredible, incredible information that can come through, I think what's unique about channeling is that it's a very physical experience of feeling into um, higher information, even if you are just witnessing the channel. Um, and also, I think, allows us to feel the essence of our greater selves. So we can like know that we're, we're connected, but to actually watch a channel uh, shift into a higher frequency and feel that higher frequency as a witness I think is a, is a very powerful thing. Bree, is there a difference between channeling and receiving psychic messages? Yeah, the way that I see it, you know, we are all receiving uh, information through energy all the time. Constantly. Yeah, right. we're uh, unaware of a lot of things that we're processing. But if you were to take an example of, of say, a medium or if I were to practice mediumship, I it's like having a conversation, right? I'm I'm asking a question, I'm receiving information and then translating it. When you channel, uh, there's, it's not, there's like that lapse of time. So it's happening sure. in real time and it's coming through as a funnel or a channel in the moment and in the present. Let's talk about some of your earlier experiences. What mm-hmm. were some of the things that you went through? So I, the first time that I saw somebody channel, it was a mentor of mine. I was uh, having a personal energy session done and she started channeling and I, it was very strange to me. I had never seen it before. And she was connecting with Kuan Yin and Kuan Yin looked at me and said, why aren't you doing this? You can do this. And then in a moment, even though I, my mentor is amazing and uh, definitely trusted her. I just, part of me thought, what, like act weird and use an accent. I had no framework for it. So that was the first time I experienced seeing it. Uh, and then later took a class from this mentor. And when I first did in body channeling, I, when they spoke, they said she is afraid to be wrong. And it felt very strange. Um, and I, 
uh, it wasn't necessarily scary, but it definitely pulled me back into my conscious breeness. Back uh, to reality. Yeah, back to, or what, yeah, the reality that we're experiencing. And, uh, and I, I kind of leaned into channeled, uh, like almost transcribing. So writing, um, yeah, those are some, I guess, some of my, my first experiences. When you channel, mm-hmm. are they in your body, this entity, or how do you tap into it? The way that I understand is that it is a, it's more of a match of frequency. It's almost like we are meeting at a state of, um, bliss. Well, it is a, uh, it's almost like you would be meeting at a channel, like at a certain channel, right? So I do feel their presence within me and I don't feel how I usually feel. When you're channeling, you're, it's kind of like your identity is in the background. So you're, you're watching what's happening, you're aware. Um, but it feels like being in a really deep meditative state mm-hmm. or almost sleep state, I guess. Well, you mentioned uh, as a child, a lot of this happened to you. Do we shut down these special gifts that we have as children or do we accent it? Usually we're, we're, we shut them down because again, we're not given um, any framework for them or anywhere for them to be used. So as a kid, if I was seeing things and nobody else was seeing them, it's going to easily transfer to fear. And as a coping mechanism, I'm likely just going to shut that down. Um, so yeah, it's quite common for kids to be really intuitive. We're kind of fresh off the boat and totally turned They're not on. tainted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Channelers from Gaia's program, the original series, Channeling a Bridge to the Beyond, mm-hmm. explain how children lose some of their intuitive ability. Mm-hmm. Children's intuitive systems are wide open when they're born. It's the ages of five, six, and seven when we take them to school and start to conform with rules and regulations, which are fine and necessary, but it starts to shut that system down. They move from their inner world to the outer world. And that's when social constructed reality really starts to set in and kind of jam up the system a little bit. And I think it's really interesting that in psychology, uh, hero worship starts around eight to 10 to 12 years of age. And so what we do is we take our inner superhero when we take it outside of us and put it into animation and Superman and Spider-Man and Wonder Woman. But really, we are those inside. We can see through walls. We can leap with our mind anywhere we want to go. We all have evidence in our lives. We all do. At some point, we heard a voice. We had a gut feeling. We we followed a knowing and we don't know where it came from everything worked out we have evidence in our lives large or small where we've listened to that whisper that inner whisper whether it's our higher self or a guide or whatever we want to call it that's what we need to pay attention to usually we get that impulse we get the whisper And then our intellectual mind takes over and starts talking us out of it. Paying attention to that first insight, that first message, and follow it through. And then our intellect will will not try to discourage us from, it just wants to stay in control. 
and protect us, but our intuition is where we expand. Bree, can we condition ourselves to get better and better at this? For sure. Yeah, it's uh, like a muscle and also really just like a remembering. I honestly believe that our intuitive self is our most natural self and expression. So a lot of it is just heeding to the things that uh, make us feel at peace, make us feel in flow. Um, yeah, quieting the mind. A lot of, you know, when you're learning to reactivate your intuition, you're often guided through meditation, which is really just, sure. yeah, the process of getting the ego mind out of the way. And she makes a really good point of, um, giving that intuition somewhere to go. So getting the nudge is one thing, but following through is another. And the more that we can follow our intuition and give it more reason to come through, the more we can receive. In your introduction, we talked about how you channel the Pleiadians and the Octurians. Mm -hmm. How did that all start for you? So I attended a energetic uh, activation group class, and I'm generally not that energetically sensitive, but afterwards I felt really high, <laughs> incredibly joyful for, for quite a few hours afterwards. And so I got curious as to who they were. Uh, and I went home and it, by the, at that time I had learned how to channel. So I just kind of asked, who, who are you guys? What is the deal? And they're aliens, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I think, you know, as we're exploring these new territories, um, Semantics is something that we will continue to move through if it's aliens or ETs or interdimensional beings or light beings. I think, yeah, they're all to me. I, I, what are the benefits of talking to ETs? Well, I think, you know, if, if we are functioning from the premise and the understanding that they have been able to, at the very least, surpass uh, been structures there. of time and space that can travel through light. I reckon they know a little bit more than we do. And all the information that I've ever received from them has been incredibly loving and high and supportive and helpful. What kind of things do they tell you? Well, to remember our true nature and to not look to the external for power or guidance. Uh, we hear all the time that we are infinite and we're capable of creating many things and they've given a lot of pathways and how to access that part of ourselves and dissolve uh, the, the ego mind, as they talked about. Bree, how do you know they're not misleading you? Well, I've, you know, before I started channeling, I did readings for many years and I learned how to develop quite strong boundaries and discernment. So I think that that is an important thing when you are channeling or learning how to access your intuition and something that happens naturally is you end up working through um, boundaries and, and moving more into a place of empowerment and discernment. So I have never experienced anything, um, you know, that we would call dark or uh, that has affected me in any real have negative way. Have you been way. lucky? <laughs> I think it's a matter of the, the consciousness that I've, that I've held. I mean, if you, if a person walks into the room and they're really in their power you kind of understand not not to push, right? And it's not a game of power, but it's I like to think of more that it's our resonance um, that protects us than needing to protect ourselves from some unknown entity. Do you have regular entities that come to you? Well, when I work with 
the Pleiadians or the Ecturians, I, I do believe that I work with a, a similar group. I mean, just as we call upon people that match our energy and our value system and our intentions in life, of course, there's, there's a parallel within that. Um, yeah, we talked earlier about some channels having specific beings. I think sure. that, yeah, there's some type of karmic connection there. How do you access these channels? I learned uh, through a teacher, um, again, how to create boundaries. And then part of it has just been my journey as an intuitive uh, to get myself out of the way as much as possible and sit in the intention and anchor in the intention of wanting to be of service or move more towards my expansion or our expansion. Bree, have you ever been scared channeling? I think the when I was first discovering it, it was uh, definitely foreign. I've been more scared to show myself channeling because it can look kind of crazy. And hmm. I'm continuing to, yeah, just move through those little fear portals. What does the soul mean to you? Mm. I think of the soul as our, our whole being. And I think that it's a really helpful and important practice for us to always try on that and ask ourselves um, what, you know, if I were to describe my soul, if I had a soul, which we do, what would oh, my soul do. feel like? Yeah. And what, what types of things would my soul enjoy doing? When would I feel the essence of my soul? Um, the soul is the aspect of me that, that is innate, that is peaceful, that is harmonious, that is knowing, that is in the present. I think it's a, a really great exercise to just try on. Back to Gaia's channeling a bridge to the beyond. They talk a lot about channeling and entities and how to access and get better insight from the soul. Everything is here and now. Everything is all connected. It's not a particular place you have to go. It can be accessed from anywhere. Anywhere, anytime. It's just the idea that all information never goes away. It's all here and now. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot cease to exist. So if you are the frequency of a particular piece of information, that's the kind of information that will, so to speak, pop into your awareness. Because information is accessible from anywhere, anytime, any place. The best way to describe in human knowledge is certain record keeping. It is not a library of books held somewhere, but it is information that is in the soul, that is a continuum that is resonant in each cell of your body. So the record is held there within your being. Your human experience is the earth suit that you've chosen to navigate this planet. And so the soul enters this earth suit. It has cells which the soul permeates all of them. And that is where the records are held in all those cells, but more importantly, in the energy of the soul that is eternal. And speak of it as one's multidimensionality and vibrational frequency. Your universal self cannot be found within the thinking mind. This is just meant to process, yes? To process, to, to receive. 
process, transmit, you have learned this through the internet. Look at the way that you have expanded through your technology. Yes, you used to get news maybe months, years from somebody on the other side of the world. Now you have a phone conversation with them, yes? So it is becoming more available. And so is your connection to this universal mind and through your higher mind. So if you are looking for this universal mind, would you not connect with your, your universal self? Why is it important to access our soul? I think accessing our soul is more or less the answer to everything because the reason we suffer is, is always within the ego mind. And if our soul is the aspect of us, I like to think that it's our, our tether to this idea of source, the universal mind or God. It's the part of us that is connected to harmony and uh, creative power and guidance. So as we learn to nurture our soul, and again, as they've shared and we've discussed, it's much more tangible and physical and within reach. So the more that we can harness that and nurture that part of ourselves, the more access we have to universal intelligence, greater creative power, healing potential. You have always believed that we are portals, Mm -hmm. but to what? Well, to our ascension and our freedom um i think it's it's fun and it can be exciting to think about other dimensions but i think more importantly it is to try to integrate uh the information that comes through from these dimensions and that is generally about moving past our own fears and our fears are really meant to set us free and we can only do that we can only set ourselves free so in, in essence we are the portal to everything that we ask for. Did and you ever meet a channel, Brie, you didn't like? <laughs> Not yet. Maybe I need to You don't to look forward more. to that, yeah. do you? Yeah, <laughs> a channel. What are some of the things you've learned from some of these ETs? Mm-hmm. I, a, a massive amount of information. I've, I continue to integrate everything that I receive into my programs and my classes yeah, I think the practice alone has helped me to dissolve, you know, my own attachments to my ego. Uh, has it made you a better person? It's made my experience of life lighter and more joyous and more expansive. I guess you'd have to ask other people if it's made me a better person. I'd hope so. But I you're hope happier. I'm, yeah. Feels like I'm, I'm always ideally moving. Yeah, towards towards the light. Is there a difference between the Pleiadians and the Arcturians? Yeah, you know, I I have always been more interested in again the information that comes through, and I also haven't allowed myself to read a lot of or in you know consume a lot of information so that what I receive isn't tainted. I can say from experience that. Their both of their energies feel very loving and supportive. I first kind of was um, channeling the Lemurians and the Palladians, and then a few years ago I was introduced to the Arcturians, and they were very polite and um, I have continued, yeah, to to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Well, when they first came to contact you, mm-hmm. 
What kind of state of mind were you in and what was the episode? Yeah, so the first time I connected with uh, the Palladians, it was after that activation and they, I sat down to uh, essentially, you know, take dictation or channel, right? And they just laid out that they were here to help us and they're working with us like many other inter- interdimensional beings and they're working with light workers and it was, they used the word, uh, experiment. And I was like, can you guys use oh, a different really? word? We're an experiment. <laughs> they replaced mm. it with experience and I was like, that works better. Keep going. Um, and I think that we're, you know, we're a part of it. Uh, I think that, you know, I do believe that we do have will, uh, and that our will is, how we are choosing to use that that life force energy that we're all connected to. If you weren't in contact with the Arcturians or mm-hmm. the Pleiadians, mm-hmm. would you still be able to channel something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've channeled a lot of different... Uh, the spirit world, for example? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I worked as a medium uh, and intuitive for many years. And then when I channeled, when I first started, I actually would use uh, these Ascended Master cards and I would just like pull right. it you know, give myself a pull and channel the the three that came in so I could get used to working with different energies. How do you know that they're not playing tricks with you? Well, I have honed in on my uh, ability to, I think, discern energy information. So you don't think you can be tricked? I think it's possible. Yeah, I just, I also haven't experienced anything um in my life that's been negative or like there hasn't been any evidence for me being tricked by anything. And it's all been very loving and supportive. So it's only enlightened my life and those that I share it with. So this connection with the Pleiadians, Mm -hmm. does it get better and better for you? Uh, I think so. Is I, I guess I would say, if we are integrating the information that comes through, um, meaning we are putting it into practice, then essentially the information can expand, right? Then they can, we can understand higher ideas. So the, yeah, I mean, they, they work with the channel's ability to, uh, understand something. I mean, sometimes they'll ask me to, if I'm asking about some type of manifestation, they'll, they'll ask me to watch a video on, I don't know, black holes or some type of quantum something so that I can better understand what they're trying to express. Who initiates the questioning, you or them? Sometimes I open and just ask, what are we to know? Uh, A lot of times I will go in with some type of intention or question. Are you awake? Do you know consciously that you're doing this? I feel like I'm in the far background. Um, So when I come out of the you know, meditative state, I have a general awareness of what was discussed, but I don't know exactly what it is. And a lot of times if I'm writing and I'm still in that state and I'll have like pages and pages come through. And I can remember when I, you know, when I'm writing that my identity was saying, well, this isn't that good. It's not really what I wanted. It's not going to be good enough for this thing that I'm doing. And then I'll read through it from a conscious state and it's, incredibly beautiful and powerful. So yeah, I think that that doubt and that ego is always still <laughs> giving opinions on some level. What do they what do they look like? 
You know, I, I have never been super clairvoyant. I'm more claircognizant and clairaudient, which I think has allowed me to become more of a clear channel. Um, so I don't get a lot of visuals, but I do understand that they, you know, they have bodies. They're a little bit more, um, mutable and changeable because of they, they don't have as much of a reliance on their form as we do right. or the identity. Mm-hmm. Now, during an intentional meditation for mm-hmm. ETs in contact, you appeared to bring an entity of light into your house. Mm-hmm. Tell us what we're seeing. Yeah, so I was uh, making a video and I noticed these lights that were around me. Like orbs. Yeah, so I stopped whatever I was doing and I just stood there and I actually played these tones um, that were part of the CE5 app. Uh, and and then, yeah, watched it later and saw these orbs. And it's interesting with the um, the tones or the sound that I was using when I was doing this, it, it, they kind of moved with it. So that one that came from the corner was fast. And then this one, because the, I don't want to, maybe it's kind of music, um, it was slower. And then, yeah, it goes around my body and, and back up it. Um, I think it's a beautiful example of, uh, how much there is going on beyond our conscious awareness. So that wasn't somebody with a flashlight in front of you? <laughs> the orchestration, what we do for attention. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it surprised me when I, when I, when I thought I saw it and then when I recorded and, and could you saw feel the light on you? I, I didn't feel it. I just had a knowing that, it, that it was there. Mm-hmm. Since you've been channeling, mm-hmm. what's next for you? Mm-hmm. What do you do next? You know, I, well, my intention is always to help people to remember their true potential and who they are and that we're not our pain, that we're not our stories, um, and that we truly are incredible, miraculous beings here to really shift consciousness. I was channeling the other day and I saw what, uh, I couldn't quite maybe lay out quite yet. But it looked like I was channeling, uh, and it almost to an, to an extent of which they were offering, um, some really powerful, I want to say like activations or energy healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looked like there was more of a merge somehow that was happening. So as far as channeling goes, it looks like it, it can continue to expand. And I also think that as we choose uh, to come from spirit, as we grow personally, as we um, work on our own things and move past our own fears, that we will open more collectively, more people will be able to channel. Um, yeah, as we kind of lighten our load and drop our ego stuff along what the way. What other kinds it. of physical contacts have you had with the ETs? Mm. I have seen them in the sky quite a bit. And I also believe I've had, you know, I really don't like the word abduction. It, it I was just going to ask you, have you ever been <laughs> taken? You know, it feels, the word abduction feels uh, really invasive and 
Illegal. Yeah. So, but I have had a couple experiences where I was in uh, Vancouver, BC. I have a lot of friends there and my, my mom lives there and I experienced a lot of fatigue and I didn't know, I was like, wow, I'm really tired. And I slept the full night. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I was like having all these espressos, nothing was doing the trick. And I also noticed some markings on my back. And when I, when it kind of hit me what it might have been, I Googled alien abduction marks on back and there looked, there was just like a plethora of them that looked exactly the same. We've got a picture of your back. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at it and you can tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So you can see it's a little bit faded, but on this bottom one, um, they were in, you know, there's three, three and three and it's kind of an yeah, diamond. There's shape. a close up right underneath it. Yeah. So they were kind of these perfect symmetrical imprints. And of course I was like, what did I lean up against? What did I sleep on? Are they still on your back? No, they were kind of like bruises that it didn't hurt, but I, they, they went away in a few days. Um, and then it happened again, I think several months later, again, when I was in the same place in, in BC and same marking, same experience of, of fatigue. And also when I had Googled the pictures, when I kind of like looked deeper at it, there were quite a lot of them that came from that area. I think it's quite an accurate How do you area. think those marks got there? I, so from what I understand, uh, they shared that there, they said that it was like an energetic upgrade for me as far as what. They upgraded you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, just energetically. Uh-huh. They said that if you are to help people hold a certain frequency that I would need to be able to hold that frequency within myself. And I also understand that they were able to take information from my ethereal body. So I don't think my physical body floated out of the window. You're not sure, though. I'm quite sure. Well, the night that it happened, I was sleeping at a friend's house and we were sleeping in the same bed. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I can't say. But I, they told me that it wasn't a, the, a physical. It was my ethereal body. And but from the ethereal body that they could still get all the information from the physical. And they also shared that they like took a kind of like a snapshot of all my potential realities within a certain radius. So if that if this was included that radius, then they'd be taking the information from our consciousness in this moment as well. So they described it as they were understanding what kind of like where we are at consciously. Um, and then also the, you know, the energetic kind of adjustment that I, I may have needed for my path. All right, Bree, show us a little bit of channeling, how you do this. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I just will need a minute to, to just get out of the way. All right. And, um, yeah. And then you can ask questions. I'm also going to take a sip of water. Fast. All right. <laughs> now, when you do this channeling, you have to meditate a little bit to get into a certain mode. Yeah, I I think there's people like incredible channels like Bashar who have been uh, or Daryl that channels Bashar that have been doing it for many years. And it may come a little bit more uh, quickly or second nature if you, you know, see some of the older videotapes of Esther Hicks and, and she channels sure. Abraham. You'll notice that her voice gets really high. And 
there's a visible difference. Um, Are you alert? Do you know what's going on? I I do, but I have to completely let go. And so, uh, yeah, being a part of that series was such a, a gift, and I'm very thankful for it. I also had to really get over <laughs> the way that I look when I do it. And I think that the shifts in in sound and mannerisms is just a matter of uh, energy and you know, I was like swaying a lot when I was doing that. And then afterwards, just even actually about a month ago, I, I understood to open my root chakra more and it stopped. And I was like, that would have been really helpful information before we filmed. But so there's a, it's just a matter of, of, um, I think that their energy trying to ground and the difference between ours and, you know, their, their frequency. Sure. All right. Well, show us a little channeling. All right. Cool. Mm-hmm. We can't hear anything. Why are you smiling? We are reminding her of uh, the fun of it and how fun the experience is. And it is, it is not fun. And if it does not fill you with light, then then why bother? And you say we. Who are you? Yes. So we uh, are the uh, the group of which you call, and that we are the the Pleiadians. Yes. Do you channel through Brie quite often? Yes, she is. Um. um interesting because it is quite uh, her human nature to be human and so there are times in which uh, she is showing up in service or um, yes we will say this suffices when she is called to show up in service uh, we are we are there but we are always uh, aware of her path and always supporting her to um, come into alignment with, uh, with, with what we could say, love, light, uh, harmony, ascension, growth, communion, and collaboration. Now, is it in this state that you pass on information to her? Yes, mostly. And we also would like uh, to remind everybody of their incredible connection. Yes. And so regardless if it comes from uh, a Palladian or Arcturian or your favorite angel, we ask you uh, to consider uh, foremost your intention to to connect uh, with other realms, meaning what is it and how will you channel the information that comes through? And it is not just this linear information that is passed along, yes. It, there is a great remembrance that occurs when you connect, yes. So when you connect with a, a, a realm or being that you have deemed outside of yourself, you are more so and also perhaps more importantly connecting with the larger and greater aspect of you, 
Now, do you need Brie in order to do what you do? Well, we are we are happy to collaborate in this way. Uh, there are again, there are, there are ways in which you are receiving. Um, we won't say our information. We will say light information as you move throughout what you have deemed your physical realm. So as you are walking in nature, uh, you are receiving great wisdom and you can receive great heights of wisdom through what the earth consciousness holds. We are, we are happy to come through in this way, but we are also saying that our information is not ours. Yes, we are, we are, as you are, a vessel for divine intelligence. What kind of information are you trying to impart on her now? Well, we are hopeful that through this interaction, above all, you are reminded that you are not just this skin and bones, yes? You are far more than what meets your physical eye, and you can come to know your physical senses to be your metaphysical. Do you believe in God? Well, we find it interesting, the, we won't say incessant, we will say habitual nature of humans to attempt to put um, the idea of infinite consciousness and the manifestation of this consciousness in a box. Yes, so there are many ideas of what God is, and we will say that God speaks through all things. God, as you would have it, is the fabric that holds all things as one and allows for there to be harmony and collaboration of of this oneness. Yes, so we can say that we are all God in this man. Can you bring Brie back for a moment? Yes. Brie, are you here? Yes. Now, can you recollect what you just did? Yeah, you know, um, it just takes me just a second to hop back in the driver's seat. (laughs) Get back in your body, Brie. Come back. (laughs) Bring Brie back. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just feels like, you know, they call it channeling for a reason, I suppose. It, it does feel like tuning into a, a different channel. Um, yeah, because it feels like a stream of, I guess the, the relation we make is when we, when we do something like free writing or we really open to our creativity when you allow that like flow to take over, um, would be the, the closest that, you know, we get in our everyday lives. I think. What do they want from us? I don't think they want anything. I really do feel that they're here to help us along our path and that we are connected in ways maybe that our linear mind can't quite construct or understand. When I first connected with them, they were like, we're from your future, but we're also from your past. Do they think we're savages? No, their messages are always loving and not judgmental at all. You know, we all, um, 
I, when I, a few years ago, I was, you know, just kind of watching the world unfold and I was like, kind of just thought, pick me up, you guys. I'm like over it. And then I understood that, you know, they have their own contra- contrast to deal with in sure. chaos. We all become forgetful. Um, and I think that they remind us of that all the time. It's less about savages or evil and more just about uh, forgetting our inherent nature. And I think that eventually, no matter the path we take, we our destiny is harmony, right? Bree, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you so much. Fascinating to talk to a channeler. You never know who you're going to interview, but all the information is fantastic. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. That was lovely. True enough. Mm. True enough, George. Okay, this is just uh, another in the series about crystal. Crystals. This is called Crystal Myths, Mysticism, and Divination. Where do we get our understanding of how to use crystals? Everything okay, Ralph? Mm -hmm. Okay. Throughout history, there has been a mystical obsession with crystals, ranging from the power sources of Atlantis to the alchemists, philosopher's stone. And as sages and mystics learned to connect with the mineral kingdom, they began to unlock the mysteries of crystals and passed those secrets through the ages. Our team of experts have spent years studying the myths and mysticism of crystals and now share the ancient tales, which reveal how you can learn to communicate with the mineral kingdom, strengthen your connection between the physical and spiritual worlds, access the gifts of crystals that support healing, raise your consciousness to higher levels, Improve your psychic and divination abilities. And this is with Teresa Bullard White, Luke Blue Eagle, Leslie Franks, and Antoinette Ariel. So this is uh, 22 minutes. All right. So we will jump right in. Mm. Shroud crystals with elusive power and purpose. Tales of wish-fulfilling jewels, elixirs of life, and advanced technology of ancient civilizations. What was behind the obsession with crystals like the Philosopher's Stone and the Chintamani? Were they actual gems, or were they metaphors for an internal type of treasure? Why has it been said that ancient civilizations like Atlantis and Lemuria ran on crystals? Let's follow the trail of these myths to discover the origins of crystal power. Native Americans have a special relationship with crystals. It's important to know that our oral history here in North America goes back 127,000 years. We are one of the oldest cultures on Earth. In Native belief, 
everything that is created in the world comes from a crystal. A Cherokee foundation myth, the one that described what creates the universe, places at the very center of the created worlds an enormous crystal. From every corner of this crystal are seven strands reaching out into seven other strands that each reach out into seven other strands and thus continuing into infinity. What the crystal matrix is doing is it holding information. The whole universe is based on information. What you dream about for your life is often what manifests. With your thoughts and dreams, you have given information to the world. That information creates favorable circumstances to manifest what you want in your life. Thus, the crystals are dreaming the world as they communicate the information coming from the one source. That one source, you can call it the one light, God, great spirit, the primordial intelligence. But what this intelligence needs to create the world is a transmitter. And the transmitter at the center of the universe is this primordial crystal. Thus, all things come from crystals. The Atlanteans were said to have crystal technology. They use these giant crystals as power supplies, as generators. And there is one warning that comes with the legends of Atlantis because they use crystals for everything. So they've really learned how to harness these crystals. But because of the greed, they pushed it too far and the crystals actually destabilized the Earth's magnetic grid, which then led to the Earth changes that sunk the continent of Atlantis. And some say that the strange anomalies that happen around the Bermuda Triangle, where the magnetics go all awry and ships disappear and so forth, is a remnant of the ancient Atlantean technology of crystals that went awry. The main stone Edgar Cayce mentioned in relation to Atlantis, he called Tuawi. It was a white ray, opalescent, six-faceted stone, which guided the activities generated from the temple in the Atlantis era. It is said that this temple was in the Atla, in the central circle of Atlantis. The light of this stone appeared as a means of communication between infinity and the finite, like the heaven and the earth, or whereby they received communications with outside forces which sounds to me like extraterrestrials. The Toy Stone acted as the central power station radiating energies and guiding transportation systems of levitation, which would travel through air, on water, or under the water, just the same. It is said that before Atlantis sank, sages and initiates of the Atlantean mystery realized the fate of the civilization and departed to other lands, carrying with them the secret doctrines. Throughout history, there has been this obsession with magical stones. You can find it in Eastern legends as well as Western legends. So for example, alchemy, they talk about the Philosopher's Stone. And the Philosopher's Stone was said to be able to transform instantly, transform lead into gold. It represents the perfection 
of the great work of the process of transformation and transmutation. And they, they thought that anyone who possessed this philosopher's stone would be able to heal all ailments, any sickness. They would have eternal life. They would be able to become immortalized and perfected like a god. So the philosopher's stone was highly sought after because People wanted eternal life. People wanted health. People wanted riches. <laughs> and it was almost like that Midas touch. Whatever that philosopher's stone touched, it would instantly transform it and perfect it. So there's very many legends like this. You know, the philosopher's stone is one example. Other myths and legends talk about the Lemurians who escaped into the inner earth to restart their civilizations. The mythical city of Shambhala and the crystal city of Tomasis are both said to exist in giant caverns within Mother Earth. It is said there are hidden entrances, for example, under the Busechis mountain in Romania, and portals to access the advanced transportation levitation vehicles, which travel through tunnels and atmosphere generated by crystal technology and advanced knowledge. The Lemurian crystals were said to be programmed, hidden, and rematerialized into the Earth, to resurface for the right people who could attune to the sacred knowledge stored within them. Another reading by Edgar Cayce revealed that portions of the Temple of Atlantis may still be discovered off the coast of Bimini Island in the Caribbean Sea. In 1970, near the Bimini Island, Dr. Ray Brown, a physician and adventurer, was on an expedition searching for sunken Spanish galleon treasures. After a storm and big hurricane, he was scuba diving and he stumbled upon ruins and columns and saw the top of a pyramid protruding out of the sand. Inside the pyramid, he discovered a room which held a crystal sphere. The sphere in the center of the room was cradled in two metal hands on top of a pedestal column. And from the ceiling, a golden rod tipped with a red crystal pointed at the crystal ball. Surrounding the crystal in a circle were seven chairs, with one being higher than the rest. And on the wall was a falcon holding the sun in its talon, with seven beings sitting on top of each wing. And on its breast were 14 gemstones in a 2-3-4-3-2 pattern. The one object Dr. Brown could retrieve was the crystal sphere, and demonstrates powerful, mysterious properties. When a metal rod is placed into the field of the crystal, at a certain angle, the rod would begin to float above it. Many crystals actually have myths behind them. There's legends of where they came from. And so, for example, diamonds, right? Where did the diamonds come from? Well, the diamonds in an ancient Greek legend were said to have come from the god Kronos, the primordial god of time who changed a young man who was named Adamus, and he transformed him into a very immensely strong stone. Now, the name Adamus actually means invincible. So it was thought that this stone that comes from Adamus, the diamond, brought the power of invincibility and almost like immortality. And so it was seen as uh, potentially as an antidote even for poisons because it would make the person who consumed it invincible or who wore the talisman of it. Uh, but it was also then where our, our whole tradition of getting the, the wedding ring of a diamond came from was all the way back to this ancient Greek legend 
where it said that the diamond had the power to reinforce the bond of love between two people so that it was invincible and indestructible. The name of amethyst is derived from a Greek word meaning sober. There is a myth that in ancient times people would drink wine from goblets made of amethyst to be able to drink as much as they wanted without becoming intoxicated. In Chinese medicine, amethyst is used to clear heat in the blood. When we drink too much, one of the results is heat in the blood. And indeed, Chinese medicine does note the use of amethyst for acute alcohol poisoning. So maybe they didn't have amethyst goblets in ancient Greece. But who's to say they didn't put little amethyst points into their goblets, whatever they were made of? Why name the stone sober in the first place? Emeralds also have really interesting myth or legend behind them, which relates to the emerald tablets of alchemy. Now, it is said that Toth, the Egyptian god of wisdom, was able to alchemically melt emerald into this liquid form. And then the emerald tablets, the formula that he then transcribed, contained all the secrets on how to perform all the magical transformations and transmutations of the alchemical tradition were then inscribed into this emerald. But rather than them being etched in as if you were scratching it into an emerald stone, they were actually protruding from the emerald tablet which meant that the emerald had to have been melted into a mold and then the mold was removed after the emerald solidified. And I just love the legend that is behind the Labradorite. Now this one comes to us from the native uh, Canadian Inuit tribe. And it said that there was an Inuit warrior who was walking along and he found that there was light that was trapped deep within the earth, within some stones. And to try and free this light, he took his spear and he pierced into the earth to pierce the stone and he was able to free most of the light. And as that light escaped, it formed what we now know of as the beautiful Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. But some of that light remained trapped within the stone and th those fragments of light that remained trapped within the stone then formed the stone that we now call Labradorite, which is why the Labradorite has so much of this rainbow color in it and looks very much like the Northern Lights. There's one myth about the Icelandic sunstone. It's in the Icelandic sagas, and it mentions that, that the Vikings used this sunstone to help them navigate the seas and locate where the sun was at, even on completely cloudy days. Now, since then, we've found enough information from their mythology pointing to a large, clear calcite stone crystal that they were able to hold up to the sky. And because it polarized the light, they were able to locate exactly where the sun was coming from, even if it was behind the clouds. So there's an example of one of these myths that has been verified. Deeply interwoven with the origin myths of crystals are the mystical properties that come with them. Crystals have a long history of being used to foretell the future, to contact the dead, and to develop psychic abilities. Ancient tales point at the multidimensionality of crystals, where they can dematerialize and rematerialize at will, 
and be used to enter into altered states of consciousness and connect to higher beings. So what is the spiritual function of crystals? Why are they here? And how can they be used to strengthen the connection between our physical and spiritual world? Nature spirits, also called devas, are the etheric counterparts or spirit essence of each living being. There's a general deva of the mineral kingdom, but there are also specific devas for, say, rose quartz or larimar. There are many distinct families of nature spirits coexisting in our reality in the ether, like living in parallel universes, where humans may not necessarily perceive them, for they exist at different frequencies. However, it is possible under proper conditions and with sensitivity to communicate with the elemental kingdom, especially when one is ready to invite them in by communicating with them or making offerings. Crystals are multidimensional and can shift into different dimensions. I've heard of and experienced crystals dematerializing and then coming back. They don't do that frequently, but they can do it under the influence of higher beings to help train us. Crystals have been used for divination since ancient times. For example, scrying crystal balls. We've all heard of the, the psychics using crystal balls to foresee the future. There is actually something to this. But crystals, like for readings, for example, and for divination, we can work with one of the things that we teach in, in some of our classes in the mystery school, uh, working with crystals, is to get twin crystals. What a twin crystal is, is, is a two crystals that are almost identical and they come from the same source. They actually grow off of the same little seed, for example. And because just like twins, you know, they have this sort of connection between them, almost like a psychic connection between them. They're entangled in some way. Energetically, they resonate with each other. So you could hold one crystal, one of the twins, and then you can give the other crystal to a person that is having a, a reading done for them. And this will help you then through the crystal, it'll communicate to the crystal that you're holding. They're holding one, you're holding the other, and it'll help transmit some information in a more amplified signal to help you tune in to what it is that needs to be read for this person. So this is one way that divination can happen. On the subject of crystal balls, Western culture often thinks Native Americans have no technology. This is false. The difference being that our technologies were spiritual technologies. Some people called skywalkers could really fly. Others could teleport. We could build pyramids and skulls out of hard crystal stones. We could also make crystal balls. It's important that people know how to work with the crystal balls because if you gaze too long into a crystal ball, you can really harm your optic nerve. Crystal balls really need more purification than other stones. You will need to purify them often because you don't want them to hold any information. They have to be completely neutral. And then you want to find a place where there's a light reflecting into it. And then you gaze at that specific place and you diffuse your vision. And with time, you'll see mist. And in that mist, something will happen. Or maybe you'll see it in the ball. Everybody is different at that level. But in the beginning, you gaze five minutes. That's it. Then after a while, you can go 10 minutes, then 20 minutes. You want to stop at 20 minutes because you can really harm your optic nerve. 
Crystals have historically been used to develop psychic abilities. For example, through black obsidian mirrors, although technically obsidian is not a crystal but a glass, which has been used since ancient times by the Mayan peoples and I'm sure other ancient earth-based cultures to access one's shadow self, their feminine or masculine sides or other parallel past life selves as they practice scrying and journeying into the black obsidian mirror in by candlelight. We can also use double terminated crystals with a partner, each holding a double terminated crystal to practice telepathy and sending and receiving information. Another important stone for your personal development are Herkimer diamond crystals for dream work. Actually, they come from the region of Herkimer in New York State, and they're not diamonds. They're clear quartz crystals with the particularity that they have a bi-termination. You see, they have two points. You travel through that. It's like a vortex through which you travel to be able to do out-of-body experiences. So what you happen to experience when you start working with a proper prepared Herkimer is that it will accompany you in the dream world. You know, it will travel with you. It will protect you. It's clear light. Quartz crystals are clear light. And so they protect you from everything that's uh, dark. Crystals can be such important allies for us as humans because they have so many gifts and so much support that they can bring into our lives, whether it's for healing, for helping us raise our consciousness, for becoming more in tune with the kingdom of nature and the, the mineral kingdom and Mother Earth, or whether it's for opening up our psychic abilities and dreaming creating more sacred space, anchoring sacred geometry, all of these things. There's so many amazing things that crystals can bring into our lives. So make them your ally, get to know them, build a relationship with them, and let them go to work for you. It's important to understand the spiritual function and purpose of the mineral kingdom. That is to hold important information and transmit important information. The crystals were placed here at the beginning of the creation of the planet to transmit the fundamental primordial laws of the universe and to hold them there. And that's why they are so important, because they can hold them for millennia upon millennia upon millennia. And they hold the basic, pure information of the universe. As we purify ourselves and we work on our spiritual mission in life, we become more and more evolved. And if we do that, we become more and more beautiful in everything we do. And that's what we call the beauty way. And the crystals, they are reminding us of that because they are beauty. They have beautiful form and they're all different. Crystals are there to show us, look, if you evolve, you become beautiful. And so we learn to walk on the beauty way, and the crystals are there to remind us of this. And so, as such, they are precious friends. From foundation myths and cosmic origins to ancient crystal technology gone awry and mythical subterranean kingdoms to magical gems Crystals seem to be a common and primordial motif in many legends from across the world. The esoteric power embedded in crystals has been utilized for eons by shamans and initiates across the globe 
to bridge the physical and spiritual worlds. As these precious stones fall back into our hands, may they inspire us to bring forth the light, the brilliance and lucidity within ourselves as we refine our own crystalline natures. May we treasure their gifts and make them our allies in our conscious evolution so we can co-create a more beautiful, harmonious and luminous world. We're going to do a little bit of a meditation. It's right at the midnight hour here. And this is called Morning Prayer on the Winged Solar Disc. So I would say this qualifies right after midnight for this meditation. And I'll just read a tiny little bit here. Without the sun, there's no light. There's no life. There is just nothingness, darkness. The ancient Egyptians saw the sun as being key to their collective well-being. The Egyptian symbol of the winged sun was a symbol of royal power. Isn't that on the top crown chakra of mother segment, right? The sun, the winged, yeah. And the Sufis use that uh, as a symbol for them as well. The Egyptian symbol of the winged sun was a symbol of royal power. It also represents the soul without physical form. The Egyptian myth of the sun concerned the solar god Ra, who brought the sun into the skies and every single day, into the skies every single day. According to Egyptian myth, the main duty of Ra, the solar deity, was to carry the sun across the sky on his solar boat to light the sky. Is that not what um, Muhammad al-Fayed was? He's that embodied being, right? Mm. Is it? Who is he again? Hmm? Anubis. Anubis, isn't No, that's over the river Styx. He carries the souls yeah. in the afternoon uh, over the river Styx. Okay, that's a different thing. The boat was known as the boat of a million years. Yeah, well, that's he's got a boat. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sunset and twilight represented the time as Ra and his... As Ra and his vessel passed beyond the horizon in the west to begin the journey through the underworld. There, according to the myth, he would sail on the subterrestrial river Nile and cross through the twelve gates and regions. In the underworld, he would meet and defeat the energies of the lower astral worlds to emerge once again victorious at dawn. The god Ra represents the energy of the outgoing age of patriarchal rule. Therefore, in this morning blessing, we call upon the goddess Isis and her warrior god, 
her warrior son Horus to bless us with the golden radiance of this day. This daily blessing calls upon the power of the sun to bless the earth and to bless your day with a new vibration of possibility and magic. Okay, this is 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Let's do this now. to the winged solar disk. Hail great winged solar disk. You cleave a path amongst the never resting stars in the heavens. Great and noble winged solar disk who rises and illuminates from the east each morning to birth a new day. Beloved Horus rides with you, birthing a new light, a new power on the earth. This light, this power, banishes an ancient darkness. A darkness that has infested the earth for thousands of years. Hail, great winged solar disk, also known as a solar boat of a million years. With each rising of your light, the rule of chaos and confusion is coming to an end on the planet. Beloved Horus, you birth this day with light. You clear the way with light. You banish darkness. You birth a new light in the minds of those with eyes to see and ears to listen. Today, the rising power of the sun brings a new possibility, a new magical vibration upon the earth. Hail, great winged solar disk. Hail, great solar boat of a million years. You come as a stargate, opening the earth to new energies the light of other suns shine through you. The light of the central sun of Pleiades, 
the great central sun of Sirius. Through this portal comes other helpful energies. The archangels of the three suns are shining their light upon the earth now. The light of the goddess is returning after a long absence. Her return comes to rebalance the energies of the earth. Hail great winged solar disk, hail great solar boat of a million years. At this time of ascension, your rays bring a new hope, a new communication to the earth. A communication from the stars, a communication from other star races. Communications from beings of light who have ascended from lower frequency worlds. Hail great winged solar disk, hail great solar boat of a million years. Great Isis, your light shines through the golden disk of the sun. With the emergence of your light this morning, we bathe in your golden power, your golden majesty. The power of the sun now shines with the light of the divine feminine, bringing an end to war on the planet. Bringing a new honoring to all of the kingdoms of Gaia once more. Beloved Isis, great mother of the sun, and beloved Horus, great child of wonder, you ride the great winged solar disk. With your daily rising, the earth is kissed once more with light. Isis, your wings spread across the sky, and your light touches the horizon in all directions. We greet the divine through the rays of the rising sun. Hail great winged solar disk, hail great solar boat of a million years. I call upon Isis and Horus and the power of the rising sun to clear me this day. I call to you to untangle old karmic threads. Release me from karmic entanglements. Burn away old karmic programs. Release me from ancient promises and agreements. Burn away anything that binds me to suffering. Destroy all of this in your golden radiance.
Hail, great winged solar disk. Hail, great solar boat of a million years. Beloved Isis and beloved Horus, bless me this day with your golden touch. This touch that brings a great peace, a great joy to my being. Peace and joy to the very core of me. Peace and joy to the bones and blood of my body. My chakras gently open like flowers, greeting the morning sun, greeting this new vibration of peace and joy. As I greet the rays of the morning sun, may my path be cleared. May my thoughts be illuminated by this rising light. May my words and actions be illuminated. May my day be blessed with great ease and grace. Blessed be. Sister Caroline, she <clears throat> she was called to write many things here. <clears throat> so she starts off with um, the National Economic Security and Reformation Act, or in short, NASARA, was signed into law in 2000 yet never enacted. Bill Clinton signed it into law in 2000. As the president said at the end of his, no, a year before his term ended. Actually, it was done. It was signed into law by him <coughs> right at the very end in, in uh, um, October 10th, I believe. So anyway, I don't need to read that, but I'm going to read some more from her writing here. 
following that, it's the collective greetings, dear ones. We are pleased to speak with you on matters concerning the National Economic Security and Reformation Act, called Masara Law. First, understand that many in the Western world have been trained to think of Nasara in terms of money alone. Though abundance is a great blessing, Nasara is far more than a matter of monies dis- dispersed to lightworkers and others working on behalf of humanity and the higher good of the earth. It is far more. We're actually speaking of every good man, woman, and child on the planet. Let's put it that way. It is far more than weapons put down, wars ended, planets climate, the planet's climate stabilized, debt erased, illness and hunger ended, and aggression, aggressions dissolved. It is more than space travel and development of higher abilities, such as telepathy and Telekinesis. We've got another Aurora Ray, right, Mama? Yeah. Just okay. Okay. All right. No, I, 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 I'm going to read some more here. It is even more than the opportunity for humankind to finally be free of the shackles of many centuries of oppression, oppressive rule from usurpers and warmongers. Nasar is all of that, yet it is far more than all of that, because it's about ascension. Nasara is about divine government, not because that is the cure to all ills, rather because that is humanity's way of finally permitting the freedoms, the sovereignty of all beings, to fully occur on this planet. It is a powerfully conscious step forward into fifth dimensional living. This plan first began in the United States with St. Germain's original vision of a new Atlantis being rooted in that continent. The forms created there would then spread throughout the world as more and more countries saw what was possible for a free society. And as increasing levels of light spread throughout human consciousness, the United States was never originally intended to be a place of the mass mass murder of millions of native peoples, the mass slavery of millions of Africans, the mass incarceration and enforced poverty of millions in the present day. It was meant to be, as some envisioned, in the 17th century, a city on a hill, a sign to all nations that human sovereignty, human dignity, could indeed be established in ways that no government, no usurper, no king or queen, and no foreign or off-world invader could displace That dream was put to one side when the dark hats succeeded in bribing, threatening, 
for assassinating those safeguarding the original ideals of those following and supporting St. Germain. Yes, St. Germain was present in the United States in her early years and as an immortal is present there still. Yet this great vision has never died. It comes to fruition through the precepts and provisions of Nasara, brainstormed by a group of 14 highly conscious Congress members and one young state senator from Illinois, Barack Obama, assisted by Faction 3 White Knights. It was passed by Congress in March 2000 due to intervention of the White Knights, headed by Faction 3 White Knight leader, King of Swords. It was signed into law by then-President Bill Clinton, October 2000, the 10th. Yet, it has never been fully enacted. Nasara enacted means announced that it is the law of the land across the world from the United States. Nasara was to be announced the morning of 9-11-2001. And you have witnessed the great lengths that the last, the lost ones, the powerful families went to, to ensure that Nasara did not get announced that day. The wheels are turning powerfully to get Nassar enacted, yet one of its greatest delays has been created by lightworker investment in one of the most <coughs> devious schemes ever created by the dark hats, known as the Dinar Dong Zimbabwe Currency Trading or Currency Reval. Yes, in other words, keep the old system, keep the same folks in power, and just revaluate currency. No, 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 no. We see many questions coming to our writer concerning the sorrow and this very dark scheme. The information below seems to inform and to encourage all to not only divest from this false currency, reval, GCR scheme, rather to understand, understand, overstand that though great sums of money will indeed flow for communities and individuals, after Nassar's enactment, that law represents far more than mere money. It's, it is first and foremost a spiritual undertaking. Earth people actively declaring their sovereignty above all other claims upon them. This is unprecedented for a third dimensional planet. It requires great vigilance and some bravery on, on your parts. Yet you are fully able, and we are by your side, 
at every moment. Here is the question and answer forum that our writer has created with our answers. Who are the white knights and what do they do? The collective. The white knights comprise 20 million sovereign world militia forces working here on Earth and answering to the Alien Contact Intelligence Organization, ACIO, to support Earth's ascension and complete liberation from usurper control. They are the Earth-based portion of the Ashtar Command. Answering to Captain Ashtar and Lord Admiral Samanda Kumara, four million came from Earth and the other 16 million from elsewhere in the universe. The Galactic's non-Earth-born members are able to take on the appearance of any Earth human. The White Knights work solely Within the office of the Christ, in this moment, Christ is not used as a modifier for Yeshua's name. Rather, to indicate crystalline or light body higher consciousness. They carry out many different kinds of missions on behalf of the Ashtar Command in service to humanity and the higher realms. They work tirelessly to support and enable the full enactment of Nasara law. They do not break ranks in the sense of placating the dark hats in the long run, though they do hide their true identities and missions, as is necessary to ensure their safety and the safe completion of their missions. There are also numerous quote-unquote white hats in government, media, education, medicine, and many other fields. The white hats are not white knights and are not part of Faction 3. True white hats are simply persons of high ethical standard, conscience, and compassion who are evolving and wish to support the evolvement and ascension of Earth and her people, whether they would describe their work in those terms or not. Where did the where did the whole currency revaluation GCR idea come from? The collective speaks here. The White Knights have reported that the dinar Dong Zimbabwe scheme was created by Hillary Clinton, leader of the Bush-Clinton family crime syndicate since 1991, and former U.S. Senator Phil Graham and his wife, Wendy, in 2004. Oh, gosh, I remember that. This is a very dark scheme, intentionally created as a way to encourage lightworkers to invest in a currency scheme, in part so that they would view Nisara, there is no Gisara, purely in terms of money. 
Most light workers are unaware that the money invested in those currencies was used to create hedge funds that in turn have funded black operations, covert military attacks all over the planet. These actions have killed many millions of innocent people and injured, traumatized, and left homeless millions more. They occur mainly in countries where the cabal are stealing oil, running drug dealing and human trafficking operations, or wanting to monopolize access to the stargates, among other schemes. These are the places where they are highly motivated to keep the local population in fear and chaos, such as the Middle East. They have also been trying to start World War II. Excuse me, World War III in countries such as Syria for quite some time. Millions have purchased dinars, dongs, or Zimbabwe, believing the false channelings on numerous disinformation websites, which stated that those currencies could be traded in once Nasara was enacted, and that those holding those currencies would then become millionaires. Yet in so doing, they not only disqualify themselves from the Sara funds once the law is announced, as this is a very dark scheme and highly damaging to any participant's energies and consciousness. How is that? If someone is holding these currencies, what's the worst thing that can happen? And the collective answers. Those currencies were marked both etherically and physically, so that as light workers came forward to trade in their dinars, dongs, or Zimbabwe's after a false revaluation announcement, they would be spirited immediately, arrested, and detained. I think we'll continue this next week. This is the whole history. Bless our dear sister's heart and may we know that we're coming to this completion now and the full enactment is as Rama's famous word soon <laughs> yes Rama <laughs> what I think what we can do though is let me just here. Light workers must begin to step up and find this information for themselves from primary sources by either listening to or reading the notes from these news updates and other information. The time for being spoon-fed information from other sources is over. We are being called to stand up on our own and hear for ourselves. That is the only way that most people will actually believe and experience truth for themselves. The time as a mediator, a priest, pastor, a rabbi, a politician, an expert, quote unquote, 
told us what to believe is well over. It is time to become independent, empowered, and active. No more victimhood. No more waiting. Those days are over. We create Asara by envisioning it daily, getting the feeling of the reality of it within us, and celebrating, giving thanks, as though it were already here. As the collective say, that is the creation formula for the universe. Remember the great Hopi prophecy. We are the ones we have been waiting for. And I pass this talking stick, this Nasara talking stick, with the emerald serpent feathered one and angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, and crystals on it, to our sister, Rain Bird. Here it comes, Rain Bird. All right. <clears throat> what a great day. I'm ready. That's a great day. It is. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a new day. It's the next day in my neighborhood, Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Well, we do, we do tend to live in the future that way, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. But we bring the future into the now, too, in every moment. Yeah, indeed. So thank you, thank you, thank you for today. Uh, lots of fun. And I pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay, Rama, you're going to play our, our our second Aurora Ray for today, huh? Yeah. Here we go. Let's have a listen. Okay, everybody. And on, on that night, on this night, on or early morning, on that note, freedom's holy flame. May it be all that is for all of us. And the Sarah now and Namaste Satnam. Satnam D. Thirteen. Thank you, honey in the heart. No evil, live long and prosper. Aloha, everyone. Until we meet again. Namaste. Namaste.